welcome to the Hawks Nest live stream show. My name is Brendan Kane, and I appreciate you for tuning on in as the Seahawks are able to get themselves a victory against the Tennessee Titans on the road, 10 a.m., edging out the Titans 20 to 17 in a hard fought battle that came right down to the end, where the Hawks offense, led by Geno Smith on a day that was pretty shaky throughout. Found their footing. Geno Smith with a fourth quarter comeback. Another one this season. I, you know, what, four or five this year? He had one he brought him down where the Myers just couldn't punch it in, but he has certainly had his share of drives over the course of the season and uh, continued to put together a really nice drive at the end there. Again, without uh, the back and usage of having uh, much of any kind of ground game throughout this game to lean on on the other side of that. It's really on the passing attack and passing attack solely, it feels like at times in these games. But a uh, big win for the Hawks. As uh, they did their part, and over there in uh, in the Minnesota-Detroit game, Detroit did its part, a la a little bit like last season. Last season, your Hawks beat the Rams at the end of the game, last game of the year. Had a tough, hot, hard-fought game, kind of dirty, gritty affair. And then you needed the Detroit Lions to go into Lambeau in the middle of winter against Aaron Rodgers and win a football game, and they did it. Kind of signaling for Detroit. That kind of served for Detroit like our uh, like our, our Atlanta Falcon game in 2012. You know, it's sort of, yeah, we're here. We're ready. We're going to take the next step the next season. And Detroit certainly has done that this year for the most part. As uh, they look like they're going to march to that division title. And what they also did more importantly was, of course, put the Vikings back a game, which now means the Seattle Seahawks are going to be back as the in the back end of the class, the last team fitted in, you know, last one on the on the lifeboat, if you were. But uh, in nonetheless, and the Hawks do control their fate now, two games remaining, you win these two games, you're in. But you got to handle business. And that's what does remain, as the Steelers showed this past week uh, in their big win on uh, Saturday um, <clears throat> against the Bengals, 34-11, that uh, they're certainly not going to be an easy team to take down and that that's going to be a team that uh, is certainly going to give us every bit of what we can take in that game as uh, that's a, a pretty big win there by that Steeler team at home, uh, putting themselves at eight and seven and themselves trying to you know fight for their playoff life. So you're going to have a hungry team in there. It's not going to be like the lay down city situation going on. You're going to get their best effort, which means uh, we're going to have to bring it next week. Uh, but this was a, uh, no matter how you got it, you scratched out the victory style points don't exist in the NFL. Get the dub. We did so there. There's a lot of great performances to talk about. We'll break all those down, I'm sure, and go through this with you guys here in the chat. Um, we can also talk a little bit about kind of the Hawks' approach today. I think especially defensively when you lost Jordan Brooks, you, you kind of had to throw out a lot of your base packages in your defense, which I think definitely did hurt them in their ability to stop the ground game as the game wore on. Because you didn't, you really wanted to, I think, go to the, that base at times in order to in order to give Ghana one extra bigger player on the field there, you know, one more kind of rugged defender in there to handle the run. Instead, then you're going to have to go to more nickel looks throughout the rest of the game. And uh, that meant that uh, you weren't going to have the same kind of ability to kind of stop the run up a little bit. But um, let's break it down and discuss it, just to take you guys through a little bit of the early action here today. We had, uh, of course, on Saturday, the Steelers uh, do beating out that Bengals team. The Steelers team we'll see next week, uh, thanks to uh, Mr. Wasn't that the, it wasn't, uh, his name, Rudolph, I believe in the game there, was uh, led the way there for the Steelers. So uh, he played against us once in the past, I believe. 
We got the uh, Rams uh, taking down Thursday night football, the Saints, and uh, they were had the game a lot easier bait than it, than it came out to at 30-22. The Bills barely able to beat the Chargers, 24-22, as the Bills come back to life this year. And then today's games here on Sunday, the Browns took care of the Texans on the road. Browns going to 10-5 and this year. The Packers won their game, so they're 7-8 and and still... Much like the Vikings will be nipping at our heels here over the course of these next two games as we're trying to get in the playoffs. Um, <clears throat> Bryce Young threw for 300 yards. I think that's his 300-yard game in that one. Commanders uh, fall down to the Jets, 30-28. to 28. Um, Two teams not playing for much more than dra- draft pick positioning. As I said earlier, the Lions took care of business against the Vikings, 30-24. to 24. The Falcons are another team that will be nipping at our heels. we got a couple of those. we got some puppies at our heels. We gotta get back to him. You do that move, you know what I mean? That's the move you do back to the puppies, and then they go. Our playoffs. It's our bone. It's our T bone. Um Falcons did handle business of the Colts, so they remain at seven and eight. Uh, they got the win there at home. And then in the other slate of games, we've got the uh, Dolphins up on the Cowboys 16 to 10. The Bears up on the Cardinals, 21 to 10. Fields, uh, 135 yards passing in that game in the third. Jaguars getting beat pretty soundly here by the Buccaneers. Jaguars been one of those teams sort of fading as the year goes along. Fading. One point, they look like a team that might be emerging as a number one potential seed in the AFC. Now they might miss the playoffs altogether. And then we got, of course, our Hawks win in 2017. Let's see what you guys think about this uh, this game. I want to see where the mind is on the my fellow 12s after this one. I know there's going to be a lot of rumination on this win and that it's not going to be a clear note. Everyone's cheering at the top of their lungs for this victory. I know there's going to be some that are going to talk about the fact that this just, you know, further, let's be kind of my final point before we get over the chat. But I understand and I do think it's a valid point to believe, well, I do, you may be in the standpoint of I'm anti-Carol. And so being in the anti-Carol mode, I... Uh, I don't want to see these wins because then it, it potentially keeps him here for another year or it's enough to tell the ownership that he should stay as opposed to the only thing that would tell the ownership to move on from Pete would just be essentially Seattle just completely falling apart. And uh, I don't think that it's maybe wrong and that that may be the, the case of what's playing out with the ownership and how they consider it. I'm not saying about this on a right or wrong. I'm talking about just how the ownership considers the situation. But I will say this is that if they're, if the, if we have an ownership group right now that's relying on a three or four game stretch at the end of the season to, to ultimately determine you know, whether or not they're bringing back Coach Carroll and, and what they're looking to see or what they're needing to see. And again, giving validity to that very well may be what they believe and think, okay? So I'm not saying it's not this, but I'm just saying even if that's the case then, that that doesn't embolden me much to having much confidence that this ownership group, while they are still here, are going to be able to build that contender whether Carol's here or not, because your decision-making should never be housed and caged in four or five games when you've had a man who's been here for 13, 14 years. I mean, at the, and at the very least, you want to you look at, yes, okay, you want to look at recent data, but then look at the recent couple of years of data. Don't look at four games of data. And that that's your ultimate decider. You should be more intelligently driven as an ownership group in your approach to making those kind of decisions and it shouldn't be based on something like this, especially that the end of the season run is going to merely mean you get in the back door of the playoffs. I'm not making this on any, I'm not speaking to this on any sort of this should go, should not go, by the way. 
Don't read into anything I'm saying on that. That's not what I'm inferring about here. I'm just talking about the process of how the ownership would be considering this and looking at this. So while I do get it's a valid concern, if that's what's drawing it anyway, like for instance, if he had had the collapse and then they went and got the new ownership because of the collapse only, well, then that doesn't really, because that's the way they decided that and how they went to that one, it's not going to build a lot of confidence on any of the other decisions they make, certainly not in the coach that they then hire. So um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes there. I don't know if this determines that one way or another after, you know, simply these couple of games, but, you know, I don't know on that, like everybody says. I appreciate you guys watching today. I uh, want to thank Garth Knight, Barry, uh, or, or sorry, uh, I just want to thank uh, Ran the Cup, Barry Satori. I missed you guys as I had to sign off. I got to go over that Bleacher Report as soon as the sign-off happens. So sometimes I get the quick donations coming in and uh, I got to bounce over to the Bleacher Report right after. So i sorry I missed you guys on your your donations. I see in the chat here. I just want to say, or if I do see in the chat here, I just want to say thank you for you guys to that. Um, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Uh, appreciate you. It says, I don't think I understand. How did the Hawks win the last two games without number 33? Please explain. <laughs> uh, not only win, Garth, but the, uh, the defense looks a lot different. Um, and some of it is that certainly you had some, some really good offenses in the Cowboys and the Niners twice over. You had to play that was, was going to challenge in a lot of different ways. But uh, indeed, Jamal's, uh, in my opinion, times coaches will look to him. I think especially that Cowboys game, it was kind of reaching a, um, a peak point of him being targeted and attacked. And um, I'm going to have tomorrow, I'll have a Jamal Adams video that I'm going to release. And it's basically the summation is going to be, you know, the time's come. And, and it's not all Jamal's fault. I, it's not to shade Jamal or just it's purely Jamal. Well, no, he just sucks. Who's got to go? Not that. There's, there's a couple things that bear into the decision. It's, it's cap savings. It's where you think he's going to be at in the future. If we're really being honest with each other on this stuff, you know, where's he truly going to be as a player going forward? How is the, has use going to be in this defense? Is maybe this defense just going to be unwilling no matter what to really get the most out of him within it, even if he does get to back to full health. And that's then even if he can maintain his health moving into the future. All kind of big, big leaps of faith and leaps of faith. I don't think the Seahawks are going to have to make. I'm, I try to, it's a little late minute video tomorrow, but I try to kind of pack a lot into it on just this topic. So I thank you for bringing that up on top of your donation, Garth. And I don't think it's just a Jamal problem where he's purely the, the main issues with your defense. It's been a, there's, there's a variety of issues with it. Um, he gets to be having the biggest spotlight because he's the highest paid and we're waiting four years in on this, waiting for that kind of impact we thought we were going to get when we traded for him. But um, unfortunately, it's just kind of has moved into sort of a Jimmy Graham 2.0 situation where there's the, there's the injury, there's the fitting him into a kind of different role than what you had him do at the prior place, and then there's just a bit of a regression on top of it, and it all suits, suits to serve to not make it a successful trade. And one that we'll look back, I think, in history on and say, well, that was one of the worst ones we had for in, in Hawk history. And you go, yeah, kind of was, kind of was. Bales, uh, how you doing? It's good to see you in the chat. Thanks for being the first in the house. Flag Sabbath, let's have it go. Let's go. Gabriel says, go Ox, tough game for most of it, but can't complain about a dub and back to a playoff spot. Where I stand as well, Gabriel, uh, there'll be the, some good, there'll be the bad, the, the good and the bad to uh, pick apart in this game. But uh, I'd love to see the Hawks team not, giving in and just rolling over and showing their belly in this one. And 
understanding. There's the sense of urgency. You started to feel like you could come into play at least into that second half. And uh, I was encouraged by, by seeing it. Chase Stern says, we're back, baby. We're back. Megan in the house. How you doing, Megan? Good to see you. Says, Merry Christmas from Town Under 12s. Won't be joining you as I will be spending time with the fam. But as the Hawks and Kraken both won, I have a very Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, Megan. I appreciate you so much on that. And you have yourself a very Merry Christmas as well. Uh, Megan says, love the sweater. Thank you. Got to get the one time of year to pull the sucker out. I'm bringing it out. Nicholas says, he did it when I went to the Cleveland game. That's right. It's a couple games. Gino's done the comeback drives. And, and you, can get, you can get on the offense a lot. You can get on Gino in this game a lot. One place people used to hammer me when I would stand up for Gino was they say, well, he can't bring you back in a game either. That's what really determines a quarterback's value. I mean, and it was a lot of times in conversations I'd have with people about Russ, where you'd say, okay, with Russ, well, first couple, two, three quarters, we're getting nothing. Then he, he turns magic fourth quarter. And they go, well, but he gets you the win. That's what matters. That's what, that's what and I, you know, you get in a lot of debates about people telling me that that's what determines a quarterback's value. You know, I don't agree with the standpoint. I didn't then, I, I don't now. Um, but it was something that I did get told about that is something that now you can't hear anything about when it comes to Gino. He brought you back in games last year. He's brought you back in even more games this year. He's not doing it like Tom Brady 2003 style where he's going to get you to the 37-yard line and be like, okay, Adam Vinatieri, come out here and do the heavy, do the heavy lifting now. Do the, do the heavy lifting. Make this kick in the wind from, from 45, 48 yards out. Um, no, he's going down and getting a touchdown. He's doing that in Detroit. He's doing that in Cleveland. He's doing that in the Titans. Two of those times, he's doing it on the road. Impressive. Remember the time of the Vikings losing and Seahawks win? We were officially a seventh seed. Now the NFC West has three teams in the playoffs. Let's go. NFC's back. NFC West never back like it never left. Back like it never left. Crazy, man. Even in a down year, we're sending three to the playoffs. That's just how we roll out West. Uh, Greg Kemp says, what up, Brandon? Playoffs? <laughs> King Tay says, uh, nah. hey, what's up, King? What's up? King Tay, what a catch by DK, man. That was a hell of a grab. Jag Sports Talk with Jose Rodriguez, my man in the house, one of my mods, and do me a favor, do sub up to Jose on this fine Christmas. One of the mods in the house running his channel over there. Uh, good to see you as well, Jose. It says, Merry Christmas, and please hit the like button, people. Yes, do please hit that like button. Thank you for the reminder on that. You know, since Seahawks won, I heard they lost. <laughs> we got it. And Dino, yeah, Pittsburgh looked good yesterday. Looked like they're playing for something. They're playing for something. Happy Christmas Eve, Holy Hand Grenade. I'd like to create this game, but not at this time as it's holidays and we can look past that. It feels good to get the win. I get the critiques that'll be there. We'll get, we'll talk the pluses and the minuses. We'll linger long, linger on it too long. We're in this hunt. We're in this fight. I like to see that from my team. Snail says, the Mariners suck. It's probably be Carol's fault. <laughs> Uh, Jeremiah Yerksa, uh, I could spend a lot less on whiskey if the Hawks could play the whole game like they did the last three minutes. <laughs> There's a lot of people on Christmas Eve that got real, real, real warm, real early in this one, you know? Okay. <sighs> Gonna be one of those kind of games. <laughs> I feel you on that. 
I was, I was about that point too, about halfway through, like, what are we, what we're going to be watching today? Uh, Car says, I wouldn't want to come across that pup in a dark alley. No, you wouldn't. The pup's not, that's not the pup. That's the big dog reaction back to the pups. We the big dog. That's our reaction back to the Vikings, Falcons, Packers. Anthony uh, Benedo Johnson that says, play calling was bad with a team that had most of their players out. Why couldn't we scheme better against them? Indeed, uh, it's been a more of a commonality than it's been going the other way this year when it comes to Shane Waldron. It is not purely on his back that things don't necessarily, you know, work all the way. This is where it gets to the complicated nature about, to me, unpacking a bit of blame and why you blame is to better understand how to fix it and where the team should probably be spending their time fixing it. And Waldron this year has certainly not provided you the same kind of year that you felt like you got from him last year. It's, it's, it's been there at times. There's some moments that pop where you, he really gets locked in on the calling and you feel like he's, he's a guy that can get it. But you have a lot of these periods like the first half where there's just, there's, there's, there's nothing there. And it's not to say you need to score every time with this, but with this good of an offense, there should be more chains moving, less of the three and outs, you know, less of those sort of, you just, you just sort of can end up wiping it away kind of drives where nothing gets done. It just sort of seems like you, you, you need a mulligan or something on that series. You had nothing as far as anything to push or pressure. And a part of this adoption, this offense is supposed to be more moving of the chains, more time of controlling that clock. And uh, that's absent a lot of times. And the play calling just kind of winds back and forth. You know, uh, a lot of passing early on in this game. They definitely were looking to try to, I think, push the ball up the field to quite a bit with some of the times of having Gina hold the ball a long period of time. They started out throwing short early in the first drive, of course, but then as you get away from that first drive, it gets more into trying to kind of seem like you're trying to get push really more push the ball down the football field. Strange decision making with Gina within it. Um, again, you go from kind of really on feeling like you're willing to go to the outside zone run even a little bit on that initially there with Walker to everything starts to become inside. You know, another week where we don't have a single fly zone sweep run ran. Uh, so I guess if you don't have Eskridge on your active roster, you have nobody that can run that play. Um. Yeah, the fraud, there's still some frust some big time frustrations for me, Anthony, with the nature of the play calling right now that I don't I don't quite get. Colombo says uh, this team will be humiliated in the two in the wild card round. Maybe Colombo. I think it depends on the opponent. I think if you have a, an ailing Eagles team you play in the first round, I I think that that's you know if they're not at their best again, that's a team that I think that we can at least stand with maybe not become humiliated by. I think if you played the Cowboys or the Niners with how they're playing right now, that's maybe a bit of a different tale. The Cal Niners look like they're going to get the first round by though. So that you're not facing them till a little bit down downstream if you can win. So it's possible. It's possible. Mark, how you doing? It's good to see Mark have a corner. Merry Christmas to you. Teza Kaku, thank you for the $7 donation. And I uh, hope you're having a great night. Says, uh, we need to stop the run run pass when it's not working also dj dallas needs to be replaced after today's game yes yes and thank you for the super chat uh, uh, i'm gonna call you tez um thank you tez uh, for the super chat and um yeah um another another little branch that that outcrops here from the waldron issues as far as some of the predictable nature of the play calling to where you're attacking also comes into place in the sequencing 
This was something that Brock Hure talked about, I think about a month and a half ago, that was, he used the right word with it. And I would, I've been trying to think about that exact word I've been trying to reach for in my mind as I was trying to look to describe it. It's sequencing, right? So it's this play, we come up and, um, and this is the, this is at the most simplest form of sequencing, right? You'd expect way more advanced from from a pro OC, but this is just to bring it to kind of my so I can explain it right. You have a quarterback come to the line of scrimmage, and he goes and play actions on an outside zone run to Kenneth Walker on first down. You know, then you come back on second down and you go to the outside zone. Right, that would be like you sequenced. You sequenced one play to get them looking like run. They've got that in their mind from the pe- the previous play, and so now you come back and maybe there's a little more. You get the them leaning a little bit more, dropping back to their pass set to their coverage, rather than taking the false step forward to the run like they might do otherwise. So that's like the most rudimentary, of course, point of sequence. Sequencing can be so much more depth of that, right? You do one thing now and then you come back four plays later and then you go back to something that's an offshoot of that then. It's way more advanced in the NFL and their principles on this game. I'm just, for sake of explaining it kind of clear and coherently, just kind of get there. Our offense is missing that sequencing though, like Heward talked about. It'll be, you come up and you got two splits on either side of them. Then you come back and then there are three tight ends here. Then you come back and then we got two tight ends here and then you come back and then it's, it all seems very randomized about what you're doing and then also very predictable. You mentioned the run, run, pass, Tez. How about the second and long run predictability? I was on the live stream talking about it and I go, okay, they're in second and long. This tends to be an inside zone run play for the Hawks. Bang, here comes an inside zone run for the Hawks. And I did it like three times in the game. Okay, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not over here Tony Romo in this stuff. You know what I mean? It's just that it's gotten to this point. You watch so much on the tape and you understand how much teams lean into the tendencies of the Seahawks, it's, it, it cobbles together pretty quickly, the understanding that that's what they're going to do there. And you got to break your tendencies because that's where you're going to be able to take advantage of those teams leaning in the wrong direction. They're like, oh, they always do it this way. They always do it this way. Eh, wait, they didn't do it that way. What a concept. Um, so yeah, I, I don't like the predictability of the offense today, Tez. It, was, it felt like you could kind of feel what was coming pre-snap snap in and snap out again, where we feel like the opposition's a little bit of a step ahead of us on the coaching staff side of things, rather than us being a step ahead of them. Um, with Dallas, I've told you for, for months, years, actually, he freaks me out. He just freaks me out back there. I've watched many a punt and kick returners in my life. I can, I'll tell you, I can tell you the guy, the guys that you feel good about and you're like, he'll catch the ball. I know what he's doing back there. We've had many really good ones throughout our time here, even Seattle. Bobby Joe Edmonds, Leon Washington, Nate Brolson did a good job of it in his time when he was asked to do it. Michael Bates, way back in the day, or not way back. I mean, he was inside. Bobby Joe was the way back, and then Michael Bates. But anyway, we've had a lot of good ones. You know the ones you can just feel it when there's certain punts coming up. They're back there, you know, dancing a little bit maybe even because they just got so much swag. They're like, oh, I know. It's going end over end. I know. It's a little bit of a wind. Watch this. Watch. Oh, did I just catch you with one arm? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm that good with it. That's, you can feel it. With DJ Dallas, like I say, I swear to God, I can see his hands shaking. If they could get us the HD close-up view on DJ Dallas's hands, here's, here's what you would be seeing, folks, if they could. Okay, here's exactly what you'd be seeing. Let's get you a close-up shot now, folks, down on the field here of DJ Dallas's hands. 
as the ball is up in the air. I don't know if there's actually maybe a minor earthquake in the stadium occurring, but as you can see, his eyes are like, well, like saucers. He's so wide and seemingly freaked out, and the hands just, I don't know. Is he, are those tremors, Bill? I don't know if they're tremors. Fear, tremor, pure intensity, who's to say? You know, <laughs> just, bum, 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 bum. I, I just, he scares me, man. He freaks me out. And then the stupid slap thing was just, that was like right out of the page out of what Radigan did last week with knocking the ball for no particular reason. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> what do you think the official is going to do? He looks and he gets all upset about it. What did you think? The, you do this move on, you do this move on, you do this move on the field, probably a good chance that's going to get you a flag, you know? Uh, Jose says, we need a young quarterback and coach combo. Uh, offensive coach all the way. I'm with it. I'm with it, Brody. Sign me up on that stuff. I, I love offensive coach is the way to go. Living flapjacks. This is, this is a Titans team that beat the Miami Dolphins. They aren't horrible record wise. Yes, but they are an NFL team. There's no doubt about it that there are bad teams out there. that are just purely bad or middle of the road teams that are actually more bad than they are middle of the road. They just kind of carved a couple wins out. But to your point, flipping flapjacks, I think that uh, what you say is the truth. Um, Mike Vrabel does not always have the most talented team here in the Titans. And he's had even teams that I thought played way over their skis record-wise for, and, 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 you know, they won those games. Not that they lucked in them, but just that he's able, I think he's a really good top-notch coach in this league. And um, he gets his guys to play hard. Um, he gets them to play. They're going to they're gonna do everything they can, creatively speaking, to beat you if they can't do the traditional stuff. Um, they're not going to overthink it. They'll, they'll, they'll work into your weaknesses as they can. Um, but I, I like Vrabel a lot as a head coach. And uh, even though he is a defensive head coach, I know with that, but uh, he will always have his teams playing hard. That's how they can go out there and beat, like you say, a Miami's team or a, especially a finesse team like the Dolphins. They're a physical team that'll punch you in the mouth too, which is a little bit, of course, of the, that's the, the Dolphins anti style of what they probably want to really be dealing with as much. But um, yeah, they're, they're not a bad team to your point. Hans says, hello, everybody. Let's enjoy the win after my double cardiac arrest during the game. Go Hawks. Got to get those palpitations, Hans. They make you know you're alive by the end of it. You're like, I think I lost a year of my life, but we got the win. So that's good. <laughs> Jose Garcia, thank you for the $2 donation. I appreciate you, Jose. If Pete is gone next year, is Tomlin an option? Well, I guess, Jose, the question at hand becomes, does Mike Tomlin get fired first or does he get let go? Do they, do they move on to a different place? Of course, when it comes to the Steelers, I think they've had, what is it? Three head coaches in 57 years, something like that. So they, they don't move on from guys there slowly. Now, out there in the steel country, they just, everything moves a little bit slow, you know, moves a little bit slower. I am pretty resolutely a little bit like where, you know, Jose Garcia, where Jose Rodriguez was with this one, where, I've thought a lot about this, and my opinion is, is that right now the way to look is really more for the offensive-minded head coach than the defensive-minded head coach. I, I think that it's easier to build a, a great offense, especially with the personnel that we have right now on deck. I think that the defensive-minded coaches bring a certain nature in their approach to managing the game that doesn't always lend itself to the modern conveniences of the game. When I look around the league, Jose Garcia, at the teams that have defensive-led head coaches and who's having success and who's not having success, you know, there's a lot of 
bottom dwellers or near bottom dwellers led by defensive minded head coaches. I just think that it all kind of adds up to it's the easier road is the offensive road. Let's, in my opinion, I wouldn't want to make it harder for myself than I need to. I do like Tomlin in that um, I think he is a top-notch coach in this league. And maybe if I just wasn't so resolutely in the, lo- in the mode of saying, give me the offensive-minded coach, I could be open to it. I wouldn't hate the hire. It would just, for me, Jose, be like, I don't know. Maybe in the same territory of something like the, the Dan Quinn kind of hire with it, where it would be fine. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like crap all over it. But I would like to see more of an offensive binding roll with it. I think that's just a better approach. Uh, Joe Ratz uh, says, can't enjoy the wind for a minute without uh, going right into the darkness. I love us laughing out loud. We'll keep it pretty positive today. I won't try to move too much into the dark territories and things. It's Christmas Eve. Santa's out there doing work right now on some side of the world. We got to, we got to, you know, got to get the spirit right. You're right, Joe. Thank you though, Jose. I appreciate you. Hans, uh, if you're talking about head coach, get Eric Bieniemy. That's a wizard on offense. Indeed. He's a pretty good, very good offensive mind. Untested as a head coach. That'd get me nervous with him, but he would check that box. I mean, he's done some good work, it seems like, with Washington this year. Uh, not having a whole lot to work with across the board there. A little bit, not a lot. Jack Maloney, great Christmas for me. Canucks are number one in the league and Seahawks in the playoffs. Let's go. Let's go, Jack. Merry Christmas. Long live the King. Gino, 14 game-winning drives. Very clutch. That's a big stat for a guy that hasn't started a whole tremendously lot, like, lot of games in his, uh, um, in his career. That's a tremendous stat. Thank you for that. That's awesome. I love that. Robbie Red, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, Merry Christmas. So happy for the Mafe breakout season. Mafe, get it done this year. And uh, one of his better games of the year in this game. Six tackles, two sacks, two tackle for losses, and four. Count them, four quarterback hits. Should have been credited with a pass defense, too. I think he knocked, actually tipped the ball. But uh, he's got right now for the season, 40, 40 tackles, seven, uh, seven sacks. Um, I don't think they're adding this game sack in quite yet. So he'll be at, he'll be at eight sacks, 54, 54 tackles. Um, looking like he still has a potential here to crack now with the double digit mark with a couple games remaining, which would be great to see. But uh, I feel really good about what he's going to bring in the future. He's certainly one of your cornerstone defensive guys. You know, he's right in there with Witherspoon and you would think ideally, hopefully, Tariq Woolen uh, as guys you feel very good about going on into the future. Um, TJ says, is there a clinch scenario next week for the Hawks? I don't think so, TJ, because well, let me take a look. Let me look at where we're at right now. So the Vikings conference goes six and four. Seattle goes six and five. Seattle. No, I don't think that would happen. I don't think so. Your like of view is so wide. Um, 
I don't think so, TJ. There's too many teams in there that are seven and eight. And I have to play out through the scenarios a little bit of how this would go because there's not a straightforward on the conference schedule, head-to-heads, all that stuff. But I think you would still probably at the very least have to wait till the next week's results at one o'clock in the Cardinals game to know where things stand. You might know by then, but I don't think that you're eliminating by next week. Love and flapjacks. Playoffs. Playoffs. Uh, Nate uh, says, B, uh, your mom raised a goat. We love you interacting with us and appreciate you streaming and talking with us through losses and wins. Hope your Christmas is the best. Well, thank you so much. Um, I have having a great Christmas so far. Uh, we're going to get a chance. I usually go wait till a little more off season to get out there and see y'all and the fam and all that stuff. But um, thank you, Nate. Um, my, mom is, my mom is awesome. She's the true goat. There's no doubt about that. And I know a lot of people say they got the greatest mom or they got the best mom or that I got the greatest. I got the best. Like you guys just don't know. You just don't know. So uh, I appreciate you, Nate. And I love doing this. I love interacting with you guys. I love watching the games with you guys going through it today. As I say, man, going through those moments where you're in the rough, tr- tough sledding. And normally I'd be just alone in a corner watching the game at home, just cursing, you know, just in a dark place, probably somehow having you guys there with me along this and uh, experiencing it together. Just, it softens it up for me just a little bit, you know, just enough to where I can kind of, okay. <laughs> Give, give me the strength. You know what I mean? <laughs> give me the strength on some of these. But thank you, man. Very kind of you. Uh, Fei Wu Hong Huang uh, says, our defense allowed over 100 yards rushing today. We need to fix that ASAP. Indeed, we did. And uh, to your point of that, Faye, it's been a problem throughout the course of the back end of the season. The team started out really, really good in stopping the run to begin things this season. They look like it may be very well placed where they were going to be able to be one of the top teams at stopping the run in the NFL. But that's just slowly has kind of been dialing back as the season has wore along and it's become an ever-increasing problem. The Titans almost just didn't have to pass today at all. And uh, that was because they could run every which way but loose. And it wasn't just Henry. It was also uh, Tajay Spears out there getting it done. And so you definitely got to look to try to find some answers here. I don't know where they are, Faye. Um, Outside of certainly when you get Witherspoon out there, you get a little bit of a better tackler. But yeah. It's, I don't know if it's a problem that's going away at this point. It's going to be one that probably needs to be addressed uh, with some of the personnel changes that will need to occur, especially on the defensive line, for instance. Um, but you're not wrong. Long live the King. NFC West is still the most competitive division year in and year out. It really is long live the King. I mean, this was going to be a year I thought, well, for the first time in five, six years, we're going to get a true year where it's not going to be us riding at the top and, and, or just there's three, four teams all battling and everybody's got like a 500 record after week seven or some silly stuff like that. This week, it suddenly is kind of this year, it's rounded out more and more to where all the teams are going to kind of get it done one way or the other. And uh, it, it's cool. It's both cool. I, I also like to say though, man, it's that feast factor you'd love to have to be able to get yourself to the Super Bowl that a lot of Super Bowl teams get to have the benefit of being that there's like two teams in their, their division at least that they can just roll through over the course of the year. We aren't getting that, and we aren't getting that. It doesn't look like anytime soon here. Patrick uh, says, we'd love to pull these close games out, huh? Boy, do we ever. Heart attack Hawks. We, we labeled them that for a reason a couple of years ago. Joe Rotz, DK is a singular talent and is kind of ignored by the national media. I don't get it. Joe, it's not just the national media. I am with you. Singular talent's the great way to put it. I was trying to talk in my, I did a Bleacher Report post-game discussion where I was trying to find the right words to encapsulate it. 
he, he I consider him the most dynamic, untapped talent in the NFL, which is saying something because the guy's going to have now five straight five straight years of a thousand yards receiving to begin his career. But as I've said for a long time, in many of the streams that I've had to do here over the course of this season, both post game, uh, during the week, Joe, where people will call for DK to be traded. You know, there's this penalty he had in this game. I mean, that's too many penalties. I need to trade him now. And I keep coming back to, man, I, I keep trying to push back at that and say, you don't understand. It's, we're not getting the most out of this guy. He's, he is on a different level. We're just not doing our best to get the most out of it. And, and again, it's last week to me was a game that showed this where you, were, you had two targets to DK Metcalf through three quarters of play. And then bam, at the end, you start to actually target him. And bam, at the end, you start to get some, some big chunk yardage up the football field. This game, it was the same kind of way to me where you, you had uh, two targets to DK through two quarters and a drive, I think it was. Two targets. And then you start to work him and you start to work him with anything close to a catchable pass and he starts making stuff happen. DK can be a 15, 16, 1700 yard receiver in this league. But it, it's going to take the offense realizing at times that he's still on the roster through all four quarters and not just two. And he is a singular talent. There's nobody quite built like him. And usually when you have a singular talent, a Tyree Kill is a singular talent. There's nobody built like Tyree Kill. There's teams that chase their tail searching for the next Tyree Kill. There ain't another Tyree Kill. When you got a singular talent, how you maximize that talent is, an, is a coach that understands how to take that talent and maximize it in the way that they draw plays and where they align that player. And I, I like a little bit of it that I've seen lately with them. They've done a little bit of DK in the slot. And that's been a step in the right direction. Bubble screen last week. But finding a way to, to script in 7 to 11 targets, 7 to 12 targets a game. Not the worst of, uh, you know, kind of approaches to maybe go at there. But completely agree with you, Joe. William Leonard, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, Carol is a BS artist and manipulator. Wake up! <laughs> Merry Christmas, William. Thank you for the $2 donation. Uh, very well, maybe one, one of the things at play, that's for sure. I will say, I don't think all things we get told by Carol are sometimes often true, and not just from the standpoint of, you know, he's trying to kind of hide his tactics, but also from the standpoint of like, you know, not going to always kind of be real with it because in being real with it would have to own up to something that's been kind of continually broken on certain things to keep this, you know, vague, of course, William, but thank you for the $2 donation. Uh, Snail, thank you for the $2 donation as well. It says, Pete Carroll is the reason the Sonics left. <laughs> well, I'll give you once more, Snail. I'll give you once more. Pete Carroll's the reason the pilots left. It's on, it's on him for them. He was five at the time. And it was said that he walked in the stadium and he said, this is stupid. They should go to Milwaukee. Just saying that's what I heard. That's just what I heard. And he was a very precocious. It's like one of those old school baby photos, you know, that the black and white ones where they look all awkward and they kind of have them in kind of a half dress. Yeah. He walked in there, had cotton candy. Stupid stadium. And the very next day, the pilots were sold to the to a Milwaukee contingent. So two times over. Two times over. I, 
Tommy says, if we want to compete with McVay and Shanahan, we are going to need a new coach. Pete's just, Pete's, Pete's teams just don't dominate like they did back in the early 2010s. Now it's barely win at the last minute. It's been a long time since you've been uh, a dominating team. That's for sure. Your point. And uh, I, I uh, see where this goes, man, with the Pete situation. As you guys can see, a lot of the chat that I get, a lot of the donos I get and where people are, this is where a lot of the people's mindset's at. Your point, Tommy. And uh, as I've said with it, I'm going to get to the end of the year and make my kind of sit back, make my full assessment. I'm leaning a certain way. I'm going to let the year fully play out to kind of make that final call and where I stand with it. I'll be honest and true with where I stand though. And uh, for the folks that are at the end of the rope with it or that they're, they've at that point of their assessment, I get where you're coming from. Um, I don't think it's a place that has been landed at softly either uh, that, you know, that you do get from um, a lot of folks who, you know, will jump on that train quickly on the anti-Carol bandwagon and say, um, you know, I, I, that they were instantly out. A lot of the folks have been positive pro P people that have arrived here. I had a guy in my donation today that was talking about that. Says, man, I've been an ardent supporter, but today I've kind of seen a little bit more of where people are coming from in their criticism. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting decision by the ownership. It's an interesting decision by Pete as he looks at it this offseason going into it. Where does he really look at himself on this stuff? We'll see what they all end up standing on it. Well, yeah, Grenade says, Gino couldn't have Drew Locke show him up on a game-winning drive. No, he couldn't. He says, Drew, I see your game-winning drive, and I one-up you. Gino out there one and up. He's a one-upper. It's one of those guys. Tyler, I was very mad at how undisciplined we were at the first half, but then the Titans decided to be undisciplined back. They did. Titans were pretty running it pretty tight, uh, no pun intended, but um, or pun intended. And uh, but then they started to have some penalty issues come up and crop up a little bit, a little bit of sloppiness on their part, a little bit of uncharacteristicness sloppiness on their part in this game at moments. Some of it too was just guys like you know on the DK PI down by the uh, down by the. Um, goal where you're you're with your backup cornerbacks those backup cornerbacks are trying to hold on for dear life quite literally on that play and so you're you're going to get some penalties in within that over the course of the day the price of doing business with backup quarterback cornerbacks but uh, i agree yeah hans uh and can live with the rushing yards if it was playing against the tough nose titans run the game the middle of the field always open more frustrating uh, i think i missed something there hans sorry Talking about head coach, get out. Oh, sorry. Don't do that. Um, I can live with the rushing yards if you're playing as a tough tone. Titans are in the middle. Always open the more. Yeah, it's a bit more their nature, Hans. Ron, why does it seem like the Hawks wait until the end of the game to open up the offense? It would be better if they opened up at the get-go. Boy, I don't know, Ron. I don't know. You know, I've long said you sort of get the, the two-minute Geno seems to be the best Geno. Maybe the the two-minute Drew Lockwood, that seems to be the the best lock. Um, is it because they're opening it up? Is it because at that point the quarterbacks are able to get more in a a rhythm where they're just less thinking and they're just they're just playing, you know? They're just letting it rip, loose and free? I don't know on that. Um, probably more to what you're talking about on your point where you're playing a little bit more safer at times and not just letting it letting it rip, trying to go out there and go take the game. I get it definitely could be some of that. Um, to be honest with you, Ron, and I, I'm not trying to oversell this, it's in somebody watching this offense so very often, I, I don't really understand what it is they're trying to do at times. And, and I don't really understand when they're setting something up. I, I don't really see where they're adjusting to something that's happening to them. 
um, we're just kind of lining up and calling plays. Sometimes how it seems. And sometimes those plays are really inventive and they get you free and they, or your guy makes a great play on it. Or, and sometimes you're just, you're just kind of lining up and running plays. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a good answer on that, Ron. But I, don't, I, I have a good read on this defense for good and the bad. I know what this defense is doing. I know what they're trying to do. I know how they're setting out to... I know what the way they're setting out to accomplish. But um, I don't understand on the offense exactly with all the talent we have what we're doing exactly, Ron. Again, I'm not trying to be silly. It's just like I, I really don't. You, know, you, you, you don't really commit to the run. You try to pass you're not really trying to work different levels of the passing game. You're, you're not really trying to set one. It's, it's just, it's more of, it's kind of seems like random. It's a little more like offense by chaos. Uh, Jose says, Merry Christmas pumpkin. Or would that be uh Mary, Mary Pomas? Oh, Jose says, Merry Christmas pumpkin. You know, give him a, give him a little cackle. Give me one, give me one cackle. Oh, you're going quiet. All right. I get it. She wants me to hold her like a baby right now. So she's giving me a little bit of, I'm not going to give you a cackle. Cannon McAfee, the play calling has been worse this year. Big time worse, Cannon. Yeah. It's been, uh, one of the disappointments this year has been Waldron in the play calling. Where just, you you don't, I don't know why he's kind of gone backwards this year as he has, but it just doesn't, as I said before there, it just doesn't make a lot of sense all the time. Kelly, how you doing? Has been sick, uh, sick with a dry leg, throat thing, and a sort of cough. It sucks, but the wind helps. The game through by Draymond, Reek, Mafe. Hate we couldn't run the ball, but they could. McIntosh was inactive today, at least. Haha. Though, not sure he actually played. But hope Devin is back next week. Well, that's good that he wasn't inactive. Maybe they're trying to kind of get his uh, beak wet here and ready to go. Maybe uh, as we go down the stretch, and certainly there's some room for him to play in front of. DJ Dallas at this point, for sure, Kelly. Uh, yeah, shout out to Reek, Mafe. Yeah, Mafe come in with the sack on that game-winning drive. I mean, hell, you got the Titans team takes over with a minute left to go. Um, a Hawk defense at that point, which with a minute left to go and one timeout for the Titans, that's plenty of time to get into field goal range. You can do it. And um, do you want this? You can have that. Um, and so they... Uh, they they definitely had to stand tall there, and it was really cool to see the defense get the pressure there in that moment. I mean, this was the Kelly, the best game they've had, I think in recent weeks and generating pressure overall, especially when you consider how few dropbacks the Titans were having in this game, you know, um, when you factor that part into it and you go, you know, wow. Yeah. You know, they, they you only dropped back like 25 times. You got those six sacks, you know, you got your quarterback hits there and you did it with your front four. Mainly Bobby got his sack, of course, too, coming on a little bit of a late blitz, but great to see. Great to see those guys down the clutch come through when you need them to come through. I always say uh, you've got a professional rusher like Draymond Jones. He's gotten over the course of the game, Kelly, to a point where theoretically he set a guy up for a particular move he can call upon in the moment to find success. And uh, maybe that's a little bit of what he was able to do there. And then Draymond just, or Mafe kind of just finding back into a little bit more of his footing on things. Did you drop that, kitty? Oh, it's good to see you in here, Kelly, though. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Scott Thompson, thank you for uh, subbing up to the channel. I appreciate you for that. 
long live the king. Thank you for the $5 donation. The frustrating thing of debating with anti-Gino, anti-DK fan base is they intentionally leave out the upside contribution and nitpick any mistake. Yeah, it's, um, it's the most frustrating conversation, not these things in themselves, but just it's the, I think the most frustrating part of times in having sometimes the debates online like we'll try to have, where I think most part we can stay in a pretty respectful place, but the place where it gets tough to actually get to the bean and potatoes of a discussion on this stuff is you don't get the true honesty of the give and take from both sides. You'll have one side maybe with the give and take and the other side that just wants to sort of do the take side, you know, where their, their guy sort of walks on water or whatever side they're representing walks on water and there's no downside to their side where meanwhile your side's nothing but or horrible. And uh, that's where it's to me the the conversation just is, number one, you don't win the debate by going to those, going to that mark of things. Number two, it's, you know, if you trusted your debate, you, if you trusted your points, you wouldn't have to do that. Um, and that's the thing that I've learned with this long live, be it if they start to get to a point of insulting, um, you know, if they will be unwilling to acknowledge those good things around it on that side, it's more of where you know you're probably kind of winning the debate at that point in the discussion and where it is because you have somebody that's sort of emotionally decided where they want to be with an individual player or how they outlook on a player. And, you know, that's what I always try to fight against as I can, be it a player, what, what is the good, what is the bad side? There's going to be one that one part that outweighs the other part, but you've got to acknowledge those good parts that are in there. And if you don't, I think it's an an example that you got kind of predetermined biases built in, because there's certainly enough with those two guys you mentioned in particular. But all things, I mean, even a guy like in Carroll, there's things in there you can find positive if you may be an anti-Carroll person. I can see how you could say, well, there's way more negative. Okay, well, I get that. But there's that positive in there too that can't just be glossed over anyway either just to in order to win the argument win the win the day so to speak well said long live it's a frustration of mine too and that's where you like when the debates where you can get to both sides going okay look i acknowledge this but there's this hey i acknowledge that but there's also that yeah uh thank you man appreciate you garth knight thank you for the fiver Pumpkin, Merry Christmas, and thank you for looking over your left-handed guy who provides food. By the way, Pete Carroll invests in Comcast. <laughs> Garth with a subtle Mariners joke there buried on the Comcast one. I love that, Garth. <laughs> That's awesome. Garth says, thank you. Garth says, thank you too. He appreciates it, Garth. Yeah, she's happy about that. He says, thank you. But appreciate you, Garth. Merry Christmas, man. Robert Jimenez, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, walking Pacino, Nolte reactions to the win. All right, I got you on this. I came down to Knoxville, Tennessee. Warm day in the middle of winter. What happened? Well, I'll tell you now. Seahawks walked in that stadium out of 10-gallon hats. Guitars. And they smashed the guitar all over the knee. The pieces. Nothing left. No music left in the Music City. Sorry, Tennessee. That's just how we do it in Seattle. It's the way we roll. We walk out of the stadium, snapping drumsticks over a knee. No more music for you. No playoffs. Your year, bye. 
Playoffs, hello, I see you, we're coming, it's us, and then look out, nobody expects anything. We can do what we want, and we will, come playoff time. Be ready. What do you think, Al Pacino? I'm going to tell you right now, there's not many of the faithful who believes we can win. I hear you out there. Sure, we're dead in the water. That we're a lifeless corpse rolling over the waves, heading over the side of the cliffs. I want you brought back to me now, here. Control your fate. That's what we got. Move the right way. That's what you got. Can you do that, Seattle? Can you go with this team into the back door of the playoffs? If you're in the back door, front door, I ask you, are you in? Are you in? The answer is yes. What matters most? I say that. But only one man can really explain this. That's Nick Nolte. Nick, are the Seahawks going to be playoff team? Don't ask me any question. I'm busy drinking. It's Christmas. God damn it, I drink that Christmas. I don't care about the sales. Right now is not a good time for Nick. Christmas, he's kind of low. <laughs> there you go, Robert. Thank you for the $2 dono. Nick gets in a more foul mood when it comes to Christmas time. He's just more inaudible than ever. It's, it's unfortunate with Mr. Nolte, but, uh, you know, he's kind of wired and tense, you know. Gotta be careful with him on that. Um, Jamarcus White says, with a sloppy win, we should have hit our stride a while ago, but it's the same old, same old. Indeed, uh, you are going to maybe get in the playoffs. Uh, you'll get these next two wins, but it might very well be, Jamarcus, that one of the tires blew out. We lost our carburetor, and we've just been working off the downhill momentum for the past uh, couple weeks. But we may get on the back of that, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it has still looked ever more similar, I think. Nate, I was hoping the Hawks would mess around with the Titans' defensive backs uh, a bit. I wonder why they didn't mess with the backfield a bit. I don't either. I've been waiting for about three months for a sluggo route, stop and go, you know, take a little bit of advantage of some of the aggressiveness of the corners that play us. Haven't really done much of that, though. Haven't done any of that, sorry. Flags as Cowboys are sliding. Well, they're back up 2019 in this one. It's the Dolphins. We'll see where they land. TJ says, did we barely win against backups? Yes. <laughs> Robbie Red says, uh, post-grade for Leonard Williams trade, I'd give us a B plus. Yeah, I think it's, it is somewhat built upon, I think, the grade, Robbie, on whether or not you're re-signing him. Because if you're doing a go for it move and you, I mean, look, if he gets you, he might be the difference between you getting the playoffs or not, to your point. So even then, I guess it would be, I'll just, let me, let me just agree with you. I agree. Yeah. I'll go B plus on the move. And I, and I do expect them to re-sign him. But he had another good game out there again today. I thought overall, he played well. And um, yeah, I think that's fair. Tommy says, this is an A for me if they re-sign him. It's a B minus if they make the playoffs and don't re-sign him. It's a D if they don't make the playoffs and don't re-sign Leonard Williams. Why, wow, you wrapped it up much better than I did. That's where I was trying to get to on a little bit of the 
well, if it's this, if it's that, if it's this, if it's that. It's an A if they do resign him. Agreed with you there. Um, I'd go with a B if he gets you into the playoffs because if you just barely get in the playoffs at this point, I could certainly say Leonard Williams was the difference between you getting in and not getting in because he's been the best defender on your defense since, I think, coming over. Because Witherspoon is kind of not, not fade-faded, but not just played as necessarily as great as he was. Trevor uh, Larius, honestly, it might be good if the Niners get a bye week so we won't have to play them, at least for the wild card. Bingo, Trevor. That's what I'm saying. You're telling me we get in the back door of the playoffs. It's, it's a, to me, a, a horse of a whole nother color. Last year, going into the Niners, remember our team was bit, beat to hell versus, let's say, playing the Eagles, who may not be at their best right now, who we just beat a couple of weeks back prior. Now it's on the road. That's true. But uh, I like my chances in that game a lot more than I, li- I liked it if we were having to go back on the road against the Niners in the opening week of the, the bye. Chosen one says, I haven't seen Will Disley all season. Time for an upgrade. He's definitely still remained a pretty good blocker in there for you, Chosen. But as a pass catcher, he's not bringing a whole bunch. And it's tough to be paying the amount you're paying him when you're not really getting any kind of um, upside from him as a pass catcher outside of the occasional six-yard throw and him getting drugged down to the ground. So uh, he's going to be a guy, one of about six or seven guys this offseason that they're going to take, I'm sure, a very close look at to decide whether or not they want to cut or move on, or do whatever with it. Tayo206, I feel Seattle's offense is too predictable at times. Somebody else was saying that above too as well, Tay. I think that's a common sentiment out there amongst Hawk fans, and it's one that I agree with. I think you can too often predict stuff that's going down with this offense and what they're going to do, and that's the opposite of what you want offensively. You don't want the defense to step ahead of you. You want to be a step ahead of them. You know, when I can sit there and say, okay, it's second and nine. Seahawks have a tendency this year to run the ball up the middle on second and nine. And here comes a read option run right up the middle out of shotgun. Like, look, I, I can predict that easily. You damn well better believe the defense not only has predicted that easily, they've got the guys ready post-snap to go exactly to where that play is going. Why you get so much penetration? Guys are shooting gaps, knowing where things are going to go. William Leonard says, Greg Olson ruined the Dalboys, Dolphins, Cowboys game. I had to change the channel. He drives a lot of people crazy. I don't know. He's, Romo could be divisive, but people loved him or hate him. With Greg Olson, I don't hear a lot of people that are like, yeah, Greg. Robbie says we gave up a second round pick for him, but Eskridge was also a second rounder, and look where that got us. Oh, you're talking to Tommy, sorry. Sorry, my bud. Ethan says Colby posted a note he got saying he has a drug test. Yeah, they're weird. They're weird random about it. Jamarcus, no update on Jordan Brooks. I'll tell you the way it was being helped off the field, though. I'd I'd measure to guess Jamarcus. It's probably minimum a high ankle sprain, which would pretty much shut him down for the year at this point, if that's the case. Long live the key. <laughs> DJ Dallas doesn't want to be back there. <laughs> Maker says DJ gives me a heart attack. He freaks me out. It just, I, there are not a lot of guys back, but I can tell when you're not comf- comfy back there doing it. He's back there like if he drops the punt, he's going to lose his life. <laughs> and Tay, I could go for some more Seattle trick plays too. Well, you saw that from the Titans offense. They knew they were limited. It's like once you found out with us, okay, we're limited in the game. Go to some more trick play stuff. Try to dial some things up to get a little more creative with it. 
Tyler says DJ Dallas is going to be gone next season. Hopefully we get Kenny McIntosh, some punt return opportunities. I'd like to see that too, Tyler. And yeah, I can't see there being any way right now that they're going to re-sign soon-to-be free agent DJ Dallas this offseason. That doesn't seem like that's really a potential likelihood. Nicholas says, uh, Glassbridge was a second rounder, I believe 39 pick, 39th pick a couple years ago. I could be wrong on the exact pick, but I feel it was pretty early in the second round. Yeah. It was, it was, I think it was mid, it was mid-ish. It was mid-ish, I think, Nick, I, I don't know. Early to mid-ish, maybe. It's a second round pick that you blew, you know, either way. Tommy says, we can't run the ball. We can't stop the run. Every year, it's the same thing. What is frustrating is Pete points it out game after game, year after year. Still can't solve it. New regime needed. It's going to go into a big basis on my decision-making on Pete as I go into the offseason, just from my personal perspective. And what you'll hear from me on this channel is going to be on how well has the team dealt with issues in recent years to fix those issues, especially from a coaching perspective. What have you done to solve this? What have you done to solve that? Have you tried just simply the same steps over and over again? Have you tried new things that haven't worked? Have you tried new things that have worked? You know, where, where does that all stand? Maker says, why Tomlin? He's a carbon copy of Pete. Yeah. I like him as a coach that I think can put, put a good team together. And if he doesn't have general manager control and you have the right general manager giving him the right talent, I think it could be a little bit of a, he's got some potential to him. But again, I don't want defensive minded coach. I'm a, I'm a no on. Looks like the chat's a no on that as well. Lou says DK inside route shielding the defensive back. He's too big and strong. He is. They can run that slant route, Lou, out of the slot all day to DK, and it seems like he's going to get that anytime they want to go to it. As long as, of course, Gino throws it right and doesn't throw it back to the defender and puts it out, on the, out in front on the body, DK can get there all day long if they want to go to those. Canna McAfee, I agree about DK. We're not maximizing him, maximizing him, and I think he knows it. It's part of why he gets frustrated. I'm sure it is. I, it, it's been an issue also. It's been going on for a couple of years, and this is where I have sympathy for DK. You know, you, it's if you're out there winning and you're dominating and you're being a contending team, you know, truly a top-end contending team, that's one thing if you have a receiver squawking when you've been a team that's been struggling to find your footing at times in the last couple of years, that struggling on offense at times, that, you know, and then you're forgetting he's sort of there as they seem to do. It's just not a matter of, well, we're trying to target him. We just can't get him the ball. It's just that you literally just don't have the quarterback even looking his way. And I get that he gets double teamed a lot, but that's where the offensive coordinator's got to be creative in his approach and employ something or employ, employ a creative manner there to overcome that. And there are ways of doing that. One of the nice ways is moving DK inside like they have to the slot and utilizing him in there a little bit more often. Well, the King says, a wise man once said, I'd rather be lucky than good. Yeah, that's a good, I, I like that quote. Rod Jackson says, no doubt DK was torching teams in 2020. We've seen what he can do. Definitely needs more targets. That's what I'm glad you guys agree where I'm at with it. I just, I don't want to, the answer on DK is not in the inability to, to fully maximize him, to move off of him. It's to learn 
how to fully maximize them. You don't let these kind of game-changing talents like this out the door in that way for those reasons, you know. Dino says, uh, Merry Christmas to all and a good tidings as well. Now smoke them if you got them. And may future Hawk opponents all go to hell. May they all go to hell, Dino. May they all go to hell. Well, hand grenade beat affects the trout population. <laughs> Lou, uh, why we continue to throw the ball outside and nothing over the middle is Pete's issue. Yes. I think it's a Pete thing. Hard to believe that uh, that's something that Waldron wants to lean into doing. Reek 206 says they've never been dominant besides on the defense for a while was dominant, but the offense always struggled. Yeah, we were never super consistent as an offense. A lot of boom and bust. We were hot and we were a streaky offense. But when we'd get cold, we could be ice cold even through the any time in the teens. No fucks, go Hawks, man. I hope you have a better Christmas, no fucks. You got family here. If the rest of your fans pass, you got family in here, brother. Uh, Gart says Pete hates Godzilla and Kong. Uh, Cole Hangrenace says, bro, Cooper had 261 game. Yeah, he went off. He went off. And that's no Deshaun throwing to him. How about Cooper? He's really rounding out to having a hell of a career. Kind of like uh, Brandon Cooks. We're just churning out the thousand yard seasons every, every single year. Cannon says, those penalties this late in the season are one of the best in indicators of coaching problems. Yeah, that's one of those problems too that I don't think that we can talk about things that we might have optimism or hope for that Carol will fix and, and we'll find some answers for. The place that I come to that it will never be, I think, a, a part and parcel of what you get with Pete is a penalty-free team, a team that's going to be top 10, hell, even top 15. You're not going to ever be in the top 15 for the least penalized teams with a Coach Carroll-led team. You never have been in his entire time here in Seattle. So to expect it to happen now in the future is just not. Now, if he's got these other things he's taking care of, where the defense is handling its business, offense is handling his business, special teams handling his business, he's got his culture running and the chemistry cooking and everybody's bought in, you can overcome the uh, undisciplined penalty stuff. When that other stuff is also failing on top of it, uh, then that's where it becomes uh, too much. You know, but I don't know if it'll ever get fixed really, Cannon, just because I just don't think that that's really something that he puts as much a, onus upon. Jason C says Metcalf hopover was amazing. Oh yeah, he cleared the, the hurdle play was awesome, Jason. Showing off a little bit of that 40 inch vert. The catch was insane too because he's got it, you can see it on the thumbnail that I put on the uh, channel for the post game discussion here. He's got a guy pulling his arm like this so he's got to tip the ball up not because he can't, somebody, well it's because he can't catch it. He's got his arm pulled back so he's tipping the ball up until he can wrench his arm free for the uncalled penalty there, by the way. And as he's wrenching it free, regain control of the ball and then toe tag, drag, swag that back foot with the front foot down, getting the catch made. Uh, just a tremendous catch because there's like two or three things that have to happen at once. Bubble had a similar catch this year down on the sideline on a similar kind of throw where it's, it's a real hard difficulty of degree catch because the guy's pulling on you. It ain't physicality where you're just getting jostled by the player next to you. It's a guy actively pulling you, pulling you away from trying to make the catch. 
and uh, he was able to reel it in. A hell of a grab, too, there by DK, but he played, a, he played just a, a, a great sensational game. Jason says, is Pete Carroll's strategy of winning the game in the fourth quarter? Duh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Luke moved from, uh, Luke 99, moved from Spokane to Northwest Arkansas a year ago. It's about an eight-hour drive to Nashville. We took our boys to the game for the Christmas. There was a ton of Hawk fans. Merry Christmas. Go Hawks. That's cool that the Hawk fans showed up out there. That'd be maybe one of those stadiums, Luke, I might think. Oh, we may not have as much turnout there as we'd have like with the Cardinals or once we go in the Rams stadium, you know. That's good you guys showed up. That's cool you showed up down there. And uh, your, your boys got to see a hell of a game. Hell of a game down there, Luke. Yeah, well, what a, what, a, what a chance to see that catch. Not just watch the football game to get that kind of exciting of a game. That stuff sticks with you. You know, those are some of those memories as a kid that, that stays with you forever, you know, when you get to see these kind of games um, where it comes down and you're, you are nervous at the end and you're, you're getting that emotion and excitement. Don, Don, the Hawks Nest. Hope, hello, everyone. Brandon all. Hope everyone's all well. Hope you are too, Don. Merry Christmas. Dino says Waldron seemed to have forgotten where he came from. Indeed, I, I don't have a lot of explanation for it, Dino. I've, I've asked a variety of different people I know of that, that know quite a bit about football about, hey, are you seeing this live scene? Like, this offense doesn't look like anything like the Rams. You know, doesn't look anything like the Rams offense. He's, he's kind of, whether it's by Carroll's pushing him to do so or just on his own accord, he's kind of building his own thing, which makes me a little nervous because you signed up for the Waldron experience because you thought you were getting the McVay experience. Not its own new thing, you know. It's Pop-Tarts, but with marshmallows. Yeah. I just wanted the Pop-Tart. <laughs> um, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, Nick Nolte's face has lived many lives. To this day, I can't discern him from Gary Busey. Oh, I know, yeah. It's, it's, they're one of those, one of those guys, and you see a lot of people that just, they live every, Every, every year of their life, they've lived on their face and they've lived some, they've lived, they've gone, they've seen some things. I mean, geez, Nolte at 40 looked like he was 50, 55 and, you know, guys look like he's been smoking three packs a day since he was 11. But yeah, Gary, Gary's got that just, it's frenetic frenetic energy. With Nick, it's the intensity. But both of them are probably bat bat shit they're probably both one one too many tokens put in the slot you know what i mean thank you garth for the fiver uh snail says pete just stole my christmas tree and presents <laughs> is that krampus snail is is that uh the carol krampus got you you've been struck by the carol krampus sorry man but at least he didn't eat your children. That's, Krampus will do that. It's known. The tales have been told. Appreciate you, Snail. Sanchez, thank you for the $2 donation. It's a win, but nothing about it makes me feel good. The point of these back-end stretch of games for me and Mike making my full assessment of Carol and where I stand with him right now, to your point, Sanchez, is to see things stepping forward and progressing not maintaining where they are, not just 
barely keeping your head above water. We're not trying to do that, right? We want to get the head above water, get the body above water, get ourselves dried off. We want to progress. If not to get to this season into a place of contending, to get some confidence and optimism to next year becoming a contender. And if the team is merely keeping their head barely above the water through the end of this year, playing against opponents like the Tennessee Titans that are not only not a particularly good opponent to go up against this year, that's not a playoff team you're playing on the road, but a team that's down basically, what, half their defense just about, collectively speaking, that you couldn't move the ball against all day long. And in a defense that took all these steps to supposedly stop the run this offseason, you're, you're still struggling throughout now to stop the run. So we come back to, again, those things that are issues that have been here, that remain here. And then how do I have confidence that they won't remain in the future simply by you just signing guy number A or guy number B? It seems like there's some more steps that need to be taken to really, truly fix it that go beyond that. So I get, that under, I get that outlook on this game, Sanchez, and I wouldn't push back against it at all. Uh, Gar, thank you for the $5 donation. What's uh, that loyal orange cat getting for Christmas outside of unconditional love? Get that cat some salmon ASAP. She just had some. So we had a salmon. We just had a salmon day here. And uh, I am trying to, if you notice, Garth, I get, I get cat shamed at the vet, okay? When, I, when she goes into the vet, they're like, you know, they're like, well, she's a pretty big girl. And I'm over there going like, can you still say that kind of stuff? I feel like you can't say that kind of stuff anymore. Which because she's a cat. Like, how much you feeding her? I don't know. She's, she's hungry. Okay. She's big boned. What do you want me to do? It's just how she's built. He gives me the starving look and the little freaking poos and boots eyes. What am I supposed to do? You know, they get all glassy and reflective looking at you. You're giving them salmon. But no, she's got a, she's got a hearty amount of salmon treats here and um, got some new scratchy pads here. We got a new, uh, Grandma got her a new, the new toy here, a little toy you can like. You guys ever seen the cattle? They get, they get the rubbing things for the cattle out there where they put it in the ground and the cattle will rub their face on it. And uh, they, the cattle love it. They'll like push each other out of the way just so they can get the rub in. So I got one of those now here in my house. It's basically just a total cat den here. It's, <laughs> it's going to be a while probably before I, I'm going to be a lock in the girlfriend if I, I, get a, I get a girl coming in this place. And going, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, just studio right in the middle of the uh, living room. Okay, that's good. But no, we'll get her some treats tonight, Garth, for sure, man. I'll say it's on you. It's on Garth, pumpkin. This one's on Garth. Uh, Tezukaku, uh, no, I didn't miss your super chat. Uh, did, you not, did you not hear my reaction on it? Oh, I, I did. I did miss your super chat. My bad, Tezukaku, my bad. Uh, thank you for another $7 donation. Um, and, and my bad, I'm sorry, it was an hour ago. I didn't mean to miss your deal on that. So my bad. This is a last set of questions. One, that play on second and goal where Charbonnet got no blocks and was met instantly. Thoughts? And uh, did you like Hall's play today? Great questions. And Tazakaku, thank you for your double donation. Sorry, I, it, I usually catch every one, but sometimes there's a uh, um, one that'll slip through the cracks there and I'll, I'll miss it through. So hopefully you're still on here in the, in the chat on that. Um, okay. So second and goal, 
Uh, Gino is in shotgun. Charbonnet is to his right. The edge player is to the play side right here. The Seattle Seahawks decide to leave the edge player unblocked, blocked down to the inside, and then their hope is that Charbonnet is going to be able to get to the hole before the unblocked defender can get down to the running back. I, I'm not sure. It's one thing, I guess, if you have Charbonnet to me, Tezakaku, and, and Charbonnet is on the left side of Geno, and the unblocked defender is over here on what would be kind of the weak side of the play at that point, right? Because now the hole can go to this it can go to this side as opposed to this. You're running it right into the unblocked defender. I mean, he's got to run two steps and then he runs into Charbonnet. It's a, it's a play that doesn't make any sense on how it's drawn up for why it, it worked. And this year, there's been a bit of a transition with the unblocked defender I've seen by how defenses play it. Um, they're making it very hard on offenses where I think it was much more predictable back in the day. If you went under center and play action, you have an unblocked defender. He's going to scrape down the line of scrimmage and try to help out in taking away the run defender. Now, oftentimes, you have the def edge defender just cook down and take out the quarterback. He's not even playing the run. He's just going to go whole hog at the quarterback and, and light him up. Um, likewise here, that's, that's an edge defender that on there, if you have a true read option game with Geno, this is why I don't like the shotgun runs out, down Tezakaku down by the goal line, is because there's no threat of Geno keeping it and taking it in on a read option keeper as evidenced by the fact that the crashing edge defender there took out the running back, that would have left the door open for Gino if he was reading the edge defender on a read option play. But it's not read option. You're just giving it as a running, as a, you're just giving it as a play, run play at that point um, right up over the thing. So the, the drawn up style of it's stupid. The, the lack of the fact that you don't challenge with the read options dumb. The not doing it under center is silly. I don't like the play call all the way around. I don't like leaving edge players unblocked unless you're going to the far other side of the field right? If I'm going to leave an edge defender block, like I say, I, I want to then be going out here. So he's got to get all the way down the line of scrimmage to get to that running back. I'm not going to run it right at him unless I'm really able, unless I'm like trying to target him and he sucks at tackling and he can't play the run for anything. And that's a whole nother discussion, but by and large, that's not most edge players. So don't like it. Not a fan of a Tezukaku. I, I, I don't, I, the shotgun runs at goal line are just uh, under center, under center. Give me some play rollouts or give me some, give him a chance to build up some speed as he gets to the line of scrimmage when you're only needing a yard or two, right? That's the other thing that happens there is when you do give the back the ball, okay? So he's at a standstill point. You're giving him the ball. Now he's got to get up to speed by he gets to the line of scrimmage as opposed to when you have the running back, quarterback going back there and handing off, he gets to the line of scrimmage. He's up to full speed. He's a big back like Charbonnet. So if you get him up to speed and with some momentum going forward, it makes it that much harder to just bring him straight to the ground. If he gets hit, if he gets tackled, he's going to fall forward and, and get you actually, potentially, if not a touchdown, he'll get you down, you know, close to it. So not a fan. I know I gave that a long thought. Uh, Hall made a couple of splash plays today. He showed up a little bit more than he has in recent times. Uh, I don't know if I go so far as to say he played a really good game. Um, certainly there's some, some of those moments in this game, for instance, a couple of those runs were to his side. One where he sort of shot the gap inside his job is to stay out there and set the edge. And he totally gave up the inside leverage. He gave out the outside leverage to go inside. And I don't know why he predetermined to make that choice on that play where it's an outside zone run. You just walked out of the, you walked out of your whole responsibility there. But there were other plays where he played really good. And there have been some splashy plays from him this year. And I still do have some hope from him in the future. So it's been a better game from Hall than we've seen in recent weeks. I think he got more snaps out there than he's had in recent weeks. Um, it'd be great to see him in these final couple of games, maybe Tezukaku to start to kind of 
see that light bulb, if it doesn't go on fully, maybe it starts to move up off of the dim state that it's been in a little bit more often than not this year. Uh, Tez, I'm sorry, a little late on your uh, donations. Didn't mean to miss your, uh, miss your questions there. Appreciate you reminding me in the chat. If I do miss your donos, everything, I'm always reading every chat that is in here. So I'll at least be able to catch it back there if I happen to miss it, but I'm really sorry for that. I thank you so much for uh, your donations and support. Stephen Goodyard says, I wonder what the official was thinking while reviewing the DK catch. Hmm, geez, the defender is holding the receiver's arm. Oh, that's not pass interference. Let's see, one-armed catch. <laughs> yeah, 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 I've, I've said it and we've seen it many times since I brought it up to you guys. There, there are the hack-a-shack rules that have been applied to DK Metcalf when it comes to what players are really allowed to get. I was surprised they called the PI on him when the guy grabbed on and draped onto his, onto his waist. He's at least started to get some calls, I'll say that. And maybe that'll start to make these defenders dial back a little bit about the amount of physicality that they're seeking to employ. And I'm talking way well beyond the five yards of the route that he, they're supposed to be allowed to do that in. And um, he's able, strong enough to fight through it many times and still go up there and make that catch and grab. But it doesn't change your original point, which is that there probably should be a PI call there. Probably should just call the, call the penalty. Yeah. Gen Z, can someone address Geno Smith? Not a sports psychology, but he looked depressed and out of touch with reality. I, I don't know. I, I can't read in too much myself, Jason, on, on the read and the body language thing. We can get general feeling from where they're at, but he, hell, he, he certainly brought him home at the end there. I mean, he, he couldn't, I don't think he's bringing that home if he's depressed there at the end um, with what he did on that last drive. DJ says, I don't know, man. Shane calls better plays for Drew Locke than he does for Gino. I mean, the, the, I didn't think the offensive attack was all that great last week against the Eagles in, their, in what they did. I, they did a lot of short passing, and it was a lot of four-yard completions, but I don't know if you were accomplishing a lot necessarily uh, from an offensive perspective with that approach, and it was more the ground game that was getting it done through last week's game up until that final drive with Drew Locke than anything else. I think they were trying to put more of the uh, training wheels on the offense last week for Drew Locke. I think this week you you – when you have Drew out there or when you have Gino out there, you let him run full and unhindered. I think Drew could run it full and unhindered. I think the coaching staff just chose to put the training wheels on the offense last week for him. But in running it more unhindered, you have more of the potential there that you're, you, you know, a, a plays where that long developing don't work, don't look as good, darn as clean, cause, but you're hoping for more success with that that you also didn't get on the other side of that. Luke uh, 99 says, we had an awesome time. Tommy, uh, thank you. Oh. Sorry. Uh, that we've never been to Tennessee and I's in a good place to eat. Oh, <laughs> Rod Jackson says, ha, nice Pacino. Thank you, Rod. <laughs> Appreciate it. I'm working on it. I'm working on the owl. Trying to get I'm trying to trying to get my Jack Nicholson going, but that's a tough one to hit. Jamarcus, I uh, like Drew Locke for some reasons, and I like Gino for some reasons. Both have downsides. Drew gets the ball out a lot quicker and is much more. Uh, Gino is usually super accurate and more of a risk taker. Fairly fair. I, I think that there's a little bit of that to the assessment. I think Jamarcus with the like last week in the game that was a little bit of a, to me, the game plan last week was indicative of one where they wanted to protect Drew Locke. Not because Drew Locke can't let it rip and, and, and unveil the hose, the grand hose, the fireman's hose, 
but because of the, the fact that they were aware of his penchant for turnovers. And Drew just has a little bit of a, to me, they're very close. I think they're very close to Marcus, to your point on, they're very close players to each other at the end of the day. I think that there is this, this scale difference of, I think you feel a little bit more freedom to be able to run Gino with the full assortment of the offense because he can take some of those risky throws and not always feel like there has to be a turnover risk to the throw that you get a little bit with the lock experience. But they're not a huge difference between the two. I prefer Gino more just by a little bit to Jamarcus. But they're very, they're very close in skill set and what they bring to the table. Garth Knight, thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate you for all your donations, Garth. This is Brando. I seen an old schooler with a leather Seahawk helmet and a Witherspoon jersey in those Tennessee stands. Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Leather helmet. You're rocking the leather helmet in the stands. Your cool factor goes up by at least 100 points. And then you combo it with a Witherspoon as well. That's, that's kind of making a statement. That's saying something, you know? I got to maybe rock that look at some point during, the, during a stream, Garth. That's a, that's a hard look. It's a hard look, those other old leather helmets. Guys getting their mugs ripped off. That is cool, though. Hopefully somebody got a picture of it. Nice to hear the Hawk faithful. I would not have thought, Garth, that the Hawk faithful would have showed up as strong out there in Tennessee, but we travel. We travel everywhere. I love that. Uh, Cameron, thank you for the $5 donation as well. Says, I wish Seattle would use tight ends. We've had Noah fan for two years and do nothing with him. He's so good. Yeah, indeed. Uh, it's been a struggle this year in figuring out the tight end position. Um, many have wondered, is this because of the fact that Coach Carroll is telling Shane Waldron to not throw into the middle of the field? Because, you know, it's kind of hard to utilize tight ends if you don't throw into the middle of the football field, isn't it? Don't know. Don't know if that's the case or not. To your point, though, bottom line in this game, you've got um, – Noah Fant comes out of this game with not one single target. One target to Disley, one catch, six yards. Four targets to Parkinson, three catches, 17 yards, and a touchdown. So, you know, the weird thing with it is, and this was this way last year, and I think it's been this way this year too, is that when you do tend to target him, there tends to be success, at least in their conversions of targets to catches. But whether it comes to Fant, Disley, or Parkinson, there's just no real commitment to featuring them at all. Which is strange to your point, Cameron, being that not only has Fant been a very solid to, to good player um, throughout his time as, in the NFL here, but also because you committed to paying the guy $6 million. We're going to pay you $6 million because we like you in this offense. We think you're going to have a, a real place in this offense to do some work and do some damage. I'm not talking about being like a thousand yard tight end here. I'm just talking about like carving out a six, 650, 700 yard kind of season from that tight end point. But he seems to be good for a best two targets a game. And uh, that's about it. Like him and DK are like both two players on the offensive side of the ball that you just um, have this weird tendency to sort of forget you have them on the on your field to use. Um, but when you do target them, they do uh, they tend to do pretty good damage, Cameron. I think it comes back to that middle of the field stuff. Hard to target, hard to target tight ends if you're not going to use them up the seams. Not going to use them inside. That everything's got to be on out routes to get the ball to them. Sanchez, thank you for the five dollar donation. Our offense is like a Scooby Doo villain. Once you take off the McVeigh mask, it's thirty year old Pete laughing. 
<laughs> That's a great way of putting it, Sanchez. Uh, that is a great way of putting it. And uh, indeed, when it comes to the offense and defensive approach, it has remained pretty much the same as what it was four or five years ago. Um, I don't know this for sure. I'm giving it a lot of thought. But when I look at the way that two years ago you say you're going to make your changes offensively and defensively with the hires you did and schematic structure changes that you were looking to implement, that you were acknowledging the old no longer worked. You at least, at the very least, acknowledged at that time it didn't work. So when I see you still using the old, I just have to think then that you're, you're, if I was to take Coach Carroll and kind of put him on a lie detector test, he'd say, you know, it's not a matter of that my scheme is broken or doesn't work principally from a structure standpoint. The problem comes into that football is cylindrical and it goes into these cycles. And we just happen to be at a low end cycle for the heavy zone cover three defense, but yet it will find its day again. And that there seems to be this, and it'll find its day again here soon, very quickly, like tomorrow, is a little bit of my wonder of what Coach Carroll thinks on this stuff. It's the, to me, only, not the only, but one of the mainly only explanations for why you wouldn't continue to bring on the changes that he himself said need to be brought on a couple of years ago. This becomes a heavy, heavily guessed thing, and we're trying to kind of put the pieces together on this one a bit. But uh, the bottom line is of is it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why you get Shane Waldron and you have an offense that doesn't look like McVay's offense, but looks like the Seahawks 2018 offense. It doesn't make sense if you went to the Vic Fangio cover two shell defense a couple of years ago and you don't really run much cover two shell. You certainly don't do much uh, disguising pre to post snap, which is really one of the centerpiece points of the whole defense, if you're going to bring it on, is that you're trying to confuse the opposition. Yet we don't, seek to, we don't seek to try to even attempt. And let me say this again. We do not seek to even attempt to try to confuse the opposition pre-snap as to what we're going to do. It's not a debatable, not an arguable point. If you're a pro-Coach Carroll person, you could be pro-Coach Carroll on a lot of different points. But when it comes to the predictable nature of your defense, we are 32nd. Say this nice and slow. We are 32nd in the NFL and being the most predictable team by what we show you in pre-snap coverage to what you see post-snap coverage. If we show you cover three, corners off coverage, single high safety, you're getting cover three post-snap. We show you cover two, that's what you're showing you pro-snap, you're getting cover two post-snap. It's Show you cover four, align in that, down having one side where the corner's up, in up on press coverage, and the other corner's an off-look coverage, that's what you're going to get. And that makes it easy to play. So, uh, yeah, Sanchez, I, I, I don't know for sure the answer on this one. I'd love to ask Coach Carroll about it. Um, he loves to win in a certain way. He wants to play the game in a certain way. He wants to accomplish victory in a certain way. And he believes in that path. And maybe he's right on this one. But it does get frustrating when you as a fan go, wait, you're just trying the same, the same methodology. We're going to do the same approach every week. Every week. Okay. Here we go. Tezakaku, thank you for the $2.79 uh, donation. And uh, I did hope you get that answer on that one don't know there. I know it was almost an hour late. Uh, have you noticed the bad snaps from our center? Yes. Uh, increasingly has become a problem as the year has worn along, Tezakaku, and specifically the high snaps. Uh, there was one play that completely got the whole momentum of the play. We were trying to do a 
uh, an outside zone run out of shotgun to Walker. So it's one of those plays that's going to take a second for Walker to get to that outside zone because he's got to cross around Geno Smith to get to the outside zone. So in that place, when you get the snap, you need it to be bang, 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 right? You need to get to the handoff, like instantaneous off the snap so that he can attack to that edge as quick as possible and get there. If the quarterback's got to leap up like this, come back down and then hand it off, that's given that extra half step to the defense that they then need to then throw the play completely into the trash compactor. So I don't know why Evan Brown suddenly is starting to have problems with snapping it high. Um, he's maybe just in too much of a rush to, guy, to get to his to get into his block and to get the block laid. But Geno's having to sometimes do some acrobatics back there to try to catch the snaps. And it's it's when your quarterback's got to take his eyes, he's looking at the field, looking at the field, and then he's got to look down instead of looking down, just get the snap and look back up. He's got to go up here and then come back down. And then look at what's happening. Chances are that play, much like that running play to Walker, is going to go to hell. You know? Chances are that that's, that, that that's going to happen. But yeah, Tyler Gakko, I've noticed there was at least three or four bad snaps in this game. I think he's had a couple of others in recent weeks as well. And... Uh, it again becomes a little bit interesting on this one, Tez, because you do wonder a little bit like, is, is Olotimi really not a better option versus what Evan Brown's given us? Because he's not giving you a particularly great performance around the bad snaps. And I'm sure he does a hell of a job calling the line calls down there as a vet, but uh, got to get those snaps about two feet down a little bit lower. And if he whistles, he cannot whistle one over the top of Gino here one of these weeks. Please don't do that, you know? But I have noticed that, Tez. Thank you for your donation. Um, Mitchell Bonner, thank you for a $5 donation. And Merry Christmas. Says, that was hilarious. Laughing out loud seeing Colby's drug test after the game. That was a man's catch. What was the... Uh... That was a man's catch on DK's catch. That was a grown man's catch right there. Just DK is... Oh, he's so awesome. I just... I want him to be a Seahawk forever. I don't care. Um, yeah, why, why was, I wonder what they did. Cause sometimes it's like, you'll have a, they'll drug test a guy who goes out there and has a ham game and he just goes off. I wonder what the reasoning is behind drug testing Kobe coming out of this game. That's definitely completely random. <laughs> like he didn't beast up or anything in this game. You know, he didn't do any, like I, I could see him like drug testing Quandre or something after a couple of the hits that he put out there, you know, that would at least make maybe a little bit of sense. But, uh, that is pretty funny. NFL's weird with their drug testing stuff. <laughs> Appreciate you, Mitchell. Uh, Snail, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, yeah, Pete is pass happy and shotgun and goal to go. Yeah, I, it's definitely been prevalent throughout the team, the shotgun and goal to go stuff, but I, I hate it. Especially you're going to leave unblocked defenders off the edge. It's like, how does that supposed to be successful? I don't get I need somebody that knows more about football than me to explain that one to me. I mean, he doesn't even have to have the tie. It's not even like he's extended on the line and you have a tight end on that far edge of the line and he's got to get past the tight end, past the tackle, past the guard, then get to Walker. It's guard tackle, you know, it's just, it's two man all the way. And they just go right down to the, they block down to the play. I remember watching it going, geez. What is this design? What is this? 
But yeah, it's been through there throughout the year, Snail. It's, it's just a common part. I'd be fine with it if you actually had a quarterback that could keep the read option off the play. It makes sense. But there's no way in hell Geno's keeping that. There's no way in hell Drew's keeping it. So you sort of remove the effectiveness of that play at that point, especially down there where everything becomes so compact. Snail with another $2 dono. Thank you. Says, uh, Pete Carroll is probably the Zodiac killer too. <laughs> Wait a second. He is from California. No. Uh, Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. Says, on this Xmas Eve, I drink to John Stillwell playing jazz guitar out there for people who pretend to enjoy jazz. Just kidding, Johnny. Merry Christmas. Well, if John uh, Stillwell's out there listening, Merry Christmas to you, John. I hope you uh, are having a really great one out there. And thank you, Garth, for all your donations and support, not just tonight, but throughout this year. Uh, as you've been here for many years doing that, giving that support out. And uh, I really do appreciate it. Garth, you, uh, John, all the, the like in your snail, um, Tezakaku, Mitchell, all of you folks, Cameron, uh, you guys are, you know, Randall McDaniel would help uh, make this channel roll and, and make, allow me to be able to do this just full time, let it rip, you know, so to speak. So uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it for all the donations. And John Stillwell, if you're out there, lots of love out to you. And uh, hopefully you are playing a, a tasty lick out there somewhere tonight. Somewhere out there tonight. Mark says two minute warning and the Dolphins are in field goal range. Let's see how they did. I'm probably late on that deal. Let's see if they pulled it off. Dolphins got it. The Dolphins take down the Cowboys 10 to 5. See, I like that because this means it's more assured than that the Eagles win the the Eagles win the uh division. And then we I'd rather play the Eagles than the Cowboys at this point. I like me, says I agree with those grades. We need to resign it. We need to resign him. Dude's a menace out there. We do. I like me. He's got to be the and this is where we're gonna come to. I'm gonna do a video tomorrow that I'm dropping. Uh keep on the lookout for it. Subscribers to the channel. Um, I'm doing a Jamal video that'll be out tomorrow, making the case for why it's time to move on from Jamal Adams. That's your $16 million saved on the salary cap instantaneously. And a big chunk of that to me goes right over to, um, right over to the big cat. And, uh, it doesn't have to all be eaten up by the big cat, but I'm going to make him my beginning point signing of this off season. He is the highest priority free agent. And uh, I think that's a great way to put it. He's been a menace. He's been a menace out there. Luke 99 says, thanks. I think my wife was just talking about the distillery. The thanks for the ideas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Robert says, thank you for the impressions, Brando. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Merry Christmas. You are as well, Robert. Merry Christmas. You can see, can someone address, uh, oh, sorry. Robert says, I heard Mike Tomlin's coming back to coach the Steelers in 2024. Yeah, see, it's just, it's not a franchise that moves off its coaches slowly, but slowly, you know? Even Coward wasn't, Coward wasn't forced out the door. I think he just retired. So they, they, you, you tend to have, 
you, they, it's going to take a lot for Tomlin to go, especially as he's kind of starting to round stronger, I guess, a little bit for them as the year has gone along. Jennifer uh, Cologne says, thank you, Seahawks, for winning on my birthday. Happy birthday, Jennifer. Now I can celebrate happily. Merry Christmas to Hawks Nest family. Go Hawks. Hey, go Hawks, Jennifer. A happy birthday to you. That's always tough when you got your birthday on Christmas Eve. It's like, well, sweetheart, we're just going to celebrate Christmas Eve and your birthday at the same time. Okay? So your, your birthday present's also your Christmas present. <laughs> Hopefully you didn't have to go through that, Jennifer. I always thought that'd be brutal. Uh, Kelly says, Merry Christmas all. How's Pumpkin doing on her predictions, by the way? He, he, he. She had us as 12 and 5. So she's, you know, she, she's kind of, she kind of sold on us on a few of those picks, Kelly. I ain't going to lie. But she's still got a chance to get this, you know, within a couple of games, which overall is pretty good. Greg says, Waldron took, taking three years to finally use DK deep again. It's embarrassing. Yeah. The lack of use of DK is so strange and, and unnecessary. King says, I'm the last seed in both my leagues that's in the playoffs. I think uh, I might be pulling the double upset this week. Let's go. You're the Seahawks of your fantasy leagues, is what you're saying. Heard Higgins and Pickens for the first time. Boy, Pickens, Pickens. Eight for you this week, King. I've been waiting for him to pop all week. Uh, Lou reminds me, if you guys do like what you're listening to today, please do hit that like button for me. Just a small little thing, but it's a big thing as it helps this channel out, helps me grow, helps me show up on other people's algorithm and whatnot. We're almost getting to 15,000 subscribers. That's the goal for this year. We got until February to get there. So we got five weeks. I'd love to hit that mark here in the next five weeks. So if you're not subbed up, please do get subbed up. Help us uh, get there to the spot if you can. Really would appreciate it. And thank you, Lou, for reminding me on that too. Pretentious Cameron, I almost had a heart attack when I saw JSN bang his knee against the concrete. Glad he's okay. I am too. Wouldn't be surprised if that knee gets a little bit stiffer over the next couple of days because you, you smack it into concrete. There, there's no give to that. And uh, the Titans need to fix their effing stadium. You don't, we're in 2023. Why do we have exposed concrete to the players 10 feet off of the field? 10 yards off the field, whatever the hell it is. And it, it's just laziness. They haven't put a little bit of cushion in that one spot there on the, on the wall. But, you know, what if that had been his head sliding into that? You know, get, get some padding on the deal. Padding. Spend the 20 extra dollars and, and stop being cheap, Tennessee. But it's good to hear that he is okay. Flag says, man, the Bucks beat the brakes off the Jags. Jags just, we see it happen. It's a little, this Eagles have gone through this. We've gone through this a bit, you know, flag, you know, where you got the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs through the season as a team. And you, you get into that spot where you just can't quite get right. And things start to slide a certain way. And Trevor's not at hundred percent health. And, you know, you just can't quite get it. You know, you run out of gas a little bit. Great guy. Didn't see anybody on the, if anybody's got any injury report updates, please let us know. Would love to know on what we're at with that. John Perone says the choke boys lost. Laughing out loud, Hawks for life. DK, catch my hats off to all the playmakers today. Hell of a win. Hell of a win. And yeah, the playmakers did their job. You're Tyler Lockett, JSN, DK, man. 200 yards receiving between the three of them. They were money all day long. All day. Uh, Joe Z, thank you for the $20 donation. Joe, thank you so much for the big donation. Very kind of you, man. Merry Christmas to you. He says, Merry Christmas to you, B. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Joe. 
Great work all year. Glass is half full. I think the team is peaking at the right time. 99, 20, 11, 9 have been great. Uh, well said on your part. Julian Love really coming on strong as this year. His bore along. He had a hell of a hit early on in this game. Williams doing work. Jansen come, has just been every week showing up for us since an, kind of a slow early start to things. Um, and uh, certainly Kenneth Walker is doing whatever he can with whatever he's being given, and, and it ain't much. Walker's being given a couple morsels off of his plate, and he's turning it into a banquet. Uh, you know, the guy, uh, the guy has very few holes to work with when he gets the rock, but he finds a way to make it work. He finds a way to get some kind of productivity out on the ground game week in and week out, which is great to see. And nothing wrong with the glass half full outlook on things right now. I, as I've said, when we were even in kind of the, the lowest of low points on this one, I'm not hoping for this team to tank. I don't want to see them lose out. I don't, I'm not rooting for that team to do that. Let's try to go get this. I don't care how the season's looked. You get to the playoffs, anything can happen. And maybe the odds are long. Uh, maybe we'll have a, a replay of last year and go into the first round of the playoffs and we'll just get boat raced because we've run out of gas completely by that point. Or maybe we're able to go on a run. We'll just have to see how it goes, but I love the half-full outlook on your part. Uh, it's been a great year at the Hawks Nest, Joe. We've, uh, we've had the greatest year of growth here this season. We've gotten sponsorship this year. We're doing Bleach Report gigs now. It's been uh, a tremendous year. The future is looking really bright for this channel, and it is because of you guys, because of folks like yourself, Joe, and your support and, and the support that I get that is so much more over the top of anywhere else you see that's allowed me to do this full-time and start even a year ago to be able to do it full-time. Uh, and really pursue this as my dream. I don't have to rely on anybody hiring me. I don't have to go to some place over here or some over there. I got to set this up because you guys, we control this fully as we go forward. And um, I, love, I love where the future is going. You talk about half full, wherever the team goes, this channel is certainly in a, uh, the cup runneth over, you know? And that's a, it's a great thing in that respect. Thank you, Joe, though, for the $20 donation. Merry Christmas, a happy holidays to you and your family. And uh, well said on your part. Those are guys that have all stepped up right now and done not just their part and their role, but came up and made some impact plays that you've really needed their, their help with on that in order to win these games. And uh, the, you know, the future is definitely looking bright with the young players we have here from a foundational standpoint. Wherever this team, whenever this team is going to truly get to you know, true contender state or not, you've got the young collection of talent. Developing, putting that talent in the right place for success, all that stuff. Maybe questions remain for another day, but you have the talent to get it done at this point. Now it's just about putting all of it together. Yeah. But thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for all your support. Member of the channel. And a lot of donations I know you put in this year as well, too. So thank you so very much for that. Garth Knight, uh, thank you for the $5 donation. It says, a Christmas Jamal Adams video? Give me a Nick Nolte pissed off that Jeff Bridges got to work with a young Jessica Lang. I just, I want to sleep with her. Why does he, I, he sleeps with everybody. He's got a shelf fight for, he got a shelf fight for, and now he's going to get just like a wang. I'm just like a wang. I want just like a wang. Come on, you're just like a wang. I want her. <laughs> he's, Nick's mad about it. You know? God, give it to a pretty boy. <laughs> McNulty's, uh, yeah, he's had quite a young, uh, quite a young, you know, star-studded actresses who passed on him for, for Bridges. So it's, it's definitely a point of contention for him, Garth. <laughs> uh, thank you for the fiver. And yeah, it may be a Christmas video. 
I don't know. It's not super positive. So it may be one that I might want to wait until just after Christmas to drop. But uh, I'll definitely have it wrapped up by tomorrow for sure. I just got a couple little bits of uh, points to put in and it'll be good to go. But I'm going to make the case that, you know, not all his fault, certainly not all his fault, but uh, the time's just kind of come at this point to call the Jamal Ball, Garth. Daniel says it's Pumpkin's house at this point. You're all just a guest. That's right. That's right. Ethan says, Brando on the final drive, that throw by Gino to JSN was perfection. Any second earlier or later, and that's a fourth down situation or possibly picked off. Not to mention about three defenders around JSN. Yeah, it's where you've got to, this is that fair balance thing. And so you go to that first half of Gino and you, you can go, okay, that's Gino's day. He sucked today. He didn't get it done today. He, you know, bad throws, decision-making, tentative in the pocket, statue in the pocket. You start going down the line, but then you can't just, overlook the second half he has as well on the other side of it and some and those throws and understanding again when it comes down to it is you've got no ground game on a weekly basis from a Seahawk offensive perspective yeah you got a lot of talented playmakers to throw to the outside but your offensive line is not opening up any holes Waldron is not employing anything super creatively from his standpoint in the play calling to get you anything done as far as the ground game's concerned and so it's on Gino it's on Gino to make it happen and that's a lot to sort of, you know, always require of a guy. But there were those throws in there in this game where he pumped it in, and it's the combination of having to throw with both velocity and accuracy. And that's the hardest thing to do. It's whether you're throwing a baseball or a football. If you've got to throw that thing just about as hard as you possibly got to throw it and then put it into a pinpoint spot like you're talking about, that's, that is not easy. And like you say, props then to the wide receiver. We've seen this with DK as well in the last couple of weeks of times on balls that'll get whistled in there fast where out away from his body, thrown with velocity. He's got to make the ca- a tough catch because once the ball's coming in hot, that's a lot harder to reel that ball in in addition to all this. But to your point, you know how to, at least about five or six throws in this game where he had to lace that ball on time into a spot and be just about pinpoint with his location. And he did so and did so when it mattered most. Um, so you got to also give him the props on the other side with those throws that he did make in that second half. And yeah, that GSN one was, uh, that, had, that thing had smoke coming off the back of it. So to still be able to put it in the exact right spot, like you said, and the timing being absolutely perfect, like you also said, thing of beauty, thing of beauty. Tezikaku says, I lied, I had another question. Tezikaku, you can ask any, as many questions as you want, dude, bro. So feel free to ask away. You don't have to donate necessarily. I'm, we're gonna, I always like interacting with my chat. Uh, King says, Derek Hall had finally, uh, finally had his moments. Hopefully it'll result in some confidence for some reps. Still wasn't great, but he definitely played better. Yeah, definitely played better. And that's what we're looking for is just start to take some steps. Start to show me the, like I said, like a light dimmer. Maybe the light doesn't come all the way on, but you get a couple of, excuse me. Maybe you get a couple more steps up, you know, a little bit lighter. Now it says, uh, would you entertain a trade up for Daniels or another top tier quarterback in the draft? Seems to me like the move is to get a Super Bowl level quarterback now while we still have stats on rookie deals. Oh, stars. Sorry, Nas. Stars on rookie deals. Um, the only quarterback that I would trade up for in this draft is Caleb Williams. 
I'm, I'm not giving up the capital it would take to go up and get anybody else. Um, I, I guess if you're going to make a couple pay, you know, if you're going to move up three slots in the first round or something, that, you know, I'm not going to go to that sort of extreme. But, but the type of trade that I think you're talking about, giving up, you know, like a future first in order to get up there and go get him. Uh, I, I haven't done my deep dive on Daniels. I've watched a few of his games. I've obviously watched the highlight reel package. I like where he's come this year. I watched a couple of his games last year. So I, I've actually seen a good amount of him, but I haven't done the full deep dive on him where I'm really studying him and watching him at like super great in depth. Um, he checks a lot of the boxes, but I, I, there's an uncertainty to trade taking him in the first round. That's a guy that comes into this year, third round, third or fourth round talent that's now elevated up due to this Heisman year. That has me a little bit shaky about trading up for him. Would I just select him maybe potentially with a native first round pick or something like that? Sure. The other issue to consider with this Nas and bringing in a quarterback is while I agree with you, we have a lot of stars on rookie deals. The thing that I, I think that's more important than having stars on rookie deals when you bring a quarterback in is having an offensive line set up in front of them that's really top notch, that can really kind of carry the day and help him lift him up a little bit on their wings. And right now, I don't know that we have an offensive line that's lifting anybody up on their wings. It's not generating a lot in the running game and it's not consistently pass protecting well. So you put any kind of rookie quarterback into that scenario, I don't know that that's going to be a, a moment of, I don't know if that's a scenario you're setting him up to be successful in. Um, so I would like to get the line in place first. I'm okay with drafting a quarterback, but I would prefer not getting the cart before the horse on this. And it becomes the interior of the line needs, needs to get cleaned up before we get that quarterback. Or at the very least, make sure that we make that just as much of a priority as snagging the quarterback. And if you move up in the draft, of course, it very well could come up with the sacrifice of having to package picks in this year's draft, next year's draft, to get those offensive linemen who could then help this line out in the way that it really does truly need, regardless of who the, who the QB is. <laughs> Stale, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, Pete was greasing the ball in the first half. <laughs> just playing the cards close. That's what they call that, Snail. He just had those cards hev heavily close to the vest. Just press tight to that chest, man. That's all that was. Can't win that first quarter. Can't win in that second quarter. You can win in the third quarter. No. Thank you, Snail, for all your donos. Carlos Hernandez is after both performances between Gino and Locke. What do you think? I think Gino's the better quarterback. I think both of the QBs are really close in their ability on the football field. I think Gino's slightly better. I think he's got a little bit less injury-prone nature to his game than Drew Locke does. I think he has more of an ability to make the big-time throws without having to come at the cost of interceptions on the other end of it. But I do think that they are closer than they are further apart, Carlos. Uh, but Gino's the right answer to go with. <laughs> Greg Kemp says, Brandon, Brett uh, Coleman did a video on the Eagles and offense, and everything he said can be applied to the Hawks' offense if you haven't seen it. Good watch and agrees with a lot of your points about the Hawks' offense especially Hawks run game. I did. I will definitely check it out, Greg. Uh, I do like Brett Coleman's work and uh, he's done some great stuff in the past when he's covered the Hawks content. Um, in fact, Greg, you know, it's funny. I was, um, I'm doing um, the Jamal Adams video and in doing the research on the Jamal Adams stuff and going back through a couple of years of history on this Jamal stuff where, uh, you know, Coleman did back, I think in 2020, the video on the Hawks where the Hawks, defense is like a disaster he said or it was something horrible he was completely right of course but it was just funny going back and watching that video of his greg and how the very same things that he's talking about 
in that video from three years ago about the defense are the very same issues you see from the defense right now. It's, it's, it was kind of eye-opening going back and just, he gets, to very, he gets to certain very specific things. And I'm talking not the big picture stuff. I'm talking some minute detail stuff where you're just like, oof, <laughs> uh, still haven't fixed it. But I will, uh, Greg, it's a great recommendation and uh, I will check it out for sure. I love the work that Brett does. Greg says, it's crazy that at one point this season, fan had more yards than Tyler, but they stopped going to him. Yeah. As I say, when it comes to this team offensively, Greg, and kind of defensively too, we do a lot of counterintuitive things. This is going well. Let's run away from that. That's going badly. Let's lean into that. Uh, Kelly says, we didn't uh, get any of those looks today with the two, two tight ends lined up next to Ken. No, we didn't. Not really. They kept them on the line of scrimmage, Kelly. Brandon says, uh, yeah, the underutilization of the tight ends throughout the season has been a total head-scratcher. Pretty sure we flip at least two of those losses if we involve them more in the passing game. It does make the sense. I think that some of the year it's been, at times, trying to get JSN worked in, and so there's just been more three wide receiver sets and less tight ends on the field. But other times it's just, to your point on that, Brandon, just that they just forget, ignore, go away from. You, you just look at every single game when you check the box score and you're going, okay, you've had three, you got three legit tight ends. You got four targets between the three of them in this game. And you go, man, but why? And I, I, I don't have, I have no explanation for as much. The, the only explanation I can come to with this is you're trying to use a little bit of JSN at times and less tight ends. And then also the fact that the team just leans so heavily away from trying to attack the middle of the football field. Tommy says, Godzilla's lucky Pete Carroll doesn't live in Japan. <laughs> Pete Carroll. Adino, Pete Carroll doesn't like change. I bet he still has a pager. <laughs> Pagers are underrated, man. Pagers are big underrated. Tommy says Pete Carroll can change spark plugs on a diesel. Oh, Lordy. Tez Cocker, you don't know how much I listened while driving to college. The B&B show is my first listen. Well, thank you, Tez. I appreciate that. I love the idea of just listening to the background, working or driving or you know, helping you get through the workday or helping you get through schoolwork and some, some folks out there. I, I love that. So uh, thank you for listening, man. Thank you, for too, for all your support. Steven Gukian says, 100% agreed. We need the big cat. Yeah. It's Big Cat. He's, he's been everything that we hoped he could be and even maybe a little bit more when he brought him in. And I know the defense hasn't played its best when he came in here, but it is not because of him. Watching the All-22, he's doing his part. He's doing what he can. Um, I, I, he's, been, he's been great. The Big Cat's been just great. Mitchell says, yeah, that was a tough catch, pinning it against the sub's arm to bring it in. Yeah, it's, that's, that's not an easy one. Not an easy one at all. The Zilla Hawk, did you see the Mariners' recent pickup? I didn't. Who did they get? I got to be honest with you, Dezilla. Uh Seattle are going to get a two-year, $24 million with catcher Mitch Garver. Uh, they view him as their primary DH going forward.
So, uh, I mean, he brings a little bit of pat, right-handed bat, a little bit of, little bit of pop with Texas last year, backup catcher in DH. His strikeout rate's better than what we've run out there recently, Dazilla at the DH position, which will be nice. He'll put more contact on the ball. He'll hit for probably a little bit of a higher average, though. We've seen Dazilla. The thing with the stadium is that you go from any other, you go from a fairly hitter-friendly park in Texas to a pitcher-friendly park, the, maybe the most pitcher-friendly park in all of baseball with the Mariners, that 270 starts to drop down to like 255, right? 250. And that 20 home runs goes from 19 to like 11. Um, it's not going to move the needle for me to Zilla Hawk. And the Mariners have basically signaled at the onset of this offseason that they don't really intend to truly compete. They're happy enough to hopefully put out an entertaining team out there that can win slightly more than it loses. But they're not putting out a team out there, and they're, they're showing you the hand pretty seriously that unless they have some super insane cycle of development internally within their system over this next season, that we're, we're going to just kind of be muddling through. And this kind of signing is, if anything, more of an example of that to Zillow than anything else. This is sort of their hallmark signing to begin, thing, begin their free, free agent offseason. And uh, it's pretty telling to me that that's kind of how, that, that's, that's as strong as you can go. Is a backup catcher to play a DH spot and play the DH spot with marginal amount of power in that stadium. But I'm a little down to Zilla on the Mariners right now. He just says, I love Jamal, but damn, it hurts. Maybe move him to linebacker full-time. I don't know. Part of the issue that comes on here that I'm going to show you on the uh, video uh, in a couple of days here, TJ, is that you know there's, there's a distinct lack of fire right now from Jamal and tenacity. Uh, I'm not a guy to question anybody's heart on the football field. And when it comes to Jamal, it's understandable and explainable to me where I think that the injuries have kind of robbed him of some of his love of the sport. And it probably also made him a little bit tentative at times to where do I put my shoulder in there as strong? Cause I've had that shoulder messed up before. Do I dive, jump in there as strong? Do I, do I work, you know, uh, risk my knee at that point, having it get twisted up. But there, there are times on tape where he's just not taking on blocks, not trying to get off blocks. He's not trying to, you're going to be a linebacker down there full time, DJ. You got to have at least that spirit. You got to be able to get off the second level blocks and, and try to fight. And he's not going to be able to do that. So that's the little bit of the issue there is I just, I'm not sure that fire's ever coming back. Maybe it does when he gets healthier next, if he gets healthier next year. But as I will point to in the point of my video is that with the money that you can save from him, with the lack of the fact that the Seahawks, even TJ, when he's been healthy, have not known how to utilize him at his best. It all boils down to the same bottom line, which is that you save your money, you move on from him, and you go and you pay for a player that you can use at their best. You know, if it's money that you're flipping over from Jamal to Leonard Williams, at least you then have it as a player now that you're getting something out of for the investment you're putting in. It's not just money on the book, so to speak. Um, but there's also the injury risk in the future and the fact that he might not ever bounce back to what he was. This knee injury that he sustained is not just your typical, it's a ligament injury in there. You know, it's not just your ACL uh, where the ACL is torn. It's like the ligament, like what they say, ligament tore off the bone or muscle tore off the bone. It's pretty, it was pretty major. And some players have never even really ever fully come back from this kind of injury. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but you just got to call it a day and move it on down the line. Mario says Seahawks versus Lions or Seahawks versus Eagles in the playoffs. Who do you think we might play and who would you rather play against? I would rather at this point take on the Eagles. Lions are, I think, playing a little bit better football. We beat them twice the last couple of years at home. I think that 
it, it hasn't exactly been like we've run away from them, been tight games down to the wire. But uh, I would probably go for more of an Eagles. Though Gino is pretty money in indoors. Matt Sean, we played second and third stringers players. Our schemes are sad. Very sad. Brandon says, absolutely. Just make the playoffs any given Sunday. And yes, that's an invitation to do another Pacino impression. Any given Sunday, you can win. Don't tell me we aren't good enough. Don't tell me we can't scratch this win out. The ball bounces funny. Week to week. Believe in that. Fight for that. Live like that. Football will reward you. Hope for the bounce. It doesn't happen. Make the bounce happen. Get in the playoffs. Take it home. BB says a win is a win, but it was an ugly win. Laughing out loud. Yes, sir. Weston says, I have that sweater. We are brothers in sweater. We are brothers in ugly sweaters. That's a thing. That's a thing. Steven says, I think Jim Harbaugh would love this roster. Yes, he would. He'd be licking his chops. Would you rather have the Chargers roster or this roster? Shoot. BB, it's fair to say Pete Ball is about keeping the games close and he's not aiming for a lot of points scored. Probably not. No. Trust that defense. Trust it. Greg Derrick Hall has been dealing with shoulder injury, which has probably been the number one injury for Hawks this year. Yes, it has been. Shoulders, everybody's gotten their shoulders up, right, Greg? And you do wonder with both him and maybe even um, Tariq, uh, those have been the two cats that I've wondered if this offseason, Greg, we're not going to hear announced shortly after the season ends that they're due to have some kind of shoulder surgery. Uh, I hope not. I hope both are bounced right back from it, but I do worry about that a little bit. Uh, Joe says run blocking, not great, but it seems like the pass pro has been pretty good lately. Yep, I agree, Joe. I think you got Lucas finally back into the fray at right tackle, and now you're, for the most part, Cross got beat on a bad one this game, but it wasn't all his fault on the sack. The guy did look like he had a little bit of a false start. Still, the edges have held it down pretty well for you with Cross and Lucas and doing their jobs. And so, you know, with that at that point, I think you go, everything else is now kind of just you clean things up on the inside in a bit on that. It has gotten a little more stable to my eyes as well. Absolutely, it has. Greg says, Bo Nix and Drake May would be worth a trade up for me. I like them. I got to do a little bit more of the of the Drake May look because um, there's a lot of people that love him and I've been a little bit slow to warm up fully on him, Greg. Um, Bo Nix is a guy I would wait into the second round on. I can't give my first round grade myself with Nix. But second round, I would be okay with grabbing him there. But still need to do the full deep dive on both. But I have watched a lot with Nix, especially because he's played so much college football. And he's really good, but I think you do have to kind of structure things for him a bit. Long live the king. We love competition, but nobody's competing for return, man. Correct. Doesn't seem like they like anything else as a secondary option to DJ Dallas. I, I can't think of why you'd want to keep trotting him out there otherwise. Spaces, I can't believe the Niners signed Sue. They were, uh, they're making their moves. Um, Sue is old. He's 36, 37 years old. So, you know, he didn't play all that great for the Eagles last year when he was in there. 
but uh, certainly doesn't hurt them at this point. That's for sure. Why not if you're them, you know? It doesn't hurt. Tommy says, the only thing we do well is park our forehead on brick walls repeatedly. <laughs> not exactly a massive move for the M's. More of the same, really. Yeah, it is. I, I'm, I, I will not be doing much of my Mariner channel this, if anything, this season for them. I may just be working on the football channel because Lord have mercy. I, I, this has been one of the worst off-seasons from a PR standpoint I've ever seen from an organization, and that's saying something. Taker 610, thank you for the $5 donation. Titans are going to have a, to have, Titans are going to have bare concrete everywhere in that new $2.2 billion stadium just to piss you off. Ha ha ha. Is the dream scenario that Pete retires? At this point, that's where I'm leaning. As I say on this, I'm going to go all the way through the end of the year to get my full read on this team and look and kind of just give everything the long contemplation. But where it trends right now, Taker, you know, where it's, where it's heading as a general theme, my, my hope would be at this point that Pete looks a little bit at the situation and kind of recognizes the fact that, you know, if you're looking for the general signs as a coach, that the end of the road has been reached, that you've topped out, that you've had your greatest success, that the greatest days of coaching have already been had. I think there's a lot of those signs that have been made readily available to Coach Carroll, not just over this year, but over the last couple of years. And uh, I, I, I certainly don't think that we're, even if you fired him, I don't think you'd announce it as a fire. But um, I do think it's on a little bit of Pete's onus to make that decision and decide I'll, I'll take the, I, I recognize the, the, the writing on the wall here. And um, I'm just not going to bring this back. And, and specifically, I would say from my perspective to Pete on this, just being that you didn't make the changes. You know, you went two years ago, Taker, and you said, I'm gonna, we got to make these changes. I've held on to the old for too long. I've got to update. I got to modernize. We got to get, we got to get out, out of this arrogant approach of ours. And then you stayed in that arrogant approach. And now two years later, you can acknowledge in it going, yeah, when the rubber met the road, when the bullets were actually live and not just blanks, I went back and fell back into my old habits and my old habits are just not bringing those returns back like they once did. I, if he was being fair with himself and really honest with himself, I think he would have those kind of internal re revelations. But uh, he's a positive guy too and doesn't necessarily always look at it from the negative aspect of it like that would require him to do so. So maybe he doesn't even consider it in that realm, Taker. We'll learn a lot about that this offseason, I think. And yeah, the Titans are just ridiculous. Bare concrete for players, you know? Why don't we put spikes just off the field, you know? Why don't, we, why don't we just put some general spikes here and there, you know? Maybe a couple of sprinkler heads we can put. Just have a couple of sprinkler heads just right there, maybe in the out-of-bounds marker, right in the white, where it's kind of really hard to see, too, as you're running. Maybe they can just, you know, get, get their ankle caught in there and tear up some ankles in there. Yeah. I saw that bare concrete, and I was like, really? They had the padding go all the way down to this one spot on the wall where his knee hits. It's like you bought all that padding, and then you were like, you got to here, and you were just like, nope. We don't need any more. We'll just leave this the, the most vulnerable spot of the point they could hit. We'll, have, we'll, we'll leave that a wide open. That seems like a smart move. <laughs> um, Greg guesses that Brandon the, Brandon, the Eagles offense video is just like that point by point. It's crazy how he could be talking about our Hawks, especially the part about shotgun runs and the passing scheme concepts for the wide receivers. Yeah, maybe to his point on that, Greg, with uh, Brett, it's a little bit of, you know, 
these offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators will work within trends in the league too, right? They all are given these advanced analytic trends that are going on in the league and they're trying to lean into maybe some of those trends. But the shotgun run to me is just one that if I don't have a quarterback that truly keeps holds the keeper, and, and Greg, I remember talking with uh, Josh over at the Philly Special Channel about this with Jalen Hurts, and that was that Jalen had stopped by his measure and by many Eagle fans' measure, he had stopped keeping the read option keeper. And so you start, and we had this a little bit, remember, Greg, we had this with Russell too, right? Where a lot of our running game with Chris Carson and everybody started to become out of the shotgun runs. Because where it all began from was Russ in that second se- in that first season really embracing the read option. And for a few years there being a guy who was just as likely to hold and keep that read option and take it for 20 yards off the edge. If you had that defensive end that was left unblocked, he had to read to make sure the quarterback first didn't have the ball before he could come crashing down on the running back. But then when you remove the quarterback component from it and he's no longer a threat to run and the defense can have with almost 100% a certainty or that they operate with 100% of certainty by their body language. As you can see, when the edge is crashing down the back, he's not taking a second to think about the QB. When you remove that part, and then you're running shotgun runs out of that, it becomes removed. It, it's, it's, I don't know why coaches like it so much, necessarily. And I guess there's a little bit of the, you can play action and go to a throw quick, much more than you could out of like play action. So you get the play action process, but you can get to the quick concept throwing part of it quicker a little bit. But then we don't utilize the routes always like the, you know, the inner slant routes with DK out of the slot like we used once in this game. We don't lean on those kind of routes enough to then even make that portion of the read option pass game, you know, work, Greg. So it's, it's one to me, if I'm an offensive-minded coach and I'm going to run those shotgun runs, I better make sure that I have my, co- my quarterback keep a couple from time to time so that I keep the defense honest. Even if I have a QB that not necessarily, we've seen it this time too, Greg, you don't even necessarily need the quarterback who's really fleet of foot, who's really dynamic as a runner, because if the, if the end comes crashing down, he's got a free five, six, seven yards, and then he can go take his little knee. You know, you, you just need to have a guy with a willingness to take the ball and run. And of course, the thing that I've talked about a lot this year with Gino or DK or Gino or, uh, or Drew Locke is that uh, neither has been really willing to lean on their legs at all. Like they run at the bare minimum level that they absolutely have to run. And I uh, would like to see them more take, take advantage of that type of stuff. TJ says, uh, draft J.J. McCarthy and take Jim Harbaugh as head coach. Could be a pathway that they take. Taker, thank you again for that uh, donation. Uh, Garth with another $5 dono as well. Thank you, Garth. Says, remember those great Jets defenses number 33 was a part of? They made two NFC championships. I wish Bart Scott would punch number 33 in the face for being a joke. Yeah, 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 I do remember those great defenses. All that talent. <laughs> yeah, um, part of some defenses that weren't great out there in New York, and he was the best player on bad defenses. Had to carry a lot of the carry a lot of the load out there in New York. Did uh, Jamal? And uh, it's also been we just haven't used him in the same way. I think the injuries have definitely multiple shoulders, groin. He's got fingers that break. Then fingers that dislocate, or his fingers that dislocate, dislocate to the point then that he has to get infused, re-breaks one of those fingers, tears the, 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 the ligament off the muscle, off the bone or whatever it was. Um, just kind of been beaten down quite a bit, concussion this year. Been a rough road. I have a lot of sympathy for him. 
Some of it too, though, is that you get some feeling from people. If you listen to some of the New York media and some of the people talk about Jamal as well, uh, some of this also does feel a little bit maybe potentially self-inflicted on him. You know, it's complicated, but bottom line is it's just time to move on, Garth. You know, you just reach those points in football where you got to arrive at where it's like, when it gets to the points, okay, it's just time. You know, we can wring our hands over it and whose fault is this and what's fault is that, but just get to the point where it's time to go, you know, keep that train moving. Uh, thank you though, Garth, for all your donations tonight, man. Uh, Shmave, thank you for subscribing, Shmave, to the uh, channel. Appreciate you for that. Snail says, 49ers signed Sue. Seahawks need to sign Don Terrio Poe in response. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. If this was six years ago, the signing might have me a little worried. But I, this Nadamakan Sue version, I don't know if this is quite the same Nadamakan Sue version. Steven says, I wonder what Mike Holmgren thinks every Sunday morning when he's got to listen to Coward on CBS. I always vomit in my mouth. Yeah, and well, it's, what's funny about Mike and what I love about Mike through the years is he's not softened his stance at all about the Super Bowl officiating and getting robbed of that game. Um, it makes me love Mike, you know, because it would be very easy for the coaches to try to, I don't want you to take the high road there. I don't want you to be the, the bigger guy. That, no, no. I want you to rake them, Mike, over the coals every single GD time you think about it whenever you're on radio or when anybody asks you about it, please. So, uh, yeah, I bet he does. I bet just the, the, the stupid jaw of Cower alone, like he could just see the bottom jaw. Cower could be wearing a cow, Cower in a cow, just the bottom jaw, and that'd be enough to probably trigger Mike, as well it should. Uh, Jack Wilson says, Brandon, these last-minute wins are causing me stress. Imagine what the Super Bowl is going to be like. Just saying, brother. <laughs> oh, it's going to be, it'll be wild. It would be wild to be a roller coaster. I tell you, one of the nice things, Jack, about the Super Bowl we did go to against the Broncos and won was you got out in front of that game so early and so comfortably. It did by the second half. It could have been that I was on my lips drunk by that point. But by the second half, there was like, didn't feel like there was any chance you were losing it. You know, it was comfortable as hell. One of, I, I guess, maybe one of the great ironies of watching some of these Coach Carroll teams that take you down to the heart attack end of things is that the, the Super Bowl you went to, you actually went out to, well, the, one of the two you went to, you went out there and actually boat raced the opposition. Dino, bless you too. Oh, thank you for the bless you. Kelly says, hey, B, thanks for responding to my dad, Joe. Well, thank you for Joe for the dono. I appreciate that. No way. Kelly says, we love so, we love nine so much. He was showing real tough today. He wasn't going to take his no blocking for an answer, but hope we can block for him better. He deserves it. 
There are, well, there's a couple players on this this field, offensively speaking, from the Hawks that aren't you're not maximizing or getting the most out of. Or there's much more meat left on that bone, Kelly, to go get. DK is one of those guys. Noah Fant's one of those guys. Kenneth Walker is absolutely one of those guys. I truly believe he's a top five back in this league. But the run blocking is so bad, he's not going to be able to put that on display in a way where people are really going to understand that even going into this next offseason. But he's been sensational in finding yards where there are no yards and finding yards where it looks like a negative three-yard loss. I don't know how many times this year, Kelly, that I've seen him get the handoff and get hit, have a blocker thrown into him by a defender the second he gets the handoff. And uh, he's not going to get any love. He comes out of this game only averaging 3.5 yards per carry. People are going to look at the bottom line stats on it. But this is one of those absolutely crystal clear embodiments of where the stats don't tell nowhere near the whole tale of the player and what they're bringing on the football field game day. And Walker is a sensational talent. We got to get the blockers up front who can get the job done for him. Because, man, I tell you, I, I'll tell you what, Kelly. We actually get the interior of the line with guys that can actually open some holes for this guy. He can go out there, and like I say with DK, being able to get a 1,500, 1,600-like year out there out of him, he's got that potential in him. I feel the same thing about Kenneth Walker. He's got that potential in him. But you got to get the guys up front that can actually like not only remove the early penetration, which completely just destroys the plays right, on, right from the beginning, but then create the holes so that he doesn't have to always cut a run back and look for daylight way over here and have to run it back around the field and twist out of this block and spin out of that, and then I'll finally get to a space where I can open it up a little bit. I think Doc says, Brandon, I hope Santa is good to you tonight, tomorrow. I hope you ask Santa for defense and offensive linemen. <laughs> Bad joke. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. I'd love to have that. Maybe we go bring DJ Fluker in here. Maybe that's the answer here. Greg says, uh, Brandon, I think Bo Nix can go anywhere from five to 10, depending on how much teams have bought in on Daniels uh, with the uh, season he's played this year, which could possibly make Bo Nix fall. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely an early stage right now. I, I have not really seen any consensus there on Nix going up in the first round at this point. Most of what I see with him is maybe late first at best, and then second round is kind of the likely spot. You know, the thing with Bo Nix that I have an issue with is the playing off script, an ability to not have everything predisposed for you and where you're going. You know, when you look at a guy like Michael Penix, for instance, he's a much better processor on the field than Nix. Nix is more of a, I'll make my one read and then I'm going to go scramble guy. And there's not that that can't find success at the pro level. And not that he doesn't have some pro, um, pro tools that he's working with, Greg. He's got a pro level arm. Um, he's absolutely got pro mo- plus pro mobility. But I, I do worry a little bit about processing. That is a part that I do want to see with my quarterbacks a bit. I'd argue that Jaden Daniels did a better job of processing on the field at times for LSU than what we saw from, from Knicks. And the lack of processing from Knicks is a little bit of a worrisome note for me, Greg, with him and watching the tape because he has had 56 starts. He has had so much of this time to where you think that would be more of a comfortable part of his game that makes me then worry about whether or not that's not going to be a part of his game that's going to materialize once he does get to the pro level because he maybe just doesn't have it in his bag. And there's only so much you can kind of script up for a quarterback at the pro level, and there's only so much a quarterback can lean onto his legs with as sort of his backup option when a play's not going the way it was scripted up. But I do like his talent. I, I don't doubt that, Greg. And I'm going to go do another, of course, deep dive look on him now as we get into this offseason and start up some of the pre-draft evaluation process. Tommy says, Jamal's like Sam Jackson and Unbreakable. He is. He is. Oh, uh, that's for sure. 
Mr. Glass. Patrick, I feel like we are a good O-line defense uh, and an A away from being a real contenders. How long do you think that's going to take? Well, it's sort of Patrick, it depends on commitment. I mean, I don't want to give you a kind of a soft sell answer here, but if you haven't determined that those are keen priorities for you in years past, or are you going to determine that those are key priorities for you in the future? I'm on my channel throughout this offseason. I'm hearing from many different Hawk fans. It's one of the nice parts about doing this channel is I hear from so many different people on a weekly basis who are Hawk fans in their perspective. Hawk fans in their perspective are going, what about the offensive line? What about the defensive line? And then you come up on a yearly basis going, man, these are two of your weaknesses. Why are they this way? You have Carroll who's supposed to be sort of that old school, hard-nosed coach who understands the value of getting his lines of scrimmage right, of controlling the line of scrimmage, of being physical down there on the line of scrimmage. And yet these are all things that are missing from both of your lines of scrimmage over recent years. Uh, how long will it take? It'll take as long as they determine that they're going to not make it a priority, Patrick. So if they stay at the same point they've stayed so far, where it's sort of something like, we'll just get by by also Rand or secondhand parts, it could take years. If they determine this offseason, Patrick, though, we're going to get both of these lines as the two centerpiece points of what we do, and we're going to build those things up, and we're going to make those the strength of our football team. You could accomplish that in one offseason. You could go draft a, uh, you could trade back in the first round and probably pick up uh, at the very least a third round, another third round pick that you could package then two of your three third round picks to go get a second round pick up. So now you've got a first, a second, a third back, right? And so you, you know, we're taking you have first, yeah, you have first, a second, a third back in your allotment. Say you re-sign Leonard Williams, you make him your priority. You take Cooper Bay Bay in the first round. You come back uh, in the second round, maybe tar try to target one of these really good defensive tackles that are there in the, in the second round that you can bring in who can give you some spark there. Come back in the third round, maybe address either a center or even another right guard even there to give you some competition for, for Bradford. But just seek to beef it, off, beef it up on the forefront. you know. Um, so it just takes priority, Patrick, but that's the key here is that they just haven't made it a priority. And that's the part that has to change as much as much anything else to determine how long it will take. But they're not that far away it's just putting the resources in the right place. Rather than putting $50 million into your safety room, maybe we try to put a little, offload some of that money and put it into some of the lines of scrimmage. Jack says, my true expectation is for them to win a playoff game. They're on pace to do that. I love it, man. Flag says, Sue hasn't been announced anywhere. Oh, okay. I heard he was talking to him, so I, I always take people at their word if they tell me that it's going down. <laughs> Davius Freeman says, did Noah Fant play? He played Davius, but they didn't throw him one target in this game as they kind of continue to forget that he's on the football field, football team sometimes. TJ says, if Pete goes, does John go? Are they a pair or would John go somewhere else? I would think that John would probably stay, TJ. He's never gotten the opportunity to truly pick his own coach here. He was hired by Coach Carroll. And I don't know for sure that Coach Carroll still hasn't remained and continued to have more power than John at the end of the day when it comes to this organization, which means that if John's been operating even just slightly with his hand tied behind his back as far as Coach Carroll able to override his decision-making and tell him what to do in his job, then it's hard to hold him responsible for those failures that may have been occurred or have occurred by some of that decision-making. So uh, some of it depends upon what the reality of it is in that in the background, but I would probably lean to say that you probably would have John remain and have an opportunity for him to hire his own next new coach.
Flipping flapjacks. I was a 13 year old in church. After I found out we lost, I never watched a single highlight film or video until last year. After I watched, I was talking about how BS those calls were and we got robbed. Fashion says two drop cords were plugged into the outlets. Probably why it wasn't padded. See, I get that a little bit, but like, why can't you pad under, like the cords don't impact the pads there, you know, or you could cut a, you could a hole, cut a hole out in the pad, but uh, maybe that's asking in this modern age for people to be too creative. It's like pad doesn't fit with outlet in. <laughs> so just put it away. It'll be fine. Probably, that's how the conversation probably went fast, Sean, on the field. Nate says, B, who's the weakest position on the line? Is it Lewis or Evan Brown? Do you think we move on from both or both of them or resign one? I would probably say that the weaker of the two is going to be Evan Brown, but not by a considerable amount, Nate. Uh, I would say that those are two weak spots on the line as it stands right now, you know, and very close in their weakness. Um, neither are able to do anything right now as far as run blockers go. Lewis goes a little bit up and down since he's moved over to left guard from right guard as far as a pass protector is concerned. Evan Brown seems to hold up better as a pass protector, though even he still has some pretty ugly moments in pass protection. So we're not going to re-sign either one, Nate. You're going to let both of those two guys walk. I would also say neither is really much of a scheme fit for mobility standpoint or hitting blocks out in space, especially in Damian Lewis's case. And we do need to move to more offensive linemen that technically fit this scheme especially when it comes to finding linemen that can hit reach blocks. Getting out in front, yes. Getting the second level, yes. But also hitting to those reach blocks. And if you have a little bit of a slower lineman out of their stance, a little bit more of the Mueller-like lineman, that's not the guys that are going to be able to get to those blocks as easy. A place that I've seen Damian Lewis struggle in. Garth Knight, thank you for the $5 donation. You're awesome, brother. Says, Brandon, I love canine. Charbs seems like a little bit of a fancy lad, though. He does curls for the girls, and no, he's nothing beyond. <laughs> I like Misham Charbonnet, too. I think he's got some nice bounce to him. I think the canine is uh, more of the difference maker at the position where Charbonnet, you give him that kind of line that can get them the lines, he can, wear a, he can wear a defense down. You know, he can do some really nice things for he's a back there behind a good line. I think with canine, he's a guy that's a little bit more of, I can creatively house this and you don't have to you don't have to get but like five of your blocks laid for me to get it done so there's just a bit, bit of a difference between the two and what each of them what each brings i think to the field and their ability and and all of that garth for sure but um i like both moving in the future and i think you're once we get to see a line that's better better put together up front these guys are really going to shine and they could even be a big part of how we lean on our offensive success going into the future where you can just just about run on anybody at that point now the, now the passing attack would be destined, I think, to open up by how much resources defenses would have to start to Garth to vote down to stopping our running game. But uh, K-9's awesome. Uh, he, is, he, is, uh, he is so much fun to watch. Those creative stop-and-start, twitchy, explosive, fast ru running backs are uh, so much fun. Nothing like watching the meat grinders. Nothing like watching the Marshawn Lynch types that'll take a, take a man's soul from him. But uh, there's also nothing like watching a, a ghost on the football field run around either. 
Greg says, Brandon, uh, Brett talked about shotgun runs, making it harder to run outside inside. And he also showed which type of runs are most successful in the NFL. And it's not the ones the Hawks like to run on offense. Yeah. Understandable. So Greg, uh, and definitely I'm looking forward to checking out that video, but I think that there's just a predictability by that formational set that, that makes it just easier to read where there's only so many places you're going to go with this running play at that point. And the fact that it's not really got the momentum start that you get with a quarterback under center and a, a running back aligned seven yards back and then getting up to full speed or almost full speed um, by the time that they actually take the handoff, it's, it's to me just a, a different nature of the beast. And you better have an, a defense that's really buying into the fact that you're trying to throw on that play, Greg, at a shotgun. You know, you're getting a couple play action, you know, into the background. You're almost getting that false step backward at that point if you're going to run it that way. But I don't know why, to you know, Brett's point on this with the um, Eagles running it, us running it. I'm sure there's a lot of other teams running it. I'm I'm really not sure of the upside to it, other than these teams have tried to sort of take the page out of the uh, like Ravens playbook, where it's like, yeah, but that's a team running it with a Lamar Greg that has the quarterback who can now be that extra test for the defense, who can be that guy to hold that unblocked edge, you know, on point where he's not going to be able to move. And then be able to, you know, if he does break down on the running back, get to the outside. It adds the extra layer of complexity then to that running play. That if you don't have the quarterback and Jalen Hurts, who's just chose for the most part this year not to run that play. You saw in the game against us, Greg, that uh, Hurts actually kept a lot of the quarterback keepers out of the read option. And that drove some success for the Eagles. And the Hawks didn't play. You're watching our defensive ends on that game were crashing down because they were coming in based off the tape of Hurts that year where the scouting report was saying he's not running the he's not running or keeping the read option anymore as much out of those inside zone runs. And that's why I think that with Brett's breakdown on it, that's why you're seeing also less of that effectiveness is that if I don't play it true to the edge, that's one extra defender now down to take away those few runs like you talk about, Greg, that you can run out of shotgun. And that's not going to provide consistent success for you in running the ball out of that formation. But it seems to me like what, for instance, the Eagles have tried to do here, Greg, is we'll run these shotgun reads like, the threat of Jalen's there. We won't have him run for most of the year. And then once we get down to really needing him to do it, once we really need him to, you know, it's the playoffs, for instance, then we'll have him keep the ball like hell, you know? And I think they, I think they did some of that, Greg, because of the fact that he did break down last year and you running that all that much, right? He had the whole, I think, elbow thing go on or something. But I think they were trying to be a little protective of him. I don't think that with us, you could say the same kind of thing because our quarterback's never been a threat to keep it at all. <laughs> it's, you know, they, they're never going to play that straight up like that, Greg, for us, you know, because they know we're not, we're not going to keep it. Save the Geese says, look at the Chiefs. They rebuilt their O-line in one season and they won the Super Bowl the following year. Amen. It's commitment. It's not, and I was having this discussion with Brendan uh, last week on the B&B show where I said, you know, I, I think they can get this offensive line fixed in one offseason. He's like, I don't know, one offseason you can do? Yes, you can do it one offseason. Just make it the priority. You haven't made it a priority in recent offseasons. That's why there, there is this hole there. Make it the priority. Make it the, recognize it as the, from a talent standpoint on the team, from the thing that needs the most upgrading, those are the two positions that need most upgrading. And uh, you can certainly accomplish both at that point. Now, maybe you can't get a whole hell of a lot done out there outside of that extra I might offer that you might not really need to get a whole lot of extra done outside of that, looking at the team. Your wide receivers are set. Your running backs are set. Uh, you're at least bringing one tight end back. You can certainly go and draft another, sign another. Your tackles are set, right? Defensively speaking, you feel pretty good about your corner situation. 
You can move off from Jamal, still feel good about your safety situation because you're still being back Quandre and Julian, along with Kobe Bryant, along with Jarek Reed. So you got a firm number of bodies there. Yep, middle linebacker, you got to get figured out too. But it's not a lot of holes out there at that point. I think there's much more of an opening to address it, but it does take Save the Geese that priority, making it a true priority, not this thing that we'll get to eventually thing. Or let's wait for the wave three of free agency and then we'll go get that. No. Jack says, uh, it's like they have not addressed the trenches in the last two drafts. They just need to continue to develop the talent. Agreed, Jack. They've taken some steps here. They've taken some steps here. They have. They have. Um, there has also been still a writing with sort of guys from the old scheme that you drafted that aren't exactly fits into this scheme. You know, that's where you, you still have ridden with the Damian Lewis and the Haynes and the going the, the bargain basement shopping for the $2.1 million contract on a one-year deal to Evan Brown. Um, but Bradford's got, got some, some positive upside to him. Undoubtedly, Oluwatimi may be our center of the future. Cross and Lucas are absolutely going to be stalwarts for us off the edge. So especially, well, as long as in Lucas's case, of course, he can stay healthy. TJ says, our O-line isn't bad. Put in Olu and Bradford and we will be better and don't draft the best center in the draft for nothing. You don't draft the best center in the draft for nothing. That's right. I like it. There's some upside there to your point. Absolutely. Greg says, Brandon, I haven't looked at any uh, pre-MAC drafts to see where they have Bo Nix going. And I agree with the, the questions you have about Nix, but I think... When the draft comes, he's going to be considered the third best quarterback. Ooh. I have a hard time seeing that, Greg, myself. To me, his highest upside right now is probably behind Jaden Daniels or behind Penix, depending on where Daniels elevates to, which would make him right now the fifth best. Uh, this is my firm prediction for you, Greg, and this is, a, this is I know it seems like a strong one right now, but um, you can take this one fairly close to the bank in my assessment of this, that I do not think that Knicks is going to, unless there's some huge injury designation that hits Penix or Daniels or something like that, you know, like they've got a withering of their spine or something, he will be the fifth quarterback taken. <laughs> now, maybe he's taken in the first round to your point, or maybe even high in the first round to your point. But those other four guys, I think, are pr pretty firmly rooted ahead of him in the draft. Because whereas Knicks had a really good year this year, Greg, not all of his college tape is great. There's a lot of his college tape, especially going back to Auburn, where he looks very restricted as a football player. He looks very limited as a quarterback. Now, has he grown? Yeah. Has his accuracy come leaps and bounds forward? Yeah, absolutely. But he's also coming into this in a year where May and Caleb Williams are set to be your one-two. They're set. They'll be taken within the first four picks of the draft. Those guys are gone. Penix and Jaden Daniels just had amazing seasons. Knicks had a really, really good season. Good to great season, but they had, they had like almost all time like seasons between Penix and, and Jaden Daniels. And I, I just think that they're going to, they're going to be, I think just a little bit more considered hotter commodities, but uh, it'll be fun to see how it plays out. And the nice part about it, Greg, is there's so many really good fun quarterbacks in this draft in varying levels of where people see him. I just like the fact that we got some really exciting prospects. I do feel, I know I may be seeming like I'm shading Knicks, but at the same point in time, I'm very excited by what he potentially brings to the table. You know, much more excited than what I would have seen from recent year, second and third round, like Desmond Ritter type third round picks or, you know, the, the, these kind of guys got me way more excited for their upside. That's for sure.
Alan, how you doing? Good to see you in the house. Merry Christmas. Hoxo, thank you for the $5 donation. Brian Burns, Christian Wilkins, and many more are free agents. Go grab one. Let go of Diggs, Adams, Monet, and Will Disley. Could save a lot of money between those guys, Hoxo. Uh, we did a show based around this. I think, uh, what did we end up with? Uh, you had 26 and 32 and... I think you're something at like thirty-seven, thirty-eight million dollars. Um, if you moved off of all those guys that you would clear in cap space, um, I would, uh, I would certainly love it if Hoxo we could maybe put a combination of uh, Wilkins and um, let's say you you got Wilkins and you bring back Leonard Williams and then you got a nice Wilkins, Leonard Williams and Jaron Reed combination down inside. That wouldn't be too bad. I think Brian Burns is going to cost all the money. That's going to be a probably a $27.5 million deal per year for Brian Burns. And I think that that's one of those guys that, to me, Hawks, if the Panthers can't hold on to him, franchise him, then he ends up on the open market going to one of these teams that has $100 million to spend, and they give him just, maybe even they give him even the $30 million deal, you know, where he just gets that funny money contract that there's no way we can afford to get to that range of things. With Wilkins, I don't think he'll be as considered up in that area of a guy like Chris Jones, Donald, He'll be more probably in that $20 million a year area, so more feasible to make that kind of deal go. But uh, I like Wilkins a lot. He's a fun player, a good player. And if you could combo him up with Leonard Williams inside, that'd be a hell of a combination inside. I like Burns too, Fox. I just think he's going to get paid big time. Big time money. Thank you for the fiver. Appreciate you. Patrick, I feel like most of the plays come from Pete Carroll. It's not like Shane Waldron forgot what he did. It's like it's not like Shane Waldron forgot what he did with the Rams. Yeah, I don't think he forgot what he did with the Rams either. And I've long had some of these suspicions as well as that maybe our offense is being driven a little bit heavily by Coach Carroll and his influence. Uh, what other reason could there be to me, Patrick, that you have an offense that looks so similar to 2017, 2018, 2019 versus those Rams offenses that Waldron came from? I think it's pretty logical deducement to say that it's that. And if it's not that, then what is the reason? Why would he forget what got him this job in the first place? Yeah. Long live the King. Thank you for the $2 donation. Says, is Penny obtainable next season? Release DJ, maybe? Uh, long live the King. DJ Dallas is going to be a free agent after the end of the year. So no need to release him there. He just is a street free agent and gone. Uh, Penny had a weird problem, and I did talk to uh, the, the Philly Special YouTube channel about this this last week a bit as well, being that Penny um, really seems to have lost a lot of his speed since the last injury. He just doesn't look like the same kind of player. And maybe he gets that back after a year, and, and you bring him back to the house, and he can get that done here. But um, there seems to be a little bit of worry there with Penny that maybe he's just not able to get back to 100 after all those injuries on the lower lower body side, the lower leg side of things. But uh, DJ Dallas is definitely a free agent. I think you're probably looking at McIntosh and then you're probably looking at drafting another guy then, you know, later rounds on top of that. You got McIntosh and another late round guy mixed in with uh, Charbonnet and Walker. And then you're keeping the position, though you put some good draft capital in it, you're keeping the position really still cheap and inexpensive. Thank you, King. Nate uh, B, if the Hawks were to move on from Diggs and Adams, what other free agents would be available to get? Uh, you have any in mind, or would you rather have Colby there with Jarek and have Julian start at strong safety? Um, 
My approach to it would be probably like this, Nate. Um, I would, if you move with Diggs and Adams, you move off of them, you're going to save cumulatively $26 million in cap. Um, a lot of that, of course, like I say, with the priority for me would go to Leonard Williams. I think he's going to cost probably a $13, $14 million a deal on $13, 14000000 million a year for like a three-year contract. So he would eat up a big portion of that. I would, love, I would roll with Julian Love as one of my starting, free sa- one of my starting safeties. I, I certainly would have him kind of, I'd, I'd kind of let them, the, the camp battle it out a bit. Where Nate, you know, you'd have Julian, you'd have Colby, you'd have Jarek Reed. You'd let them fight it out. I'd also have an eye on the draft, Nate, towards by the value board that I run my draft. If a safety comes up there as the highest value point at that point, I, I would be okay with like going with the safety there. So let me give you a for instance. Tyler Newbin from Minnesota is one of my favorite safeties in this draft. I think he can play free safety or strong safety. I think he can even give you some coverage snaps aligned up in the slot. I think he's going to be like maybe a late first round safety in this draft. So if you find that you get to that late first round pick and your best, most valuable player on the board then becomes a Tyler Newbin as a potential there, then you go and grab that there. I think the important part here is to understand with it, Nate, is that with the safety position, it's not one that necessarily needs the same sort of investment or foresight that you have to bring to the defensive line or offensive line. Being that you see a lot of these guys that go out and sign on the cheap, that go to teams and they get a really good season out of these safeties, not spending much for them. Guys that might have been former third, fourth, fifth round picks, you know, that are that are just kind of working their butt off to get back into the mix of things. So I think that there's more of a, it's more of a shift, Nate, to philosophy and the philosophy goes away from investing 50 million into the safety position and more of an acknowledgement of the fact that the modern NFL has devalued this position and devalued it for a reason because you can go get functional play for cheap cost you don't have to spend the sun moon and the stars to go get something out there that can can uh, be functional for your team so um you just you offload it to me more to the to the lines of scrimmage at that point more than you'd go to go find the safety but I'm not against going out there and signing a safety as another guy to match up with Julian, if you moved off of Diggs, right? I would just then look for Nate rather than it being a keynote signing where you're spending a lot of money. Go find the guy that was like Bradley McDougald a couple of years ago, who you signed to a one-year, $2 million deal to come into your safety room. And he gave you above league average play at the safety position when he was here. He could play free safety. He could play strong safety. You didn't put a lot of money into him. That's the kind of signing that you're going to probably look to make and then find more impact down around the front seven, down around the box. Uh, Jordan says, definitely hoping we can pay Parkinson this offseason and be the one tight end we can keep. I've loved watching him develop and get more snaps. They may just look at him for that, that role, Jordan. They may just. Be interesting to see what Colby would be offered on the open market in addition to that. Certainly would like to see them try to use him more down around this red zone. We came into this game 26th in red zone. Uh, we were 2 of 4 today, I think, down in the red zone. Maybe a little bit of times it gives some more of those trust throws down there to Colby wouldn't be too bad. Alan, thank you for the $5 donation. It's great to see you in here tonight too, Alan. And uh, Merry Christmas. Says, let's and go Seahawks. Come on, everyone. 100, at least be happy for this W. Oh, I think we're feeling good about the W, Alan. And we're still in this season. We could be turning over the remnants of a year at this point after this game. We could be turning over the, the autopsy report and trying to figure out how, how did it, how did they, how'd they die? What was, the, what was the manner of death here? But instead, we're still in this. We control, not only are we still in this, Alan, we now control our destiny. And that's the best thing that you get to say about your team this late of the season. Right? Win, lose, or draw. We control our destiny. 
We don't rely on another team to lose. We go out, we went out, we're in the playoffs. Uh, Joshua, are there any left guards that stand out to you in free agency? Yes, I know there was another question about free agent contracts. I don't know how much after we sign Leonard Williams, and I don't know how many cuts we're really going to go down. Like, I think we'll move Jamal, but I don't know how hard we're going to go with the cuts necessarily. Um, which is, of course, going to depend on then how much money you'll have freed up to spend in free agency. Because we're walking into this offseason right now with only $2 million of functional cap space to go out there and spend. Um, your free agent guards right now, you have Andrews Pete, who's 30 years old, and his play's been going downhill, I feel like, in recent years. He wouldn't really interest me very much. Kevin Zeitler, another older player out there with Baltimore. He's having a good year, but a guy that's 34 years old, just about. And I would be, again, very hesitant to bring in an, an elder statesman like that that, again, is probably not a scheme fit for what you want to do. Connor Williams uh, with the Miami Dolphins. I haven't been tracking his year this year necessarily. Let's see where he is. He was a guy that I know that we were looking at. Um, potentially back in the day a little bit to bring in, and he's having a very good year. 86 grade, wow. He's a great, you talk about getting a run blocker there. He's at the center position right now for them. He would be a guy I would look at at 26 years old, still a younger player out there coming off his best season. Connor Williams would be a very interesting cat to take a look at. Um, Dalton Risner with Minnesota, maybe. I got to be honest with you, a lot of these guys I go down the line on and look at, there isn't a lot of excitement for me when I look at this. I'd, I'd go more to the draft myself. Connor would probably be the one that would be most interesting to me. Maybe Hola Pula Viatai. He could be also a guy that could maybe, but again, not necessarily scheme fit from a mobility standpoint where you have a draft that has a lot of really good scheme fit guys, um, guys that could be mobile from the guard position, guys that could play some tackle in a pinch if you need them to do that. That's really where I would be addressing, I think, the offensive line first and foremost, Joshua. Um, is go to the draft to do it because that's where it's just easier to do. Otherwise, it looks like if you go free agency, you're really going for the older aging player that you're hoping you can just sort of squeeze a little bit left out of their career. And we kind of went down this road with a guy like DJ Fluker or a guy like Gabe Jackson. You know, We've kind of learned that you do that and you end up finding out that there's really not much toothpaste left in that tube. Let's just go get a new toothpaste, right? Just go to the store and go get the new toothpaste bottle. You know, You're out. You ain't squeezing anymore. It's all there is. Save the geese with Seattle probably picking in the mid-20s. They won't be in a spot to draft the top three quarterbacks. Not sure they want to trade down. Instead, trade up and recoup some day two picks. Go trenches. We think alike on this, save the geese. I like you. Just don't think that necessarily there's a guy in the first round at that point that you're going to want to take. You could if you fall in love with a guy and John just might have that happen. I see him moving back in the draft. Moving back in at least let's just say into the second round and trying to pick up an extra third round pick, maybe have three third rounders and maybe you can package two of those to get back up in the second round again. But uh, I, I see more of that move as well from my standpoint of things, save the geese much more than moving up in the draft. 
Greg, uh, Brandon, you're on point about what the video talks about, but he also points out how shotgun run changes the angles in the running game, especially on the ability to cut back on plays. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense a lot, especially if you have Greg and uh, certainly it's hard to speak out of school because I haven't seen the video, but especially if you have a defense that's not, that's, that's not necessarily playing with um, supreme aggressiveness, right, Greg? If they're more two-gapping than one-gapping, then it certainly means that as well. Because they have a, the the line's got a way of kind of, if it makes sense, kind of slow rolling the play a little bit to figure out where the back's going. Um, versus some of more when you get them single gapping, now you catch them sometimes overrunning themselves out the gap. But uh, that makes complete sense. You're you're in just you're you're in a different alignments, different sets. It, but the bottom line on it, Greg, is just you're not as effective to run the ball out of that look. And if you if you utilize it for a high propensity of your time in running the ball out of that look, your ground game is not likely to be as effective as it possibly could be. You're not maximizing your ground game to the, to the max. And if that's happening, then you go, well, what's the cost on the other end of it? Is it to make the passing attack flourish? And my only issue with saying, well, yes, that's the answer there would be, well, what's the proof of that? You know, I can't think of too many plays where you've run the shotgun play action pass and you've had some huge chunk play there over and over again throughout this season. Nate says, do we bring back Wags and Jordan or what would you do with the linebacker position? I would be interested in bringing back Bobby Wagner. I would. I, I, I know that he's been hammered at times in, for some of the coverage stuff in recent weeks, but at the end of the day, I think he's had a very good year for you and uh, he's been much better than anything you've gotten from Jordan Brooks or Cody Barton. And uh, so I think you bring him back, try to bring him back on a similar contract to what you signed him to this year, a one-year deal. And then you look to go draft a middle linebacker in the draft to fill in around him. Jordan Brooks, to me, just hasn't earned the money that he's going to be paid this offseason. Uh, got injured again today. It seems like he's injured quite a bit. And even though the injuries don't seem to take him out of the games, it just always seems like he's getting up slowly and dealing with something. And uh, I, I just, I was never big on Jordan anyway. I, I don't think he's really developed a whole hell of a lot as a player. That, that makes me want to spend the money that it's going to take to bring him back. I don't really want to bring him back, period, but he's going to make some money in addition to that. Uh, Greg says, Brandon, I agree. Bo Nix can be jumped by Daniels, but I don't have Penix ahead of him right now because of the age injury concerns, but I can see that happening though. Yeah, um, certainly. Uh, the, 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 to your point, uh, I want to see something real quick here. Okay, he's not too bad. Um, to your point, on um on Michael Penix, he is going to be, Greg, one of the harder evaluations to read the room on the NFL on, if this makes sense on this one, right? Um because the NFL I'm, I would I, in my estimate of the matter, the NFL does do fairly decently overall in looking at quarterbacks in the modern era, but they still do miss. And teams do fall in love with guys. And we've not had a guy come down the pike like this, Greg. Two back to back amazing seasons of production. Size, got it. Arm strength, has got it. But then the combination that you mentioned of age and injuries is the part that can't be undersold. It's, it's a bigger factor with this guy than any guys that we've seen at this point that come into that. And so, some of this is a forecast by me in a prediction. But I look at it and I go, what I think is going to happen here, Greg, is like those teams fell in love with a guy like Zach Wilson and his arm talent and the throws he was making. 
I think the same, and that would be, you know, what you got with the Zach Wilson experience. I think you're going to get the same, not the thing where he's going to go up as high as Zach did, Greg, but that the, the wow throws, because when teams go through and they look at the Penix throws, he's going to have more wow throws than any quarterback in this draft. No one is going to be able to match him in that respect. And I think that those wow throws are not going to be enough to port and vault him and push him up into the top 10. But I do think, Greg, that they're going to be enough to get one team in the top 20, just one team in the top 20, that will fall in love with, um, with that arm, arm talent. And they will buy in that they can, they can make that, that arm talent succeed. The part about this that's key too, Greg, is let's just look at this really quickly from a standpoint of probability or chances of. These are the teams in the top 20 that are selecting that I believe are all going to be looking for a quarterback this offseason. Some of them might get this fixed by making a trade or you know, I, we signed Kirk Cousins or we did this. But you have the Arizona Cardinals at 3-11. and 11. You have uh, potentially the New Orleans Saints at 7-8 and eight if they want to try to find an option alternative, alternatively to Derek Carr. The Chicago Bears uh, very well could be moving off Justin Fields. Now they moved Justin Fields, so it's a little bit of a tit for tat there. Uh, Minnesota Vikings at 7-8. and eight. Uh, The Washington Commanders at 4-11. and 11. The New York Giants at 5-9. and nine. The Las Vegas Raiders at 6-8. and eight. Potentially the Denver Broncos who are currently at 7-7. Seven and seven. The Tennessee Titans, no, they'll be good with Levis probably. Texans are fine. Um, Steelers are maybe a team inside that, potentially could be in that top 20 looking for a quarterback. New England Patriots are a team in that top 20. Jets could be looking for a good backup option. Aaron Rodgers early on. I know as, as that might not seem, it might seem a little crazy, but you have a good team. And as they showed this year, if they had a functional backup to Aaron Rodgers this year, who wasn't named Wilson, that they very well still could have gotten in the playoffs this season. Um, so there's a good, I feel like, of those top 20 teams, Greg, I think that there's like 12 of them, 10 to 12 of them that could be looking at a quarterback. Now, does one of those, I'm playing the probabilities here, but does one of them then fall in love with Penix? Especially if we are to understand that May and Williams go first two of those four, two of, first two of the four picks are going to be those two guys. Do those two quarterbacks being Daniels and Penix go then in the next, you know, 14 picks? If I was gambling, I would say yes. I would. That some team will fall in love with one of those two guys. But man, it's going to be interesting, Greg, to watch the process play out. I'll, I'll give you that 100%. I kind of can't wait for it to see how the, how the teams kind of evaluate this one. Kelly says, I'll never, I'll never forget Jamal being so nice to me, saying, you tell your dad hello for me at training camp. He was holding people's babies and signed for every single person that wanted his autograph. But this year he seemed a little different. Mm. Well, and I, it's where I'm trying to be Kelly for sure. I, I don't like to ever try to go too hard at players. And I, I certainly don't want to go hard at a player who's had a lot of bad breaks that aren't necess- that aren't his fault. And when it comes to Jamal Adams, and I try in this video, I'm going to drop in the next couple of days, Kelly, to be really fair with it. And, and, and there are probably going to be some points where, yeah, I'm being hard on him a bit, but where it is a lot of factors that are outside of his control, both being the injury and then how he's used, you know, um, that that's not his fault. And uh, you do feel bad for him on that. And I think that the human, we sometimes as fans want these guys to be those superheroes, to be impenetrable, to never be shaken by anything. And boy, you have that accumulation of injuries over a couple of year stretch where your shoulders fall apart on you. Your groin falls apart on you. Your fingers keep dislocating. I've got one shot that I'm taking of, the, of a game against the Colts 
back in, um, what was it, 2021, Kelly, you know, and he's going up and making a tackle and he's on his back and you can see him pulling the dislocation of his fingers out, going like this and then this and then oh, like that, you know, oh. to the point like even the offensive lineman comes over the top and I think the offensive lineman's like, are, are you good, bro? Are, are you all right? Um, that's a lot. And then he, he got those fingers fused, you know, got the fingers fused and then breaks one of the fingers last year in camp and then has got a cast and then, you know, has the ligament tear off the bone. He's got concussions this year. He's got to be diminished as a player after that major injury. You know, the strongest of men in that situation would be a little bit, uh, they'd be a little bit beaten down and understandably so. Uh, Vashon, thank you for the $2 donation, Vashon King. Appreciate you for that. First, it's saying your first super, but I think you've donated before, Vashon. Who asks, is Adam's not it? He can go. That's going to be the culmination of my video tomorrow. Uh, Jack Wilson says, thanks, Brandon, for your hard work. Go to Maddie's. Uh, go to Maddie's uh, for your hard work. Got, got to Maddie, Maddie's on love. Love you, bro. Hey, love back to you too, man. Got to love. Got to Maddie's. On love you, love you, bro. Love right back at you too, Jack. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. And it ain't hard work when you love what you do, man. Living the dream. Living the dream. A dig Ox says, Brandon, cutting digs and Adams and saving $26 million sounds great. Do you have any free agents in mind that you would spend the money on? Will Schneider do it? Um, my feeling on this is that I would tend to lean towards what they've done in recent history, addicted Hawks. And while you did go out last year and make the biggest Frisian signing in your history for in Draymond Jones, if you were to go out and clear the $26 million, now that is great, like you say. And so you, you now have 26 cleared from there. You've got $2 million that you're bringing in, uh, that you have in space just right now. So you're up to $28 million. You're going to roll over 5 million of the cap. So now we're at $31 million. Okay. $31 million. First off, addicted docs, $6 million of that $31 million goes to the season reserve fund. So bam, we're instantly at $25 million. Then you've got to put about another $6 million going to draft picks. So bam, now we're at $19 million in salary cap space after we've made those two cuts. I think we got to sign Leonard Williams at the forefront of this addicted to Hawks is the big major signing you have. You sign him to something like, let's say $13 million a year, three-year three deal. So three-year, $30 million, three-year, $39 million deal. First year of the cap hit hits you up at like seven. So now we're down to $12 million of functional cap space. Now we can create some more cuts addicted to Hawks. Like they're going to move off of Brian Monet. That'll take you back up to 18. Do you move off of Fant? You move off of Eskridge. Uh, you know, is there some other stuff that you do to free up space that could clear you some more? Yes. But I think the bottom line on this would be addicted to Hawks, that there's a lot of teams with a lot of money to spend. I don't think you're going to be able to compete up with the likes of some of these teams that have this. You know, some of these teams are near $100 million in money to spend versus you who will be sitting at like $19 million of functional space. So this does lead into more of an inroads than addicted to Hawks of trying to find those wave three free agents rather than finding the prime guys Especially if you look to bring back Williams and Bobby, you know, you could be looking at them having another just like $9 million to spend out there for free agents to go find another middle linebacker, to go find some edge rush help, uh, to maybe go find an offensive lineman you could sign or another tight end to bring back in to help 
with Disley um, if you need to go that route with it. So we don't have really a lot of money to go out there and get wild with it on the free agent market. It's kind of my bottom line on that. You are going to be restricted. And so any of the primetime free agents, I know I was talking about Christian Wilkins, but even he's probably uh, out of range for you versus the other teams that are going to be able to compete with you. Or a guy like Brian Burns. It's like, you're not going to be able to get up to $25 million a year to compete with a guy like that for his services. Not that you would make that deal anyway because you have Mafe and Uchenna here, but um, I just don't think we'll have the money kind of as a long-winded answer. Sorry on that one. Patrick, do you think we need another tight end? I don't think all of three of our tight ends won't return next year. I think what we're going to do, Patrick, is we're going to probably draft, um, either re-sign a Colby Parkinson for kind of a low-end contract, keep Disley here in-house, and then start to rock with more of the three wide receiver looks and just more of a commitment to three wide receiver, less of a commitment to two tight ends. Um, or you go out there and you bring two more tight ends in, but you sort of draft and get a cheap signing, so to speak. You take the cost down considerably from where it's been right now. So um, I, I don't think Fant comes back at this point. I think Parkinson's more likely to return because he can come in for more of a, an accommodating deal. But um, no, I, don't, I think two of the three, if not all three of them are going to be gone after this year, Patrick. Even in Disley's case, you can save a lot of money if you want to move off of his deal this offseason. And it may be hard to validate having Disley on the books for only his blocking at this point. Alan Diggs could be on the chopping board. I think he's one of the guys that'll definitely be right there. I mean, he's not played as bad as Adams in my opinion, but he's also had some tough moments as well throughout this season and you are paying him top 10 safety money. He did have a good game today though, Alan. Diggs was laying some hits out there, at least three of them in this game. One he got flagged for, and it was legitimate, but he was being violent out there, which was nice to see. Tommy says, I got it. We go hire Tom Cable again and just convert some of our piss-poor defensive linemen to guards. <laughs> Tell you what, Cable would love Bradford. Uh, Brandon said, Jana says, yeah, I actually thought Diggs had a decent game today. Safety was were hitting early on. Yeah, he was. He came up and laid some wood here in this game. It was good to see. Everybody was kind of hitting in this game. Something's been missing from this defense at times. Guys were sort of lighting guys up. I liked it. Tommy says, I just wish we could have the Huskies or Georgia's offensive line. I will tell you, Tommy, if, if you talk about Cooper Bebe, Graham Barton out there at Duke, or Tony Fontanu from uh, UW, who's a left tackle who I think kicks into guard at the next level, all three of those guys, I would almost be equally happy with any three of them. They're all, to me, top 50 players. And I think they're all going to be really good pros. Big Docs, Brandon, if the 2024 free agency does not look good, then does a person reconsider cutting Adams and Diggs? Nice to save cap space. But if nothing to buy with, tough situation. Um, well, there is something to buy with Addicted Docs. Because like, for instance, in the scenario I just played out to you, you're going to Leonard Williams. Um, you're, you're not getting the return from Diggs and Adams back here. Here's the important part. You know, Adams is rated the 81st safety Addicted Hawks coming into this game by PFF. He's rated the 81st safety in football. Diggs is rated below him by PFF. You're paying Adams top five safety. You're paying Adams top five safety money. You're paying Diggs top safety money. You've been paying these guys money for now a couple of years. You've not gotten the defensive returns for doing that. Meanwhile, you have a guy in Leonard Williams that'll be a free agent who is being productive, who is being dynamic for you up front. You know, that's, it's better to take those assets and put that into that spot 
You also have safeties that you could ride with it as a cheaper options into the future. And the whole point of this is to look at a little bit addicted to hawks in valuation versus devaluation. There are positions in the sport that are gaining more valuation. They're, they're gaining more importance on the football field. And there are positions that are gaining more devaluation, less importance on the football field. Obviously, running back stands out as one of those hallmark positions where this has absolutely become the case. But another one that's right behind running backs is safeties. And the whole point of the safety market addicted to Hawks is rather than even having to be about the guys you have on your roster, you can go find cheap safeties who can play well for you at the position and you don't have to spend all this money. You don't have to invest multiple first round picks. It doesn't require that to get functional play from the position. You know, that's why it's been devalued as a position. That's why teams don't go out there and make it some high priority that they have to go out there and deal with into an off season. It kind of is looked at as sort of something that you can get around to. So it's just about making the priority to other places and other positions. And even in that scenario I told you about there, you still have some stuff that you're going to be able to do. To is it, It's about addicted to Ox, what's better? $50 million into the safety position or and no Leonard Williams and no money to spend on anybody else or take out a big chunk of that $50 million, spend on Leonard Williams, bring back Bobby Wagner, be able to add another guy here as well, maybe a pass rusher off the edge. Is that make you a stronger team? In my opinion, is that would make you the stronger team than rolling with these guys in the defensive backfield. Allen says, I'd keep Noah Fan around for a few million. Yeah, he's going to get like a three or $4 million, probably around eight or $9 million a year will be what the going cost will go for him. Tiana, what do you think of drafting a guy like Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon? I really like, I really think he's an exceptional player, but I also like Olu as a prospect. Could one shift to guard? Uh, Jackson has got the ability to potentially shift to guard Tiana because of the fact he's just so powerful. And that's the thing that sometimes you're missing from the center transition to the guard is you'll have the guy that looks like a guard body-wise and has maybe the guard length, but then he just doesn't have the, the pure molar strength to handle one-on-one stuff over there. I think Jackson Powers potentially has that because that stands out to me as the forefront of his skill set, Tiana, is his physicality and his ability to just kind of maul guys. I think he's a former wrestler, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that that shows up where you feel that you feel that ability with his ability to kind of torque guys like those wrestlers can out there, even from kind of awkward, unusual positions. The thing that he's missing that would be a little bit of a worry for me, Tiana, is the scheme fit, mobility, getting out in front, hitting reach blocks, getting to the second level, getting out in front in the screen game. We've gotten the big problem with the interior line for the past couple of years as we've made this transition to this offense is that you haven't reset the interior line for mobility. You have with the tackles. Cross and Lucas are much more mobile at those positions than you'd had prior to the guys that were there that were before them. But you've not done that on the interior of the line. And I do like Jackson Powers. I do have him rated, I think, as like a third round grade, maybe a late second. Um, and I would love him here in Seattle, Tiana, if we bring him in here. Um, but that is just the one worry I have with him as much as, is he going to be able to do the mobility stuff? Is that going to really work as well for him? Because that's the part that I'd like to see more with some of the linemen we bring in here. But he would be an upgrade regardless. And while I do like Olu to your question, I like Olu, but I don't know I want to just sit here and rely on Olu. It's, it's Olu or the highway, so to speak. I wouldn't mind getting a competition in there. I wouldn't mind getting some depth in there. And so uh, certainly if Powers is there, third round, I'd jump all over him. Uh, maybe even in the second round too. Uh, like a late second rounder there, Tiana. But I like Jackson. He's a good, strong player. And those former wrestlers, man, with the background, they just have a natural understanding of leverage and uh, they don't have to block it up perfectly from a technique standpoint either. 
Joshua, any left guards that are projected to go in the third round that stand out to you? So Jackson Powers is a guy that I, I do think can maybe potentially play a little bit of both of those, those two positions. Uh, let me see if I can get my... I got to find my... I, don't, I made a computer transfer here recently, and I don't know where I put my... Let's see here if I got it. I don't have my list up in front of me. I'll have you maybe check in with me on the next stream on that one. So I got to locate my my big board here. I got to find my stuff. I don't know where it is. But uh, all those guys, the, the four guys I mentioned there, we got Jackson Powers at the back end, but I go Cooper Bebe, Graham Barton, Tony Fontanu, who's a left tackle, but I believe is going to kick inside to guard at the next level. Um, you could maybe move Cedric Van Pran between guard and center at the next level out of Georgia. He's another fun player. Uh, but there's a couple guys in there that you could look at there for sure that, that certainly would, would fit that mark for me. Sorry, right on my list up right now. I'd like to give you a little bit more because I've looked at a couple of the guards here in this draft, but uh, I, had to re, I had to reset my computer last week, and so I'm still been like trying to get all the uh, all the stuff back on the uh, on the stiff thing. Where is it? I don't know where I dumped all my stuff at. I got my big board somewhere though. Nate, what linebackers would be a good fit with this team? What's your choice here? Be get Wags back or get Brooks back <coughs> for reasonable price. Do you like anyone in the draft uh, that you've looked at? Man, I'm gonna need to get my. I'm gonna need to get this up. You guys are having me reference this stuff. I gotta look at uh, some of my names here. Uh, I don't have these guys memorized fully yet, so I gotta kind of go off my notes until I can just reference cleanly off the top of my head all the the guys that I'll have to mention. Um, so, linebacker-wise, I think Bobby Wagner gives you bang for the buck. Is he, a, is he lost a step or two? Sure. Do you want to have him back in coverage as much? No. But is he a guy that's, again, going to rack up an amazing amount of tackles this season? Um, is he a guy that still provided some impact with tackle for losses and sacks this year? Yes. Has he been a leader in that defensive room? Yes. So I bring him back on top of the fact that he doesn't cost you a considerable amount. I mean, when you think about this with Bobby Wagner, I think you got him back on like a one-year, $7 million deal. You bring him back on that kind of deal and then think about what Brooks is probably going to get, which is probably going to be a three-year, four-year deal at, at minimum, probably 10 to $12 million a year right now. And so you get Bobby at half the rate on a one-year deal with no future commitment that you have to put in with Brooks. I think that's a no-brainer that Bobby Wagner comes back. Brooks, on the other hand, I think that his issues in coverage remain. I think that um, he's more of a will linebacker than he's a middle linebacker. I don't, I just don't think that there's the, the, I don't think you're getting the bang for buck. I think it's kind of two diet, two opposite ends of the scale here between Bobby and Jordan Brooks at that point, when you talk about Jordan getting 10 to 12 million a year on average at that point. So uh, no, I bring back Bobby for the cheaper deal. I try to draft a guy in the draft then that's going to, you know, fit. Um, there's some guys in this draft in middle linebacker all over the place. Clemson's got a couple of them in, in Jeremiah Trotter Jr. and Barrett Carter who are great. Uh, Tommy Eichenberg 
um, is a little guy that I would take a little bit more in like, you know, the fourth roundish uh, kind of range of things. Uh, Cedric Gray, um, another kid that's really good. Michigan's got a hell of a middle linebacker out there. Um, so there's, there's some linebackers into that second, third round range of things who I think you could fit in to be a starter instantaneously next to a guy like Bobby who can run around and do some very, very interesting things for this defense. You don't necessarily need to go up in the first round to go get it, or even in the high second round, as you've had to in recent years, where it's really been like three good middle linebackers in the second round, you know, and then once you got past that, you were sort of SOL if you hadn't grabbed those three guys. This year, there should be a, a little bit more of about seven, eight, nine guys that potentially could be starters in this league at the middle linebacker position. So um, third round would definitely be the spot that I think that's the money spot you're looking at for that middle linebacker that you would pair next to Bobby. JB says, uh, my bro is 71, offensive lineman for UW. Hope my Hawks draft him next year. By the way, let's finish this season off with some momentum going into the playoffs. 71 for uh, the Huskies. Let's see who this is. We got uh, Nate Kalepo. Well, hopefully the Hawks draft Nate Kalepo, Jay. JP, and let's finish this strong. Let's get in the playoffs. Let's make them uncomfortable. Let's make them think, oh my God, we thought Seattle was dead and gone. They're back like Lazarus. They've, they've rezzed. They've rezzed. Alan says, just keep Fant. The reason why he's the youngest one, know what I mean? <laughs> I like Fant. I like Disney too, Alan. They just don't know how to use him all the time. Greg says, Brandon, from everything I've read, watched on Penix, he's considered the most pro-ready quarterback, but the age injury concerns put him in this unknown space of how many teams will take the risk on him to me. Correct. Yeah. I don't think, I think, for instance, let me put it this way, Greg, like I think Michael Penix and Jaden Daniels are close to each other. If we're talking top, top 20, I could see there being seven, eight, nine teams that really like Jaden Daniels. I could see on the inverse side of it because the the injury and age risk that you talk about there being three, four teams in on Michael Penix. And um, he is going to be hard. He is going to be hard to get the measure on where teams are really going to stand on him with those worries. And I, I think at the head of this, Greg, comes that if you have Penix come into your roster as well, beyond the injury, beyond the age, you have to put an offensive line in front of him that's good. And what is something that we see so very often from these teams looking for quarterbacks, Greg, is that they don't have the offensive line in place and then they're going to go get that quarterback in the first round. And then they're going to expect that quarterback to throw on the Superman cape and make miracles happen. So that's the other third spoke to this Penix wheel is that if I bring him in, I've also got to feel good about my offensive line. I've got to feel like I've got the line that's going to keep him clean. And if not, no matter how much I love him, no matter how much I'm, my, my doctors give me the clean medical evaluation or the fact that I'm like not worried about his injury because like you say, he's so pro-ready. But then we come back to, but have, I, do I have the line there that's not just going to then get him kind of battered and, and beaten and broken down? And uh, that's what makes this just so hard. Usually you got like one kind of detrimental thing on a, on, a t on a prospect and then they don't have such a sensational upside that they offer um, with, the, with their throwing ability. He's going to be a tough one, Greg. He's going, to, he's going to make some general managers sweat on draft day. That's for sure. D-Nugget, thank you for the $2 donation. <coughs> he says, uh, Merry Christmas, Brando. 
and all in the chat. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everyone tonight. I hope you all are having a great Christmas Eve out there. Thank you guys for some great chats and all the donations in here as you guys always are uh, with your uh, donations and subs as you guys do. Thank you so much for that. I hope everyone's having a great Christmas here and happy, happy holidays. Helps when your Hawks win, that's for sure. Alan A, thank you for becoming a member of the channel. Appreciate you. Members of the channel, we'll be doing uh, PFF scores out to you on the community post tomorrow. And then, of course, we do our Thursday night shows. Thursday night football. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, and then I will be doing, I think, some bowl game uh, member-only streams as well. Watching some of these bowl games and some of this stuff and how it plays out. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well. Brandon Janice says, Mafia's going to have himself a quarterback buffet next season. He just might. He just might. He's getting the stages set. June 32nd, DK, DK, build around him. Love the streams, Brando. Thank you, June 32nd. And I agree with you, man. Build around DK. Get an offense built around what he can do, taking advantage of his skill set as we move into the future. He's got to be the guy that gets the biggest piece of the meat, you know? And everybody else fall in line around him on the offensive side of the ball. Alexander says, 17-20, I nailed it. That was my final score. Well done, Alexander. Well Done. Addicted, I'm very interested in the quarterback spot. I'm a Geno guy, but I'd like to see Locke play the last two games. Seattle, the controversy one way or another. Settle the controversy one way or the other. <laughs> At an A there. Yeah, I think they're going to run with Geno going forward, Addicted, especially with the comeback victory today in this game. Um, the coaching staff just feels a little bit more certain with him, a little bit more comfortable with him. And uh, it's going to be ride or die with Geno at this point, you know. Space if the playoffs started today, we play the Eagles in Philadelphia. I don't mind that matchup. I can take that matchup. I'm with that matchup. Alexander, I like Fant, but we don't use him much. Wasted talent. Absolutely. Yeah, we just don't know how to feature him. I like him too. We just don't know how to use him. Greg, Brandon, I have uh, Penix in the same space as Levis was last year. He can go high or he can fall, but I like him a lot. And if I was a team, my hope would be in the NFL, his injuries go away like DK's did. I would too. And you never know, Greg, some of these players, you know, when they're young, they're not eating the right stuff. They're not taking care of their body absolutely as well as they could. And then they kind of learn. Sometimes injuries can help you get that learning curve uh, going faster as you better get your body right or you're not going to play for even in the college sphere for very long. So maybe he does solve those things to your point on that, Greg. And uh, that's possible. It certainly is possible. Um, and he's done a very good job as well, again, to your point, of staying healthy here with the Huskies the last two seasons, you know, where he didn't have to put the team on his back like he did out there at, what well, was Toledo, um, where he was kind of the whole team. So, you know, maybe there's more of a chance that that can occur because of that a bit. <coughs> but I think the Levis comparison is a good one, Greg, because there is so much fluctuation to hear where he goes. I could see him going into the top 20. That's where my prediction will be. But if he went into the top 10 picks of the second round, Greg, it would make my eyeballs fall out of my head. That would also track and make a lot of sense. You don't want to take your, you don't like to take risks in that first round if you're a front office evaluator or you're already taking so many risks. You don't want to add on those extras like that injury that, you know, does stay a little bit over the, hangs over the top of things. Uh, Tan May says, just a hypothetical for potential replacements for Pete from the college ranks other than Harbaugh. What do you think of Dan Lanning from Oregon, DeBoer from UW, or Kirby Smart from Georgia? I would probably go with uh, Kirby Smart 
DeBoer and Lanning as my order of priority on the three that I would go to. Um, Lanning feels like he needs a little bit more time. You know, he's just getting started as a head coach. He's learning the ups and downs. He's learning the things to do, things not to do. He's, he's just, he, he's got a lot of upside to him as a coach and he's a, definitely a bright prospect, but I don't think he's quite <coughs> NFL ready. <clears throat> so I, I, I think that I want to give Lanning a little longer. DeBoer, uh, what he's done with UW shouldn't be undersold. That program was not in the brightest of spots when he took over. He has taken them now to a place that even Peterson, I don't think, you know, Peterson got him in the playoffs, but this kind of year and to bring him to here is, is truly exceptional. And uh, DeBoer has been a very impressive cat and certainly would be a guy that I would take a look at in the very least interview and talk to. And then Kirby Smart, you can't deny what he's done with Georgia. Um, how can he not be a guy that you would at least talk to and uh, see where he stands on the potential of uh, bringing him in as well? So I like those two guys. Um, a guy like Sarkeesian's stars on the rise, but of course he'd have a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest probably bristling with him because of his uh, track record at Dub. But uh, you bring up three of the probably the more brighter, brighter names out there in uh, in the college ranks to take a look at right now. If you're talking about head coaching possibilities, um, so I like it. I like that, Tammy. Maker says it's impressive. You can talk for this long. I'd be lost. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know how I do it. So just people are having, I just, you guys keep me interested, keep me rolling. I enjoy doing it. You kind of get on your roll too a little bit, you know, you get in your flow. Addicted Brandon, I like the idea of paying Big Cat for an extended contract. Good points about how much yearly expenses. I didn't realize our current cap space was so bad. It's a rough a shape. $2 million in functional cap space as we currently stand right now. <clears throat> you are going to roll over $5 million, I think, from this cap. So that technically takes it to seven, but still not a lot of, not a lot of moolah. 12th North Chad. Hey B, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, 12th North Chad. Uh, don't you think that Pete asking for a timeout back during the Eagles game is a real gauge that the man needs to retire as a coach? <clears throat> um, it's, a, it's a bad look. And you've got Sirianni on the other side saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, I was going to challenge that. Um, I, I will rarely ever say stuff's going to come down to a bad coach. One coaching decision sort of is this emblematic thing of the coach and who they are. You know, well, that sums up Pete Carroll as a coach. Um, it's going to be for me, 12th North Chad. I reached the end of this year. I'm going to come to you guys as a channel and I'm going to go say, this is my final evaluation. I was in a soured point two years ago on coach Carroll. I was in a highly soured point with coach Carroll. I said, you know, I don't know who's right and who's wrong when this Russell situation and Carroll situation, we all seem to have to pick a side on this. We may come to find out that rather than it being a question of who is right and who is wrong, who's the better guy to roll with in the future to take us back to the Super Bowl, maybe the ultimate answer here is neither. Neither. And I said at that time, I'm going to support this organization on the trade of Russell Wilson and give them the benefit of the doubt here that maybe they, that that was an impinging factor. And now that they're, they're cut free of the, the Russell cord and his contracts and all of his desires and wants and wishes. And now they can run this organization unfettered like they did 10 years ago when they got back to the Super Bowl, and that they can also adjust and adapt 
and modernize and evolve both sides of the ball, both defense and offense, as Coach Carroll said two years ago, they desperately needed to do. Now, when I get now two years down the line, that was a two-year reset. That wasn't, I give you, Coach Carroll, five years to go find your way. That's a two-year reset to me. Meaning after two years, I don't need to see championships, but what I need to see is you to fit to your own words. The words that came out of your mouth saying, we're too arrogant, we need to change our approach on both sides of the ball, we need to do so right now. That you're fitting to what you said you needed to do. And if you don't do that, if I look at this offense and I say that your offense looked the same as it ever was, your defense looked the same as it ever was, your team was undisciplined as it ever was, well, then I'm not going to be in a place of saying I have, Carol's got my full support and I feel just great about where we're going in the future and that I, 12 Norchad, I'm absolutely going to be optimistic that he's going to put this team in the right fashion to have success. I'll think the opposite. I'm going to give him through, as I say, on this 12th Norchad through the end of the year because I want all of these two years of games to go off of. I want to see where this all settles in at, where it's trending towards at the end of things um, so that I can make ultimately as much a decision that's based on as many different factors as possible rather than to obey your question, you know, trying to make it based down to some singular factor where it's, you no, know, it's got to be a multitude of things. But that's something that does factor into your point to a degree or 12th more, Chad. Game time management, timeout management showed itself up again this week where you had two timeouts taken, I think, in the first half where one was a challenge play, but now you need to value those next two timeouts and you get a first down and you have an odd timeout after a first down as you're driving down near the end zone. It was an odd call in the moment. You burned a timeout kind of needlessly there. And that's what we often do with that. So it is a a part that is a negative. I do apply to Coach Kerr when I look at him, but it is going to be a full assessment of all of the parameters at stake here. Uh, Coaching, chemistry, buy-in, X's and O's, player development, all of it, you know? Alan, uh, the Niners would have a first round bye if the playoffs were today. Flag says uh, Kobe Flash last year, but I wouldn't say he was good. Yeah, I agree with that. Brandon says, yes, Eagles are our bird bitch. Oh. <laughs> uh. Sound guy 05 says all last year's rookie class took a step back. Uh Sound guy, I would say that Charles Cross has, has been a better player for you once he got back to health this year. Um Abraham Lucas's PFF grade is going to be higher this year than it was last year. While Kenneth Walker doesn't have the yards of the yard per carry he had last year. It's not because he's taken a step back. It's because your run blocking has taken a massive step back. As evidenced by the fact, sound guy, Charbonnet's had just as much problem. DJ Dallas has just had just as much problem trying to run behind the same offensive line. Um, I don't know how you can't say Boye Mafe hasn't taken a step forward. He just got two sacks today. He's now got, what is it, nine on the year? And he has remained still a very good run defender off the edge. So, I mean, there's three guys right there that certainly haven't taken a step back. Um, I don't know. They'll feel pretty good about that class. Uh, Tan May, do you still think Kobe Bryant's the best suited at an outside corner? And if so, how do you think he would fare there based on what you've seen from him thus far? How does he compare to Trey Mike Jackson? 
it's really impossible to make any assessment at this point, Tan May, as to Kobe Bryant on the outside. The team decided very early on in his career to move him to the slot, that he's been moved to safety. So I, I have no assessment to be made on the outside corner because I haven't seen him play it at all. The time you had him play it was against the Steelers in the preseason two years ago, and he got cooked up a little bit by George Pickens when he played out there. I do think it's probably his best position. I think of some of him playing at the slot, now playing at safety, have more to do with us trying to round out our depth more than it has to do with it being Kobe Bryant's best position. But admittedly speaking, this is a guess, and uh, I just don't have a whole lot to base it on other than his track record coming back, coming out, coming out being the Walter Thorpe Award winner, two-time All-ACC cat out there playing off the edge. Uh, I think he can still be a pretty good corner out on the edge in this league, but uh, the Hawks have just instead tried to kind of make him a Swiss Army knife. Um, <clears throat> I couldn't count on him on the outside, Tan May, but uh, I, I'd love to think that he's in the mix out there, and I think Michael Jackson is going to be a free agent after this year, so Kobe Dunn does become after this year kind of your backup at, at every position. He'd be your backup at corner uh, after Trey Brown. He'd be the first guy to come, you know, after Tariq. Devin Witherspoon and uh, Trey Brown, you'd be getting to um, Kobe as your backup. You'd be the backup then at uh, strong safety, and you'd be the backup at slot to probably Devin Witherspoon. But I don't know if he's got actually a starting outlook to him right now as it stands. Don says, the Hawks Nest. Well, it has been fun, but I must run. Thank you, Brandon. All have a great week and a Merry Christmas. You too, Don. Thank you, man. Greg Kemp says, I like Cedric Gray at linebacker and think he'll be, a, he'll be good with Brooks. I like Cedric Gray too. I've got darn near a first round grade on him, Greg. So I'm, I am a big, uh, I am a, definitely a big Cedric Gray proponent. That is for sure. Cedric's nice and he can do it all, Greg. Flags is uh, Cedric Ray, Peyton Wilson. I haven't had a chance to check out Peyton Wilson, Flag. I definitely will be taking a look at him, though, for sure. Bash on, if Pete is still here, no scheme change. Would have to be offense and defensive line upgrades that could help. Yep, I'd be after, that'd be your pathway at that point. You'd have to hope that they could, like we've talked about before on this Bash on, you sort of have the talent that can play above the scheme. Right, you're just so good and so talented with so much ability that it doesn't. You're, you don't need the scheme, you know. Advantages they make it work on their own. AI says we need uh, Spoon next week to shut down Pickens. He's a hell of a he's a hell of a receiver. He's going to be a problem for us next week if uh, if we're trying to rock out there with Trey Brown and Tariq Woolen. Hopefully, we can get him back by that point. Garces says, has anybody tried those flat, crunchy tacos? Seems like a decent idea. Tacos do sound good. Brandon Jana, yeah. Any formal prognosis on Spoon's injury? Hip pointer. But even that doesn't give you a good prognosis because hip pointers can be varied on how long it takes you to bounce back off of them. AI <clears throat> says, we need Spoon next week to shut down Pickens. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I read that. Uh, 13 of row six. I wanted us to draft linebacker Trenton Simpson, and I was hoping Simpson would be good because that's my last name. How's Trenton been this year? Let me look at it. I like Trenton too. I had some worries about him being able to, 
you know, really truly be able to operate from the middle linebacker position. Having a hard time, I think, getting on the field there for the Ravens this year because he's stacked up behind Patrick Queen and uh, Roquan Smith. But he hasn't been particularly great for the team either. He doesn't have a lot of snaps, though. So, But he's behind on the depth chart on that one a little bit. It's not his fault there, Fro. Tommy says, honestly, as long as Pete is here, this O-line is probably going to be bad, and we could really use a Josh Allen type, Big Ben type that can take a hit and get out of it or just be mobile. We need a mobile guy in here, Tommy. You're right. With the line that we've built, whoever next quarterback we look to bring in here has got to be able to escape danger. Allen says, Brandon agreed. Preach, fam. Thank you, Allen. Allen says, Geno Smith is still kicking ass and taking names. Well, he, he's taking names, but he doesn't write back, Allen, of course. You know, AI says, I think we would play the Lions. They are number two today, seven verse two. Okay. Well, that's a, I like the Eagles matchup better, but we can play with the Lions. We can play with either of those two teams. Tommy says, I like Gino. I just think his pocket presence is kind of lacking and he sometimes takes too long to process defenses. He can make all the throws though. I think those are all fair. I think the fair criticism. I think that's a fair outlook of Gino, Tommy. Dubs up. If we went out and the Rams lose to the Niners, then we get to leap them. Small victories. Hey, it's the little things, Dubs, right? It's the little thing. Niners are probably going to start putting this thing in cruise. Well, they got to win out because they got to keep that number one seed. So they got something in. They've got something in it for it. AI says, I've seen legit articles about Dan Quinn replacing a retiring Carol. Heard a little bit of kerfuffle on that as well, AI. I don't know what to make of it really on that one. I'm not sure what to make of it, that one. It just feels like people kind of putting putting the connection of Quinn and Carroll together, Quinn's connection to Seattle together, Quinn being kind of one of the more eligible coaches to now go be a head coaching candidate somewhere again. I don't know if it's actually insider info based. Okay, so it is the Lions instead of the Eagles we'd be facing right now. All right. Dubs up. So Dig seems to be better with Love playing more of a free safety role. Kobe definitely showed some rust. Yeah, Kobe's Kobe's coming, trying to get back here. I did like to see him try to do that peanut till and punch thing that he can do so well. He almost uh, was able on that one to get a, both a flag and a fumble. Um, yeah, when you roll out with Julian Love out there at the strong safety, the thing that this does open the door up to, to your point, Dubs up, is to be able to run more of the split safety looks. Whereas when Jamal's in there, he's boxing up. You're just going to try to prevent him from being in the cover too high as much as possible because you know teams are going to attack that if you do that. Where when you do now have love and ability to play the single high, now Diggs isn't in the predictable role of just being up top all the time. Now he can come downhill sometimes and have a little bit more of an impact on the game rather than just staying in center field and keeping things clean on the back end 24-7. So great point, uh, Dubs up. Great point. One reason why I think we just got to roll with love as we go through the future rest of the season out there at Strong Safety. Tommy says, see, if you were in a sour point two years ago, tell me how this team is any different in the way it's coached and how it executes. To me, it's the same, and that's why Pete must gracefully retire. This is where it's trending to. I, I am going to give the full two years, Tommy, as you know, for me, it's, it's something where I've been battered a little bit at times for folks that want me to give the opinion in week two of this year or week 10 of last year. You know what I mean? And I've said, look, I want to, here's the timeline I want to provide. And I want to be a little hard lined on it where give me my two years. 
But I will give you this, where it's trending and where it's looking is just how you say. That's where it appears to be heading to me too. And then I'm not seeing the changes that I thought were going to be instituted. I'm seeing the same old mistakes being made over and over again. And maybe those mistakes aren't being made to the point where this team turns into total trash compactorville. But it is to the point where the team is unable to reach an elite status, a contending status, because it's held back by these things. It's trending in that way, Tommy. It's heading in that way. Um, And retirement is definitely the thing that is the easiest way for this to go and just the cleanest way, you know? Tommy says, I think Jamal's played his last snap as a hawk. I do believe so as well. And I will have that video out, if not tomorrow, the next day, just in regards to this very subject at hand. I think he's done. Kim, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Kim says, uh, near the end, ball was thrown to Bobo. To my surprise, three defenders were around him defending him. How did they know the pass was coming to Bobo? I'm not sure. I think the one you're talking about, there, there was only two defenders there, Kim, but they were right on top of him. Um, and uh, I don't know why there would be those two guys next to him on that play. I'd have to see the all 22 exactly to know what happened because they didn't show much of a replay to kind of make it make sense. But it was strange to see him so close. Tommy says, I think Jamal decided to not go to the Eagles game. I don't think he was told to stay home. And I think that that was the nail in the coffin for him, just a guess. I think he threw a fit though. It's my guess as well. Uh, Players are going to be on the sideline. That's where the coaches would like them to be at. They don't want you going home. I think Coach Carroll covered it up for him because Coach Carroll didn't want to make this more of an issue or have this become a bigger story than it was already becoming. But you protect the team, and that's something that that's a, an offense. One of the biggest rules, that one of the only rules the team has is protect the team. And it's been one that uh, Jamal Adams this season has multiple times over uh, broken. And I, I, as you say, I think that that in itself could be the nail in the coffin when there were already a lot of other issues at hand here holding him up. Tommy says, then again, Pete's kind of a, I can't quit on you kind of guy. I could see him arguing to bring Jamal back like a real Trey Flowers moment. It's possible, but I think that they are leaning to just calling it a day. If everything, everybody stays healthy and playing on the back end, they don't have to call upon him. Braden says, if so, what does he do out there that makes him better than the others? Um, Braden, I think maybe some, one of your part of your question got cut off. I don't, I don't know who you mean on that one, buddy. Sorry. Can you re re question that one? Uh, charcoal teams know how to play the Seahawks, same old schemes throw outside or run a A or B gap. It's all old. We need a new coach. We need Jim Harbaugh. You know, he's my, he's my favorite one. You know that. Alan says, Brad Brand laughed miles out. That was funny. Gino doesn't write back. <laughs> it's just his way, Alan. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just his way. Braden says, I wouldn't say he's not to be a top five pick for defensive back rookie of the year. I think Jaden Carter would be a better pick. Yeah, I disagree, Braden. Okay, so I see where you're asking there. Um, your question was, if so, what does he do out there that makes the, him better than others? Yeah, Braden, I, I think right now that Devin Witherspoon is the best defensive player that you have on this team right now. 
Um, I think that he can be, he's a shutdown corner, both on the outside and the outside inside. I think he's your best tackling corner. Um, I think he's a super, I think he is going to be, a, has a potential upside as a superstar player. Jalen Carter does too. And while Witherspoon's starting to miss a couple of games this year, which are going to reduce down some of his snap counts, at the end of the year, the thing to consider with Carter is to remember, he's only going to play 35, 40% of the snaps of his defense. Whereas Witherspoon's going to end up playing 80, 85% of the snaps. And giving you impact whether he plays on the outside or the inside. You know, Jalen Carter can't play one tech and three tech. Jalen Carter can play three tech. Devin Witherspoon can play two positions. Hell, if you had a pinch, you need to play Devin Witherspoon in safety. I bet he could probably do that too. He can play man. He can play zone. He's sticky in coverage. And he's also a hitter. I, everything that he's shown you this year, Braden should have told you that this guy was absolutely worthy of a top five pick. Absolutely worthy of the top five pick. He's the number five highest rated player at corner by PFF as a rookie right now. As a rookie. Greg Spoon also plays more snaps. And can, yep, there we go. Uh, Tommy says, that was a badass sweater, by the way. Also makes you wish it was Christmas year round so you could wear it more often. I know. I can't wear it. I can't whip it out all the time. So you just got, it's like select moments kind of thing, you know? But thank you, man. Props to my mom got me this back in the day. Gene D says we should keep going to DK until the other team stops him. Agreed. That'd be a lot better route to go to rather than let's throw to it once and forget about him for two quarters. I certainly would like to go to your method of approach versus the alternate prep method of approach that we've leaned into far too often this year. You know? Yeah. I'm with that. Totally with that. Gene says DK on slants is unstoppable. He can shield his body and run after the catch. Yeah, you just can't get through him. He's too big. And some of these corners are too small, especially those slot corners. Are, one thing I like about Waldron, what he's done in recent weeks, Gene, is moving more of DK into the slot where they hadn't really used much of him in that role throughout this year so far. You've committed a little bit more to that. And now that opens up that slant inside. Because you're a lot, you're much more likely to have on that slant receipt, that slant corner to, to be a guy that's 5'9, 5'10, 5'11. So DK's just that much more bigger than he'd even be on the guy that's the corner on the outside that might be six feet tall. So um I, I like their use of him in there, and I'm I'm with you on this, Gene. Anytime they want to go to that slant inside to DK, it's open all day long. Unless the corner tries to just line up leverage-wise inside of him off the snap by two yards, there ain't nothing he can do about it. We need to feed him, Gene. He's one of the most dynamic talents in the NFL, and I don't think we're getting the most out of him. I think there's a 15, 1,600-yard year there in DK, and with that 1,600-yard year, an offense that could be a top-five offense in this sport. But we've got to find the best way to utilize him and get him there like a smart offensive mind would do so. Bases, I tried to create a summer Christmas on June 25th. It never panned out, though. It's hard there in the summer to make it happen, I'll tell you. Everybody's got their mind on beaches and sunshine. Tommy, lock and block. Let's put him in there with Bobo and run some fake reverses or crazy RPOs. It'd be wild and much better than DJ gut knuckler Dallas at quarterback. <laughs> gut knuckler. <laughs> Woo. Uh, Gene D says, Wollen's coming back to form. He is. He almost got that pick six in this game. Diddy Gene just as uh, close. He's had a couple picks in and out of his hands this year. 
where he could have he could have definitely had four or five interceptions already so far this season if uh, he's able to reel them in. But uh, love to see the speed back on display on that play where you see him, you know, undercutting that under route, over route, and uh, maybe starting to kind of yeah find back his footing here a little bit. Alexander Baker Mayfield's had a really strong season for the Bucks. And Dave Canales, Dan Canales, Dave Dan Canales, the former Hawk quarterback coach that went there to be an offensive coordinator with the Bucks, seems to have really done a really good job with him, getting him to play within himself and still being mighty productive there with that Bucks team. Bucks might end up retaining him long term. Uh, they are a team I'm thinking is going to try to go get their quarterback in the future here in this draft, but maybe they do want to sign up to Baker Mayfield long team. Maybe they do feel good enough about what they're seeing from him uh, that they can roll with him into the future, especially if they can sign Baker to one of those sort of Geno Smith, middle-tier market kind of deals that are the, all the new rage. All the new rage right now. Uh, Barry Satoro, thank you for the $5 donation. And Barry, uh, thank you again, uh, Barry, for your dono at the end of the last stream. Sorry I had to um, bang out quickly. The Bleacher Report wants me, you know, out as soon as, like, the game ends. They want me there going live, uh, basically, like, within five minutes of the game ending. So I have to sometimes... Hit the, hit the call button and go quick out um, when I'm signing off. I know you dropped a dono in just as I did. So I usually like to expand on my thoughts of those, but couldn't really do it on that one just because I had to get out of there quick. But uh, thank you for another fiver today and for all your donations today. Merry Christmas, brother. Mariners signed their DH today. Mitch Garver, two years, $24 million. Not my preference, but better than nothing. <sighs> right? <sighs> go Hawks. I can't say that it's a surprising signing to me, Barry. Um, you know, this, this is certainly one we could see coming down the track as, as sort of a hallmark signing of this offseason um, a bit back, you know, at the start of this offseason because the Mariners were signaling this. Um, he's a right-handed hitter with the Texas Rangers in the Rangers ballpark last year, Barry, that hit 270 with 20 home runs. You know, I, I feel pretty solidly at this point in watching all of these hitters transition from seeing literally every single ballpark in Major League Baseball and come to the to the T-Mobile Park. And I can pretty much say with certainty that if it's a if it's a NL hitter, they're gonna lose probably 30, 35 points off their batting average. They're gonna strike out at probably like a third more of their rate. Uh, their home run numbers are gonna slice in half. If it's an AL guy, I'll maybe only cut him out like 10, 15 points off his batting average and probably six, seven home runs. So we got a, uh, we signed a guy for two years, $24 million, who's going to hit 255 and smack 14 home runs on the season, serving as a DH and a part-time catcher. Hard to see how that exactly is going to win you very many baseball games. He strikes out less than, than the DHs that you've had in there. He'll put more balls in play, I suppose. But, but it's not going to move the needle on this team. And very absent this team having all these young players turning it on and coming alive almost instantly. And I'm talking the real young guys. I'm talking double A guys. Team's not committing. Com, team's not contending for a World Series anytime soon. You can't be outspent by 130, 140, 150, 200 million dollars. Hell, in the Dodgers' case, a billion dollars and think that you're going to go out there and compete with the likes of those teams. You're just not. Let's not fool around, you know? And it is what it is with it. And it's depressing. But it doesn't seem like it's changing anytime soon when it comes to the M's. And you're certainly not going to see any grand deals they make right now, unless they just end up giving up a ton of their talent to do it. Which I don't think they'll do. But Barry, thank you for all your donations. And at least it is a signing. At least it's not nothing. 
Tommy says, uh, it's wild that Woolen struggled with tackling all year, and then this game, he basically ends it with a stonewall tackle to end the game. Like cats and dogs living together type stuff. Cats and dogs living together, hell on earth. Um, yeah, Woolen definitely laid a nice little hit there. And look, he's, he's come in to lay hits. You know, I mean, he's put his shoulder in there to lay hits at times. The problem with Tariq this year has been about wrapping up and getting those arms around, using some hawk tackling technique, wrap and roll. And that's been the part that he's not been utilizing. He just happened to land that shoulder um, hit in this ball game in a way to get the, get the player down. But it's a great hit and perfect timing when you needed it to allow that clock to roll out and for the game to finish up. Um, but uh, yeah, Wollen, uh, Wollen's definitely had his share of struggles this year tackling and good, good on him to end there. He had a solid game in, in where he played. They did a little flopping him and out for Mike Jackson, but I thought he was solid. Dog watcher, do you think Gino will ever score more than two touchdowns in a game again? Or does he just feel bad for Myers and want to give him some play time? He's just trying to work in Myers a little bit, you know? And he did have the Lions game a couple weeks ago, dog. You know, the Lions, or the, not the Lions game, but the, uh, the Cowboys game a couple weeks ago, put up a, a lot of points in that one. Uh, certainly more than just two touchdowns. But uh, it would be nice to find this, to your point, this offense to find a little more consistency and some more, some more, move, more consistently moving the chains and with it, some more consistent putting up points up on the board. And again, to your point, more getting better down there by the, by the red zone. You came into this game already rated 20, I think six this in the league and red zone efficiency. You're coming out of it with a 50% ratio out of this game. That's not going to help you. Uh, they've got to find some, some better plays down by the red zone. J.O. says, Canales is a quarterback guru. Still wish we had him. He is. He's really good at his job. The work he's done with Mayfield and Geno have been, as, that's very impressive. And certainly Geno doesn't look quite the same without him this year. And some of us have wondered if maybe that's a little bit of Canales' loss that is a big part of that. Tan May says, if there was a coaching change, are there any players that you would have originally let go of this offseason that you would now keep with the potential of an upside and a new scheme? No, I'd like to keep Leonard Williams and Bobby Wagner and just about everybody else can gal. So uh, I, that's going to be remaining the case regardless of scheme. You know, I don't want to spend 10, 12 million on Noah Fant on the hope that the new scheme is going to better get more out of him. That's a bit of the problem there, Tan May, is that you not only are like, well, this guy will now work within this scheme, but you have to, you have to make the secondary call. This guy will work in the scheme, but then I have to take the risk of knowing I got to pay the guy too where it hasn't worked prior, which would be the case of the guy like Fant, or which would be the case with a guy like Jamal Adams. If you're going to continue to pay the contract, you'd pay him, um, which I, I don't have anybody that that would fit the bill with me on. I'm, I'm pretty suited at this point to saying it's, I bring back Leonard, I bring back Bobby. Everybody else can basically walk. Parkinson, maybe on a low-end contract, I would bring him back. Something, something cheapy-creepy. But a, absent that, everybody else can go. We can clear the deck all the way through. OD Death Metal. Merry Christmas, everyone. Go Hawks. Let's ride. Let's ride. OD Death Metal. Kelly says, Jamal's father had to retire early due to hip and medical injuries. Too bad. Sadly, it does look like the son is kind of suffering a bit, Kelly, here from the same thing that the father did. And that uh, it's a multitude of injuries. It's not the hip, but medical issues. 
And uh, these things do add up over the years and, and the problems add up over the years and it mentally can beat you down as much as Kelly had beat you down physically. And the bottom line just is that you come out on the other end of it diminished. You're not the same of what you were. And uh, you feel bad for Jamal. It, as I say, it's not all his fault. The scheme also hasn't done him any favors, Kelly, you know, and in addition to that, it's good. I'm glad he got paid before these injuries hit. And that's one of the things that was a big sticking point for him that I could understand at the time when so many were trying to be like, why is he holding out, holding in, but holding out his holdout, hold in? I said at the time, I go, look, his dad was a first round running back that never got to the point of being paid. He was a first round running back at a time when first round running backs and first rounders weren't paid all that much money. He never got to that free agent contract. He never got to making some money. So, you know, what lessons should that son take away from him? You know, get paid when you can get paid. As soon as you can get paid, get paid. Uh, and Jamal did so. And, and that's looking like the right decision for him with the injuries that he did sustain after that. But um, I do hope he can find his footing eventually. If it's not here, somewhere, you know, feel bad for a guy going down like that. Tommy says, I think it is Canales. I mean, Baker is having a career year and he was kind of stalled in his development before that. I think it is a big part of it too, Tommy. When you especially got two quarterbacks back-to-back -back years you do that with, two guys that a lot of people have put on the scrap heap, and you not only take them off the scrap heap and get them functional, but get them to the place where they're actually making some, making some plays throughout the game, where they're operating with the level of confidence and, and they're comfortable back there that you can feel like they've been prepped in a way to, give them, to get them into that headspace. Uh, and Canales seems to be really, really good with that. Allen says, Brandon agreed 100%, but I'm not paying Jamal Adams again. No, I'm not either. Yeah. I, I'll be doing Allen a video in the next two days. If not tomorrow on Christmas, I'll be doing it the next day just on the fact that it is time at this point to move on and try to go through all of the kind of history there quickly of Jamal and how we got to this spot. But we have arrived at this spot. The finality of it is kind of what it is. And it's going to have to call the ball. Going to have to call the ball. Tommy says, it actually makes me wonder if the problem this year is we need to upgrade our position coaches, not just our coordinators. I think that is where the message gets lost or delivered. Hard to say that for me necessarily, Tommy, as being the case when so much of what seems to be holding you back on the defensive and offensive side of the ball seems to be schematically what you're doing, and especially from the X's and O's standpoint. And that to me doesn't go back to necessarily the position coaches that are teaching technique, fundamentals, and all of that. That goes to more of the coordinators and the, the kind of scheme you're you know, implementing, in my opinion. All right, guys. Well, we've reached uh, four hours here, just about right on the dot. So let's start to put a little bit of a button on this one. I want to thank all of the folks who donated here to the chat tonight. Uh, Barry Satora, D. Nugget, Vashon King, Hawks, O, Long Live the King, Garth Knight, Taker 610. Um, Joe Z, Snail, Cameron. Thank you so much. Uh, Robert Jimenez, King Multiple. William Leonard, Tezakaku, Robbie Red, Brandon Lacut. Thank you to all of you guys for all of your donations today on the channel. I really do appreciate it. I want to say to a big thank you uh, to the sponsor of this channel. That's going to be Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has been sponsoring the Hawks Nest throughout this year. And if you click the link below down in the description section, then you can... Click that link and they will match you up to $100 of your first deposit on their site. Um, so you, only, you get $100 on the Hawks Nest to you and you come back and actually support the channel at the same time. We call that a win, win, win. They've got some great ongoing contests that are going to continue throughout the next two weeks of this football season. Hey, your fantasy team out of it, 
Have they been booted to the curb? Have you lost your playoffs? Well, you can still get into a new fantasy every week, draft your fresh players every week on this underdog app. And you've got a variety of different other little contests you can get into, the overs, the unders on players, get into in-game betting, if you will. There's basketball, there's baseball, there's hockey, there's everything under the sun there to go out there and you know wager in on some great contests. Go up against form. Don't go up against the house. Go up against actual real players on the other side of it. They're giving away $200,000 a week for the next two weeks here to finish off this season. And like I said, you're supporting the channel and getting an extra $100 in your pocket as they'll match you up to $100 of 100, up to 100% of $100 of your first deposit with them on their site. But thank you to Underdog for sponsoring the show throughout this year as they have done had so kindly. And thank you to all of you for utilizing that code. I know it's a little bit harder here in the state of Washington because we've got some regulations. You have to go into a casino at times to use the full, the full uh, litany of the app. And you guys have still done that. So it's a testament to your guys' support of this channel that you guys have done what you've done and uh, utilizing that code. I want to thank you guys for doing that as well. If you're looking for a quick game wrap-up, you can go and click on the description section of the live video I did on the previous one. That'll take you to the Bleacher Report or check your community posts. I got a little half-hour wrap-up there if you're just looking for a quick condensed community post wrap-up. We'll be bouncing back on Tuesday with the BMB show here with Brendan on Tuesday, looking and talking over this victory just a little bit more. I do appreciate you guys for some great discussion as always. I know that there is some different opinion in the Hawk fan base and there's some very passionate folks on where they stand and it can lead to at times some some arguing and some back and forth on that. And I'm glad to see that for the most part today throughout, we've been able to keep things, I think, above board and even in disagreement, be respectful. And that's always just the only thing I really do ask for because it's what I really do value and love and treasure about this channel is that we can talk about any topic. We don't have to worry or or brace ourselves for the, you know, for the whiplash. We can just have these open and honest discussions and and understand that it's just us sort of turning this team over, discussing this team, trying to figure out what's what, who's who, where we're going and how we're going to get back to getting to becoming a contending team. That's all we're trying to do here. Uh, Bray, Greg Kemp says, Brandon, quick thoughts on quarterback Terrian Arnold. I haven't looked uh, at Terrian Arnold as of yet. I've heard the name on that, Greg. Um, my, my deep dives first usually go to the positions that are going to be the ones we're going to mainly look to draft or cover in the draft. And then I go to those secondary positions where we're stacked up at afterwards. So for instance, you know, quarterback, um, interior offensive line, linebacker, defensive tackle. This is where some of the bigger onus has been where I've dived into more of the depth of the players. With, with cornerback, it's been Carl Madden, McKinstry, uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Um, I got another guy on my list I can't think of right now off the top of my head. Uh, the Clemson kid, cornerback out there. I've taken a look at him. So I haven't gone as deep in the cornerbacks just because we're not as likely to draft the cornerbacks. But I will get into looking at those guys. It's just one of those ones where you round into them a little bit later. And I've heard of Terry and Arnold. So he'll be probably one of the ones that's up on my list to check out pretty relatively soon on it. But I just want to make sure I'm hammering all of those positions that we're likely to look at an attack first and foremost. Because that's the ones I'm going to be asked about most is, of course, we get in the end of the draft, uh, Greg, is those ones that are, you know, um, the ones that people want to see us address with that, we, that, that they consider to be the biggest holes on the team. Kieran, I mean, I tell the offensive line is doing some great, te great teaching. <laughs> yeah, Gary, and it's uh, the fundamentals are not great on the offensive line right now with Dickerson. That's for sure. For sure. Alexander, the Steelers are going to be a tough game. You're right about that. They're fighting still for their playoff footing in their life as well. And uh, it's a tough defense. That's going to be a tough team and they're going to play hard. We, we're not going to play like we did this week. We're not going to be able to play like we did in this game um, and, and expect that we're going to be able to get this one done. We've got to, we're going to have to play a much cleaner game to pull this out this next week. Gary says, Steelers, definitely going to be a hard game. Watt is going to be a problem for us. He will. 
And you know we don't like to double team. <laughs> uh, Brandon Jan, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, 12s. Much love. Go Hawks. All day, every day. And thanks, Brandon. Peace. Thank you to you too, Brandon. Have yourself a great night. Merry Christmas. Alexander says, damn Christmas carolers, get off my lawn. <laughs> Space says, today was a good day for the Hawks. Let's go. Let's go, Space. That's a great way to wrap us up. Well, was it pretty? There ain't no style points in the NFL. You had to carve this win out, but the Vikings lost. You won. We now control our destiny. We control what will happen. Scheme issues deficient. Players that are paid like stars, not playing like stars. Doesn't matter. You get yourself in the playoffs and anything can happen. And I know we've gone to playoffs in recent years and not gotten a lot happening, but all you got to do is get hot. All you got to do is start to get more of these cylinders all clicking in at the same time. And then the sky is really the limit. We know there's a higher level of potential on this team than they've shown so far this year. We know they can be better than what they've been so far this year. Who's to say over the next couple of games that they can't maybe tap into that spirit, find their way. I know it wasn't a pretty win. I know many were hoping for a little bit of a bigger, badder beatdown of this Tennessee Titans team today. But you got the job done on the road, 10 a.m. You control your own fate. And that's the best you can ask for in a football season as you round out at the end of the year. If you can't be a contender, if you can't be one of those front runners at the top of the division, at least you can be in a state where you don't have to, well, this team's got to beat that team. And then that team's got to lose this team. And then this team's got to come back and then win next week after we need them to lose this week. None of that. We went out, we get to the playoffs. Let's go make it happen, my fellow 12s. Let's keep the faith. And yeah, I know some of you are down on the season. I know some of you are down on Coach Carroll. I know some of you right now don't know if this team's going to be able to find itself into a contending status over the next couple of years, but your Seattle Seahawks in the year of our Lord of 2023 are in this playoff hunt and controlling their own destiny. Let's see what they can do. Let's see if they can turn this on. Let's see if we can spark our way to maybe making one hell of a magical Cinderella-like playoff run. Let's see if they got it. I don't know, but it'll be fun to watch it play out. And you know, we'll be watching it with you here at the Hawks Nest. Thank you guys for a great day here. I hope everyone has a happy, merry Christmas with you and yours. Thank you for making my Christmas great as ever. You guys' energy was positive. You guys are awesome in the chat. Every, every time we go live, the support is unbelievable. I thank you all for that so, so very much. You guys have yourself a great night. We'll be back in a couple of days to chop this victory up one more time before we start to turn it forward here to the Pittsburgh Steelers and maybe potentially this big, this great playoff run. But until that time, my fellow Seahawks faithful, please do not you ever forget. Shouldn't have to remind you after a big win like today, after you control your playoff hopes, but I will nonetheless. Do not you ever forget. Don't you ever forget. Go Hawks!